humanity. No more time for last minute shopping. It's time to face your final destiny. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. There's panic in the crowd. We can dodge debris while we trim the tree underneath the mushroom cloud. only a few hours away now. I'm sure you're all looking forward to it as much as we are. You might hear some reindeer on your rooftop or Jack Frost on your windowsill. But if someone's climbing down your chimney, you better load your gun and shoot to kill. Oh, it's Christmas at Brown Zero. And if the radiation level's okay, I'll go out with you and see all the new mutations on New Year's Day. Claus has got the AIDS this year, and he won't be round to spread his Christmas cheer. The reindeer all look blue, they know what he's going through. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. He won't be yelling out, ho, 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 ho. But he'll be screaming out, no, 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 no. He's lying sick in bed. Call the doctor there instead. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Each season he is full of pep and vim. But now the AIDS have got the best of him. The nurses all look sad, cause Santa's got it bad. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Oh, there's a Santa Claus saying, I won't be here this year. I'm sick in bed with the AIDS. Oh, but I'll be back next year, next year. Don't cry for me, a doctor will cure me. There'll be no jingle bells upon his sleigh. From everyone he's got to stay away Twelve months to wait and then He'll soon be round again But Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year Oh, I'll miss you all But I'll see you next year 
Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. And he won't be round to spread his Christmas cheer. The reindeer all look blue, yeah, they know what he's going through. But Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. There'll be no jingle bells upon his sleigh. From everyone he's got to stay away. Twelve months to wait and then he'll soon be round again. But Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. I said Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. I said Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dandruff with Hellas. This is being recorded on December 23rd, 2016, just two short days before Christmas. Two Christmas songs to start the show. The first one, a Weird Al Yankovic song from, I believe, the late 1980s called Christmas at Ground Zero, about getting nuked on Christmas Day. And the second one by Tiny Tim, a classic I play every single year from 1985 called Santa Claus Has Got the AIDS This Year. And Tiny Tim, when he made this song uh, in, in 85, he didn't understand what AIDS was, because AIDS was uh, new to most of the public at that point. Most people weren't aware of what it was till later in 85. So he had heard of it. He heard it was some sort of illness, but he didn't realize the seriousness of it, or that it uh, was mostly associated with, uh, with gay sex. So he made this song thinking it was just, basically saying that Santa was sick and then later was very embarrassed about it. And uh, on Howard Stern, Howard Stern loved to play this all the time to bug Tiny Tim, who was a frequent guest on the show. And Tiny Tim made up the excuse that he wasn't really singing about the disease AIDS, that what he was actually doing was singing about the then, call, the then candy called AIDS, A-Y-D-S, and it had nothing to do with the disease, even though it made no sense with the, within the context of the song if it were to be about candy. <laughs> so, obviously he was singing about the disease AIDS, but I'll give Tiny credit that he didn't understand what AIDS was at that point, so that was why he made that morbid song without realizing how morbid it really was. You know, the song doesn't give a real backstory there. I'd love to know how Santa got the AIDS. Did he get it from one of the elves? Did he get it from Mrs. Claus? Did he get it for, perhaps from one of the reindeer? We don't find out in the song, and now that Tiny Tim has passed away, we will never find out. How Santa got the AIDS this year. Also, you hear in the song where he says, I'll be back next year, a doctor can cure me. <laughs> Good luck with that, Santa. So, anyway, uh, welcome to the show. If you're able to listen tonight, then I, I guess it could be one of a few things. It's not quite Christmas Eve. You know, I, I would have done the show on Christmas. Uh, I, I don't care, I'm a Jew. I would have done things like that, but it just so happens that uh, the, song, the show is the 23rd today. I think this is the first time in years that we've done a show at this time of year. Usually I'm just on vacation and I can't make it, but this year I'm not, so this year I can make it. This year we have an episode two days before Christmas, and we will have one again next week. So we're not going to miss the last show of 2016. I have an announcement. Before I put on my co-host, I have an announcement regarding Brandon Drexel Gerson. He is not coming back to this show, at least for now. 
But he is going to be doing his own show, which he told me today was going to be on January 3rd at 7 p.m. He said he will announce further details, but January 3rd at 7 p.m. on PokerFraudAlert.com. You listen to it the same way you listen to this show. In fact, I, I believe it'll be in the archives the same way these other shows are. I'll ask him if he wants that. If he doesn't, then he'll have to go some other way, but... I believe it's basically the same way you listen, whether live or in the archives, except it's going to be him and not me. So January 3rd, which is a Tuesday, will be Brandon's new show, and he claims he has three guests this upcoming week. You know you know how it is, though. These guests don't always come through. They don't always live up to their promises, but they very well might. I think two of them at least will. He claims he's going to have Jason Somerville, William Kasuf, who we've had before here, and Kate Hall. So that's a power lineup there. I believe Somerville and Kasuf will show up. Kasuf has been on here before and seems to like to hear himself talk. Somerville is a nice guy, and I can't really see where he'd promise that and not do it. And he even offered before to come on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We just haven't had him yet. So I believe he'll show up. Kate Hall is the question mark. Because, well, it's Kate Hall. (laughs) And uh, once she understands more about uh, this site, she may not want to come on. But who knows? Good luck to Brandon to get her. She, she said for the moment that she'll, she'll come on. So uh, that's the schedule. January 3rd, 7 p.m. is the date of the show, unless Brandon changes it. So we should have one more show before then, and I'll let you know next week if that is still in the plans. Will I be on that show? I don't know. I might be. I might not be. Depends if I can make it or not. Uh, whether I am on the show or not, uh, we will be having a regular show that Wednesday, though, January 4th. So they will not be replacing this Poker Fraud Alert radio that you are hearing right now. And we're going to bring on our co-host right now. I shouldn't say he's a replacement host, but he is a co-host, and he's been a co-host for much of the end of 2016. And I believe I've reached him. Calwat, hello. How you doing, Druff? Well, we're off to a good start. We connected here on the old Skype, so that's good. I'm uh, happy about this. Now, it's Friday night. It's uh, about 11.20 p.m. where you are. How are you feeling right now? Are you tired? Are you uh, awake, kind of in the middle? Oh, I'm half dead. I mean, honestly, normally Friday nights I'd be playing poker, hmm. um, but I actually I, I hurt my wrist, and I just didn't feel like doing it. So, I'm chilling at the house. I got my room lined up, and I'll be with you for a little bit anyway. Okay, well, yeah, the poker game's loss is our gain. Or maybe the poker poker game's gain is our gain, if you would have won. I don't know. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, have you ever thought about, you know, the games you've won in, like a a net winner, like how things would be different if you were just never born? Like who would have the money? Uh, Who's Busto in poker that might not be? I've thought of that before. Like I've thought about, like, who would have won my bracelet? Who who would have won in the games where I won? Like, what if I just never entered poker or just never born? Have you ever thought of that before, or only me? Yeah, sure. You know, it's kind of the, the butterfly effect kind of thing. And yeah. it, it is true. I mean, especially in poker, like, the result of certain things, especially tournaments, can turn on, you know, just one lucky card. Yep. That changes everything, you know? In poker, for every dream that's shattered, another one comes true. Yeah, Except for, sure. for the casino, their dream's always coming true with a rake. But uh, a dream come true for free roll players tonight. If you like, oh, oh, rough, yeah. I, forgot, I totally forgot to even contact you or tell you. I 
I cashed in that free roll last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was for. I don't know if that came in second or third or whatever. Okay, well, we'll, we'll look it up. Uh, we'll, we'll have to put it towards next week because this week is a special free roll that I decided is only oh. going to be one donor. Unless you well, want to donate do a- ten times whatever it is. Okay. I don't even know what it is. That's beautiful. Okay. I, I think it was like 100 bucks. Are you okay with that? No. Okay. Uh, I, I think it was like at most uh, like second or third, you said? Yeah, it was. I think last week was kind of a light light prize pool. So you won't be hurting too much. But thank you. Very generous. Uh, and I'll get in contact with you after the show about it. But this week, we have a free roll that exceeds just about every free roll we've ever had. Not quite as big as the 200-year anniversary, 200-show anniversary free roll, but still very big. The free roll that uh, we are having this week has a prize pool of... One million dollars. By the way, did you get that sound effect? We keep losing Calwa. This is, this is not a good start. I may have to switch to the other Skype. Anyway, it's not a million dollars. It's 300 bucks. And that was all donated by Pooh. It was a very regular listener to the show. Sometimes he'll send me nice comments. Sometimes he'll send nasty comments. But he listens every week. And he's a successful guy. He owns his own business. I won't say any more because he probably doesn't want you to know more. He's kind of uh, a private guy. But someone never shy about expressing his opinion. And someone who is never shy about expressing a controversial or politically incorrect opinion. But nevertheless, uh, very generous to us and to this site. And uh, he doesn't donate like every week, but when he does donate, it tends to be a good one. So this week we got $300 from Pooh. 300 just for tonight's free roll. And the good thing for anyone playing in it is that this is an off night. This is a Friday night instead of... A Wednesday night. So we're going to have a much smaller crowd in this free roll. Also, if you like PLO, I have good news for you. The free roll this week is PLO. It's not No Limit Hold'em. So if, you are a PLO, if you're a PLO player, yeah, I had to switch Skypes. If you're a PLO player and you're so tired of these No Limit Hold'em free rolls, tonight is your night because it's a big prize pool and it's PLO. Oh, sweet. So it's, and I'm not sure if you heard Cal Watt because you were off here for a little bit, but the prize pool is 300 bucks, all coming from Pooh. Wow. So first place is going to be 150 bucks. <laughs> Second place, $75. Third place, $35. That's better than most first places we have. Fourth place, $22. Fifth place, $13. And sixth place, $7. So six places pay, and first place is $150 which is pretty damn good for a free roll that always has fewer than 100 entrants. So this I'm is, sure I'll be out first. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to be careful, Calwood, about donating 10 times on this one, because uh, if, if you were to win first, you'd have to donate back uh, 1,500. So That's not bad. So, yeah, this, anyway, this is a, a great prize pool, and thank you very much to Pooh for this uh, donation. We actually were going to have this show yesterday, and then it ended up being delayed for a day only because... Ben's mom couldn't get home from somewhere she was in the evening, and uh, she was not going to be home until like 10 p.m., which I didn't expect. So when she told me that, I said, okay, we're going to have to do this next week. And people weren't very happy about this, but at the time, we did not have much money for the free roll. We only had 43 bucks. 
And then today, Pooh said, hey, I'm trying to give you something big. Give me your PayPal address. So I gave it to him, and he sent 300 bucks. So it's a good thing for you guys who like the free roll that we waited one day because we got $300, whereas yesterday we were struggling to even get our minimum that we run it for 50 uh, the people yeah, who, super generous of them. Yeah. The people who gave that I was going to run it before, that was SMI Florida, Larry Laffer, or not Larry, SMI Florida, uh, Scott from the East Coast, and Belly Buster. The three of them gave money. That will all be held over for next week. So I did not forget about you guys. But when someone gives something like $300, I wanted to just make it his own free roll, kind of. So uh, he's not lost within a sea of other small donations. Though I appreciate every donation we get, but when someone gives something like 300 then I decide to... Just make it an exclusive thing. So uh, we keep losing it here, uh, Calwood. Was this intentional? Or you, I see you're on mobile now, it says. Hello? Todd, you got Scott from the East Coast. Oh, it's Scott from the East Coast. It's, 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 Skype's messed up here. Let, let me let, call right back here. This, is, this new Skype is so terrible. Okay, sorry. You know what's so weird? When So I saw a call was coming in from you, and I answered. I assumed you got disconnected again. Yeah, <laughs> and so it said your name except it says mobile in, in parentheses and it turned out it was Scott from the East Coast Skype got confused and thought it was like you on a mobile phone so I had it, it put you I thought you would hung up so I just answered it and put, accidentally put you on hold it's such a freaking mess weird anyway so sorry to Scott there who was trying to call in but uh, uh, anyway we're going to finish the intro here before we take any further calls so PLO, it's 8.40 p.m., the free roll. You still have until 9.05 p.m. Pacific to get in there because there's 25 minutes of late registration where you do get a full stack. You need to read the rules if you don't know the rules as far as qualifying for the free money. Otherwise, you won't get it, and I'll just cut you out of the pool as if you were never born. I really will. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, exactly as it sounds, and you can read all about the free roll rules, which have not changed in quite some time and qualifying for the free money. Ignorance of the rules is no excuse. This free roll does take place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, by the way. You can find that near the top of the screen. It does not require any buy-in, any play chips, nothing. Just sign up for an account on the room, and you can play. It's that simple. No risk, no play chips needed, nothing. No catch. It's just free money, seriously. So, if you want to call into the show, phone numbers are the same as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text that same phone number at any time, before, after, or during the show. I may read your texts on the air, unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. 775-372-8355 is that text phone number. If you wish to call the Mount Charleston line, Mount Charleston is... A mountain near Las Vegas. It got snow. Got about a foot of snow on Thursday. It's getting probably some snow tonight, I think. I'm not sure if the storm's going to make it there from California to Nevada. But it got a foot of snow last week. And that's a separate line into the show. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. It's an old 70s rotary telephone located in Mount Charleston, Nevada. And forwards to me wherever I go. You can't text that number. But you can call it, especially if the main number is busy or if the main number just isn't getting through. But make sure to show your caller ID no matter which number you call or you will not get through. Is it going to work if it's buried under all that snow? I hope so. I mean, it, it, I checked it after the snowstorm last week and it was fine. So I, I think it'll be okay. It's, it's a, yeah, back in the 70s, they made uh, pretty robust equipment. They, they didn't want things breaking. Nowadays, uh, things are expected well, to break. freeze the rotary dial, right? Well, but nobody has to dial it. It's just you can die. anyway. You dial into it and it forwards, so nobody yeah, has okay. 
I maybe the rotary dial isn't in the best shape, but we're okay. But you know, back back then they they made things that they really were expecting to last. Like if you buy something back then and it lasts two years, then it's considered uh, a lemon. But nowadays, a lot of things you buy are have an expected lifespan of eighteen months or twenty four months. A lot of things you buy are not a, not supposed to even uh, yeah. work for that long. And if and it's a disposable culture. Yeah, yeah and, and also many things you're not supposed to fix. Like you know what's a a job people don't really have much anymore is TV repair. Because when a TV breaks, typically the cost of fixing it is, exceeds what the TV's worth at that point. So, same. Yeah, way. And, and there are even a decent number of computers these days that they don't fix them either. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's... The manufacturer takes them back, recycles them, and you get a new one or a refurbished, refurbished one or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's usually like uh, usually a, a refurbished one you get back, which is yeah. frustrating because they're usually crap. Uh, here, th- this is someone who listens often from the 505, but he said, this may sound like a troll, but when did the intro to the intro become an hour long, LOL? When? I think since the beginning here. <laughs> that, that's not a new thing. The intro. Is that a new intro. listener? No, I don't think so. It's, it's not, but uh, I think he's in the intro to the intro, but I don't think we're having an intro to the intro. This is just the intro. So, okay. Uh, the, the call to listen line is a phone number you can call to listen to the show with any phone in the world. You don't need a smartphone, don't need data, don't need the internet, don't need a computer. If you have a data plan, it's not going to use up even one byte of your data. And if you have a poor connection, like you're driving in the hills, you don't need that good of a connection. As long as it can make the call and hold the call on the phone, that's all you need. It's not going to do any buffering or freezing or any crap like that. A good way to listen to the show. 712-775-8162 is that number. 712-775-8162. You can't call and speak to me on that number unless you want to speak to me and have me not hear you. It's just a way to listen. You can also use it when the show's not live, and you will hear streaming reruns of one of our more than 210 shows we've had so far. You'll just pick one at random and run it as if it's live, and then when it's over, pick another one at random and do the same thing. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, except when we're live, it does that. You can always catch reruns of the show uh, you know, on demand, whatever you want to listen to. In the archives, you can find that uh, either on PokerFraudAlert.com by just going to the radio forum. You can also go to iTunes. You can go to Google Play. You can go to Stitcher, which is an, a podcast app. You go to TuneIn, which is another podcast app. And in fact, that will also broadcast the live show and the reruns. And iTunes, I'm not sure if I mentioned that. These are all ways you can catch the show after it's over. If there's any listening option you'd like me to provide that is not there, let me know and I'll see about perhaps adding it. Of course, the main criteria for adding options to listen is that they don't cost me any money. (laughs) So if you you tell me you want me to add something that's going to cost me like 30 bucks a month, it's not going to happen. But if it's free, I'll probably do it. And if it's not really difficult to add, I'll probably do it. If it's something difficult to add, I'm not going to. Like someone wanted me to add, uh, I think, SoundCloud. And I said, okay. And I looked into adding SoundCloud. And I I found out that I had to manually upload everything to SoundCloud every time. I said, "Uh uh-uh. If it's not going to grab the RSS feed, I'm not doing it. Too hard. Like if everyone was clamoring for SoundCloud, I'd put it. But not for just like a few people. So... Here's the agenda this week. 
The main story, the Aruba Poker Players Championship is apparently, this is the first time I've ever heard this about a live tournament, is apparently a Ponzi scheme. People played the Aruba Poker Players Championship in November and the top seven finishers haven't gotten paid aside from $10,000. Some are out over 100 k and probably will never see that money. Can you imagine mm. that? You go to a live tournament and win, and then you almost you get almost none of the money? <laughs> that that would be just brutal. I mean, I would just be so tilted if that happened. It's one thing if an online site doesn't pay you, but can you imagine you win a live tournament and don't get the, you don't get the money, and you will never get the money? That's Yeah, first of all, you've got to go to Aruba, which you know <laughs> is probably not that cheap to go, go down there and, and stay and all that. Yeah, and then if you're a live tournament player, I mean, you—it's feast or famine. You live for these times that you actually place, you know, in the top ten. Yeah, so you you make it, and then you don't get paid. I mean, that would just be the worst. That would really be the worst. I, I I'm trying to think of more Some frustrating people jumping out of windows. I, I can. I'm trying to think of more frustrating things than poker that can happen, and I'm coming up with nothing. That's like the absolute worst. So we'll talk about that situation. It's looking pretty certain. Put it on. We'll we'll talk about the whole thing. It's, right, uh, it's right. a, a huge mess. Yeah. The World Series of Poker has announced partial details for the 2017 World Series of Poker. I'm talking about the main one in the summer. I'll tell you what we know so far. I don't even think they know the rest of it. I think they're just releasing info as they come out with it, or as as, as they decide upon it. Two Indian tribes have failed in separate instances of trying to run rogue gambling sites. Two different Indian tribes felt that they can just run sites without the government's permission. Two Indian sites have failed in doing so. I will tell you in each case what has happened. Remember we had a story here about the PayPal American Car- America's Cardroom chargeback scam. There is an update on what's going on with that. Another update, Ivy, as Phil Ivy, has been ordered to pay a large sum of money in the Borgata case. Poker Central, which billed itself as a 24-7 poker TV show, a TV network, is not going to be a TV network anymore. It's going to stop broadcasting content. It's not completely going away, but the broadcasting part of it is finished. I'll talk about that. Speaking of what might be finished, the PPA, Poker Players Alliance, seems to have been mostly defunded in 2016. I'm wondering if in 2017 it will be more than defunded, it'll be defunct. We'll talk about what has happened there and likely why. A public fight occurred on the Las Vegas Strip, right there in front of the Monte Carlo. Two hookers fighting with each other. Oh. We're going to play the audio of this fight. It's actually on video, too. which uh, It's those few moments I wish we had a video show. But uh, it's, I'll play the, uh, some part of the audio of this, tell you what went on there, and what I have seen regarding hookers. In fact, I just had a hooker uh, approach me. A few days ago in Vegas. Careful how you finish that sentence. <laughs> the 2017 Total Rewards Program, Seven Stars, which is the top uh, top tier of that rewards program. The details for that uh, for 2017 have been released, but not... Uh, I shouldn't say released. They've been acquired by me. They have not been released. I acquired the details before release. So this is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. I'll tell you what to expect for the Seven Stars program if you're one of the people who shoots for that. Also, I told you about a Caesars promotion that would reward you for visiting a whole bunch of different properties of theirs in the first quarter of 2017. I'll tell you about that. Cliff notes it's a fail. And 
general topics. We don't have much this week, but a California man first committed fraud to get $4.8 million that did not belong to him, and then he spent... One million dollars. On? On? On hookers? No. On strippers? No. On drugs? No. On expensive cars? No. On jewelry? No. No, he spent a million dollars on a video game. What? Yep. Good way to spend the money you steal. How is it even possible? I I didn't think it was until I read about this. So that's our agenda this week. And... I think Cal- Druff, I'm surprised that you didn't uh, mention that uh, Poker Central is ending their 24/7 TV channel. I did mention that. You did? Yeah. I, oh, I was. I was no, I was waiting for the joke here, and I'm thinking, is this? I, I thought maybe I just was dense and wasn't getting your joke, but no, I mentioned it. Yeah. Was I disconnected? I don't. You know, you were right here. You just zoned wow. out. I think it's the rum. Wow. Yeah. In fact, I spent. Uh, it can't not, even be the wrong. It's just me. No, I said it was like <laughs> it wasn't a long time, but I, I said it more than like in one sentence. I probably took about fifteen seconds just telling about wow. it. I apologize. Mm. Just like a missing piece of your memory. Just zoned out. H- have you ever been under general anesthesia and then woken up and there's just a piece missing from between the time you woke up and when you realized where you were? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I actually, I went under one time, and it was. Uh, what they call a retrograde anesthesia, where I think what happens is you you forget stuff before you start. For it was really weird. It was a really bizarre thing. Yeah. I remember the guy talking to me. He's like, "Yeah, you know, talk about you know three, two, one, boom," and then just nothing. Just went to dark. Yeah, know? and I remember absolutely nothing that happened. I was only I only had it done once, and I was nervous about it because I heard you know, general anesthesia, you can just die, and the only way to know really if, is to have it done once and see if you die under it, and then if you go through it once and it's okay, you probably aren't going to die the next time. So <laughs> so the first time, uh, it was for uh, to have wisdom teeth taken out. First and only time. And the dentist, you know, he put the IV in me. It takes a little time to take effect. So I said... Uh, how long is this going to take? And he's either like 20 seconds or something. So then apparently he asked, he said, so you, you said you're a poker player? And I said, yeah. And uh, so then he asked some other question about you know, where do I play? And I said online. And he said, and he asked some other question. And I said, yeah, I play on Paradise Poker and I'm a winning player. <laughs> like that. that was the last thing I, the last thing I said to him is I'm a winning player. And I and I went out and uh, so it's like an old record that that's run out. Yeah, of Yeah, I, mean, I was like that too. I was like that. That's what I was described as doing. And I was told this by somebody who was in the room. And then when I came to, apparently they like I, I staggered out of the room where they did this, and uh, they brought me to some recovery room. And I called my mom, and I told my mom that everything went fine, and that I was in that room, and. Uh, you know, I was in that room for 15 minutes or so. And then my first memory in there was, you know, i got to call my mom. And I called up my mom, and I got her voicemail. And I said, well, this is surprising. You, you told me you were worried about, uh, you know, how I'd do here, and you wanted me to call. I'm surprised you're not answering the phone. But okay, no, I'm fine. Bye. So then I get a call back from my mom. You just called me 15 minutes ago. <laughs> that's, that's why I went to voicemail. It was done. So I, I called her, totally forgot I called her. And then called back and was annoyed that she didn't answer the phone. So, 
then I realized, right, when she told me that, I said, you know what? I don't even know how I got to this room. In fact, like, I didn't wake up in this room. I said, I'm just, like, here. It's like a beginning of a dream where you're just in a place. You don't know how you got there. You don't think about how you got there. You're just there, and you're just acting as if the fact that you're there is normal. And that's what it was to me. I was just there. And the beginning of my memory was just me being there, and I said, I don't remember walking here. I don't remember anyone bringing me here. I don't remember making that phone call. I was just here. So it was weird. It was really weird to have, like, just no memory of 15 minutes before. So it's one thing like to have a dream and not remember it, but this is like it's right there to remember, did, did not remember what happened. So mm. we will start. The free roll started a minute ago, but you can still get in for 24 more minutes. $300 at stake. There's some people who are really into the free rolls here, so I hope those people made it. If they didn't, then they're going to be sorry. I'm not going to name any names. Certain people are asking, is there a free roll tonight? And they are very excited about the prospect of winning the money we give away. So if they miss this one, they're going to be sorry. I, I want to mention one more thing. I saw PLOL just came on here. And I met him this past week in Vegas. And I haven't really discussed this in the forum, but I did. I met, I met him and... Is this a casual encounter? Well, or? it was. Listen, I, I met him after 11 p.m. And I told him I have to meet him after 11 p.m. After everybody goes to sleep, which is true. It's like a grinder? Well, hold on. And he is a young gay man. I know. Yeah, so, so I, I actually went to go meet a young gay man in Las Vegas after everybody went to sleep. You know, earlier you started a sentence with, uh, I had a hooker. <laughs> well, I, I don't think anyone believes PLOL is a hooker, so I, don't, I think that... Uh, no, 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 I'm not calling him a hooker, okay. I'm just saying that... Oh, you're you saying know, it's two separate you're, things. You're, you're yeah. starting to engage in, uh, you know, some risky behavior. Yeah, it was a wild trip there, so... So I, I met him, and uh, we, we spent some time together there. I won't talk about what did or didn't happen, but uh, you know, he was a nice guy. I enjoyed meeting him. I won't tell you how much I enjoyed meeting him, but I enjoyed meeting him. <laughs> and uh, it was too bad we couldn't meet One Step. He was uh, Well, he met One Step, but One Step was there as well, but I uh, was not able to be there to meet him until he was already gone. So no One Step. It was just me and PLOL, but I really did meet him. And it's the first... Uh, f- Actually, the first new forum person I've met since Mumbles Badly. So, I, I have to say my streak is still alive. That the forum people I've met, it's all gone well. That there's never been one forum person I met and said afterwards, "Wow, I wish I didn't meet that guy." It's it still hasn't happened. I know Brandon's had it happen to a few times where it's backfired pretty badly when he uh, met someone from the forum. But for me, so far, I'm running well with that. All my experiences have been good. And uh, I, I guess, Calwad, that means in, that includes you, too, because I met you. And well, it goes well until we don't hear from you ever again, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the problem. I, I, I could be running well just, just to be setting myself up for uh, the really bad one. Where I go yeah, you someone. might be one, like one of those tournament players that just happens to be running hot. You yeah. Know? You don't even realize it. Yeah. And then one day I'll, I'll go meet someone from the forum who seems normal on the forum, and then I won't come back. Let's be gone. It'll be a person who's uh who's feigned kindness all this time just to get me alone and shoot me but that's that's the chance i have to take here with uh running the show and <laughs> and and meeting with the occasional forum member so anyway that that really did happen i really did meet him and uh it, my girlfriend actually wanted to meet him but it, it got too late we just weren't available to do it until late and then uh you know i would have had to bring benjamin along late it just wouldn't have worked so but I, I would have done it otherwise. And she, you know, she lurks. She knows who he is. She knows uh, 
she doesn't read every single thread on the forum, but she does lurk on it sometimes, and she she's aware of a lot of the stuff here. So he's been around for a long time. Anyway, let's see what the chat room has to say. Uh, PLOL says it's on the DL. Can you discuss how I paid for your cheesecake and you didn't even say thank you? You know, it's it's funny he mentions that. It, it's true, actually. I, I saw him paying. At first I meant to offer, but then I forgot to offer. And then uh, after after that, I think, okay, well, that was nice of him to pay. I'll thank him. And then I forgot to thank him. <laughs> uh, I'd be more worried if he paid for his beefcake, you know? Yeah, but no, in my defense, though, uh, he kind of just paid. He didn't like I'll get that. So like, if it, I only noticed it like just as the guy was taking the the check from him. But no, PLO, listen, I I I apologize for that. I should have said a thank you for it. I should have offered to pay. I I really pay my half. Uh, I I meant to do both of those things. I really did, and I forgot. And uh, both. I don't know, Druff. You're you're the one who's been talking about. You know, you want the the girls to meet you out late at night so that you don't have to pay for a nice dinner and everything. I, is uh, it crap, really? I forgot I, forgot I talked about accident that. Accident that I, this I, happened. I, I forgot I talked about that. Yeah, that day. it was late at night and uh, yeah, didn't pay anything. But I'll tell mm-hmm. you, like, if I was going to roll him, I probably would have ordered more than cheesecake. <laughs> and he copied my order too. Like I ordered cheesecake and he orders the same cheesecake. So. That's so cute. Did I, you guys I, share the plate? Well, yeah, I was, I was wondering if that was going to happen. But he, I was like, why he's copying my order here? In fact, maybe, maybe that's why I didn't pay, like, at a protest. I just, uh, <laughs> he's, he's refusing to let me have the individual identity of my own dessert order. There were other desserts there, a lot of other desserts. So, uh, something that kept happening, by the way, when we were together is he was repeatedly ID'd. Now, he's 26 years old, but he looks very young. So he's a very young-looking 26. Which I don't know. When you're 26, do you want to look young? I know when you're 46, you want to look young. And when you're 36... You eat, from what I remember, and it's been a long time, but you don't really want to start uh, looking younger until you hit 30. That's you know? what I thought. Yeah, I was like, I, I remember in my 20s, when, when I did look young, I, I, I was annoyed and people thought I was younger than I was. And I don't remember what I thought of this like in my mid to late 20s. I knew after 30, then I was happier to be seen as looking younger. And definitely now, if someone were to think I was younger than my age, I'd be happy with that. No, I just don't fucking believe them. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> so, uh, so uh, PLOL said, uh, I think he's answering us here, that uh, yes, if you're gay. But I don't think it's a gay thing. I think... Uh, or wait, wait, is he saying yes, it's good to look younger? Oh, I think he's saying yes if you're gay. Okay, like if it's good to look younger than your age if you're gay in your twenties, but if you're straight, then you probably don't. That might be true. I think that's what he's trying to say. Anyway, yeah, he got carded like four times, including twice. Like I had to run some free play in the high limit room of Caesars, like just quick things. So I brought him over there while I did it, and while we were sitting in there, two different women carded him in a short period of time, and then when we were at the Bellagio for the infamous cheesecake incident uh he he ordered a beer and i i just ordered water so uh, but anyway he ordered a beer and a different server brought the beer and put the beer in front of me <laughs> so <laughs> he said no 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 it's, i said no it's over for him and the server looks really surprised says, what you're old enough it might be something else too Druff. i remember when when i used to be a, a bouncer we used to card the good looking girls mm. so that we could get their name maybe you so know maybe uh the the girls that were carding him didn't know well, you know, the, the, that the he was girls for the, the other the, team, and they the, were interested in him. Uh, the girls that were carding him were like over fifty. But uh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, what is that? It's not a cougar. Is that a mountain lion, or yeah, what is that? Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, the 
the, the waiter who brought over the beer and put it in front of me was so shocked when he said, no, 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 it's for me. And uh, then he's, what? You're really over 21? So he pulled out the ID again for like the fourth or fifth time and showed it. And I'm thinking, this has got to be a hassle for him. I mean, I didn't care, but it was a... I would be frustrated if I had to keep going through this and showing my ID over and over and over again. And I, I thought that this is what I was thinking when this was happening with the beer. I think up until the moment when the beer was put in front of me and it was told to them that it was for him, they probably thought it was like a father and son dining out. And then probably after he showed he was 26, then it didn't make too much sense that he was my son. So at that then, point, at that point, they, they thought it was a twinkling. That's, right? that's what I'm sure they thought. I'm sure they believed it was like a, a you know, older man and his twink. But then they were probably confused why the twink was paying the bill. They must think, wow, this older guy did really well. You know, he's a, he, get, he gets the twink and the twink pays. Like, how often does that happen? So, <laughs> so, so I, I bet they changed what they were thinking of the meal. Like, I, I when they bring over the beer like that to me, it really looks like they think this is like the dad and his sons with him there, and the dad ordered the beer. So, uh, in reality, I, I could be his dad, but uh, I'm, I'm like 18 years older than he is. But it, it would be, I, it would have had to have been like a teen pregnancy. But he does look young. He looks more than 18 years younger than me, so I can easily believe why they would think of like a father and son thing. But not not once. You guys look alike? No, no. But uh, you know, it's two white guys, so so. Well. <laughs> but not not every son not, looks not like all his white father. people look alike. No, right? but not every son looks like his father. You don't have. They don't have to really think of that. So. Well, I'm, I'm saying they don't, here, don't look anything like the father. Then you know, you might want to get a paternity test. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, what I'm saying here is that uh, me dining with a teenager there is much more likely it's my son. Me dining with someone sure. who's 26, then uh, then it starts to look like it's a little bit different. So, right. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, Jay Staff saying in the chat, I lost my ID and told security. The guard told me, "Don't worry, we won't card you. Look, we look way over twenty-one." Well, that's true. I've met Jay Stat. I, I, I think you'd have to be actually blind to think he's under twenty-one. He's Jay Stat. He's he's an older guy. He's a good deal older than me. So, uh, I, I even asked one of the f- women in their fifty that was carding PLOL that said, uh, "You know, when it, she was saying, oh, we've got a," I said, "You know, this is the second time he's been asked in, in uh, ten minutes," and. I said, I noticed you guys aren't asking me for my ID. She says, well, we ID for under 30, and uh, you just barely made that in my eyes. I said, well, that, that was nice of you to say, but I don't think you believe it. But they, apparently, I, I, believe, I understand why they're so obsessed with this, though, because they can lose their license, their gaming license, if they're just letting people who are under 21 gamble or even hang out around there without attempting to aggressively ID. So it's just one of these things they have to do. Uh, so anyway, uh, Scott from the East Coast reminded me there is a bounty on him. So uh, in addition to the, the $300, there's a bounty, which I'm not sure is the amount, because it was going to be 25 then it was going to be 14 then I'm not sure if, it, if it's going to be 25 Let me see here. Maybe he clarified this in text. Um, oh, sorry, it's $10. Okay. See, I, the, the, <laughs> the bounty's all over the place. Anyway, bounty on Scott from the East Coast, who plays his S-double. For ten dollars, there you go, and he he's going to donate again in the future. So thank you to Scott, another generous listener, another guy I'm happy I met. In fact, I I enjoyed meeting him so much the first time I actually went to dinner with him and his wife this year. So okay, let's let's get going. But uh, no, seriously, P L O L. I I feel bad about the cheesecake thing. 
I totally forgot about it, but I feel bad. I, re- I appreciate that you bought a cheesecake for me, and I'll get over my resentment about you copying my order. And I do appreciate it. I appreciate any time someone spends any money on me. I think you would know that, uh, given my years of cheap judum. So, okay. Uh, you know, come to think of it, when we met, I bought you dinner, too. Uh, well, see, this is why I meet so many people. Yeah, you had like a nice fish dinner or whatever. Yeah, it's, true. it's true, I did. Yeah, you offered to do it. That's true. <laughs> I mean, this, it's very lucrative meeting these people. That's what the, the whole point. Like, I, I, what the hell? I, I, <laughs> you know? That's why I try not to meet the really broke ones, because they, I know they're going to want me to pay. But the, it's worth the risk. I mean, the very, very small chance something goes wrong might be worth all those free dinners. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think I would never have to make another penny in my life if I just meet, met radio listeners for the rest of my life every day. Like, what, we have like, you know, if, if there's 1,500 listeners here and I met one every day, I could, I could stretch this out for more than four years. Nah, I'm wise now, though. If we meet up again, it'll be after 11 o'clock <laughs> when, when all the places are closed, so it can't cost me any money. Well, you're already wise to it, but see, I already met you. You're, you're used up already. I, I just met oh. the next one. <laughs> I'm spent. Yeah, it's, it's one of these things. It's like you know, it's like you don't have a one night stand with the same person uh, again. You just you move on to the next one. Okay, so let, let's get on with the show here. I think the intro has gone. It's a obligatory hour. So I want to talk about the Aruba Poker Players Championship, and this is a crazy story. And I, I played a form of this tournament nine years ago. This was once the UB Aruba tournament, which turned out, by the way, with a number of the people who satellited in were satelliting in with stolen money. They didn't know that, but uh, Russ Hamilton was uh, when they weren't getting good enough numbers in the for the Aruba tournament. Russ Hamilton would say to them, "Hey, don't worry, I'll get you some more players." And then, <laughs> then he would go on with this with the account where he could see everyone's cards, play, win, and then hand the seat off to someone else. And that's how he'd get extra players. They just hold more satellites and Russ would cheat in them and win. But anyway, that's not the player's fault who won the satellite. In fact, I got bought into that tournament for free through UB, and I didn't know where that money was coming from. But anyway, they had that tournament every year in Aruba, and they they stopped. I'm not sure what year it stopped. Maybe after 2010, because UB was down in April 2011. I'm not sure if it went through 2010. I know at least through 2007 and probably a few years after that. 07 is when I played, and the tournament itself never had any controversy, aside from Russ stealing money to buy people into it. But as far as the tournament play itself, you know, it was normal, everyone got paid, it was just a normal tournament. Obviously, when UB went down, they weren't going to be holding any more Aruba tournaments. So, two individuals I hadn't heard of before stepped up, and in 2012, started holding these Aruba tournaments again in the exact same hotel. Basically, we're trying to recreate the Aruba tournament, but this time it was not run by UB. These two individuals' names are Brian Olton, that's O-U-L-T-O-N, and Sandy Schwartzbaugh, that's S-W-A-R-T-Z-B-A-U-G-H. So, Brian Olton and Sandy Schwartzbaugh, two guys, started up a new tournament series, and they called it the Poker Players Championship to replace it. Now, don't confuse this with the World Series of Poker Poker Players Championship, that 50K event that they have every year. This has nothing to do with the World Series. It's a, it's just the name of the tournament 
series that these guys started. The the PPC. imagine if that didn't get paid. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So they they started this up and it replaced the Aruba series. Now they went a little farther in that they started getting land based casinos that would have satellites into this thing, and they'd also have like smaller tournaments. So like they this this tour would go to land based casinos, mostly smaller ones, and they'd have smaller tournaments and then. They'd have satellites into this big Aruba tournament, including satellites which would pay you for your travel and your hotel expenses while there. Fourteen different casinos at some point had PPC events. These include Tampa Bay Downs, Foxwoods, which is, of course, a major casino, the Isle uh, Pompano Park, Tampa Greyhound Track, Daytona Beach Kennel Club, Ho-Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin, Maryland Live, which is another pretty big one, Naples, Fort, Fort Myers Greyhound, Horseshoe Tunica, which is a Caesars property, St. Croix Casino, Turtle Lake, Magic City Casino, Miami, Playground Poker Club, Horseshoe Council Bluffs, and Harris, North Kansas City. So three of them were actually Caesars properties, and two other ones, Maryland Live and Foxwoods, are pretty well-known big properties, and the Ho-Chunk uh, Gaming in Wisconsin is pretty well-known as well. So these weren't tiny rinky-dink uh, casinos. A few of them were, but they, they managed to get associated with some decent properties, and they would have these series there. Now, they seem to be spending a lot of money. They would hire bloggers, including Mark Hoke, you know, of the Mark Hoke Show. He is part of this story. Mark Hoke didn't do anything wrong, by the way. He was a prince. He was an angel. But uh, he, he was part of the story, which I'll get to in a little bit. But they would hire bloggers. They'd hire other staff members. They, I believe, were hiring... They were the ones hiring the dealers and everything. Not 100% sure there, but they were spending a good deal of money on this thing. And the casinos that were having this, I believe, were splitting. I'm not sure what the exact split was, but they were splitting the proceeds. So if you think about it, the World Series of Poker, it's their own venue at the Rio. So they don't have to split it with anybody. You go to the World Series, and aside from their expenses they and, and what they pay out for the prize pool, they keep the rest of the money. They don't have to pay anyone else out. But when you're an independent poker series like this, like this PPC, and you hold it at these different places, well, these different places aren't going to just let you use their space and uh, and their cashier and everything else for nothing. They need they need to be paid for it as well. So there's always some agreement as to what these tours are contributing and what the venue is going to get. I don't know exactly what these agreements were, but it's important to understand that this cuts into their profit. If you own the venue, like the World Series does, then you make a lot more money than if you don't own the venue and you have to split the profits with the venue itself. And of course, the more people you hire to work for your company, that also eats into your profits. Now, I don't know if the PPC was profitable or if it wasn't profitable or if it was mildly profitable. I think it's probably mildly profitable. But the two guys who ran it apparently like to live beyond their means. And there were some weird things that were starting to happen. Now, first of all, and I can't believe this hasn't come out until now. If you go to Aruba and play this thing, and you cash more than 10K, they don't pay you the 10K. or They don't pay you more than 10K. They pay you 10K and tell you they'll send you the rest later. 
<laughs> can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine you go to a tournament and you win a hundred thousand and say, "Okay, here's ten k for now. We'll send you the other ninety k in a few weeks." Hell no! I've never heard of this in my life. Now, if I heard this from Caesars, you know, maybe we're at least not during the bankruptcy. But if if I heard this from a large reputable company, then yeah, I'd say it's weird. But at least I wouldn't be afraid they wouldn't pay me. But can you imagine? Like a, I'd a, still be concerned. I mean, I would be too because of why it's happening. But uh, it's yeah. so non-standard. But at least with a very large company, you can feel a little more confident as long as you know they're not in trouble. If the company's about to collapse, then yeah, you should be very concerned. I mean, I guess that's very, very atypical. Though, it it is. Know? It is. I'm just saying if it's, if it wasn't really atypical. But but can you imagine that a, a small operation like this PPC is telling you this and that they're going to be the ones paying you? And you're supposed to trust that? Now, if this just happens for the first time, if they hold this in 2012 and then they present you with the bad news when you finish fifth place or whatever, well, there's nothing you can do at that point other than bitch about it and let everyone know what happened. But uh, this has been going on every year and no one says anything. That's what's amazing to me is that this has just been standard operating procedure over there. And it's not like this is the first out-of-country tournament they have. And by the way, what's the reason they claim? What reason are they telling the players that they do this? Well... They're claiming that since $10,000 is the maximum amount of cash you can bring into the U.S. without filling out a form showing that you're, you're carrying more than that, that uh, that's the most they can give you, and that they can't give the rest for another few weeks because the money that was bought in for the tournament that, that the Aruba Casino is holding, it, it takes a few weeks for the Aruba Casino to transfer that money into the U.S. due to Aruban law. <laughs> and, and people bought this people thought okay that's fine all right I mean, it's, it's a little bit weird but okay and in previous years people got paid but why were people accepting this why why were the first why didn't anybody ask wait a minute what does this ten thousand dollars thing have have to do with why you're not paying me it's the individual's problem if, if you are given a hundred thousand dollars by someone in aruba and you've got to bring that back in the u.s you can do it. You just have to declare it. You have to de- when right. you or when you land, you have to go to customs and say, "I'm carrying hundred thousand dollars cash, and here's how I got it." That's what you have to do. If you don't, then they can seize it from you. Yeah, the problem is not having that amount of money. The problem is not declaring it. Right. So you can take it, and even yeah. And this is the player's problem. This isn't the problem for the t- the tour. It's not like the tour is not allowed to give you more than ten thousand. They can give you whatever the hell they want. So they don't even give people an option. It's not, like it's not like they're saying that there there is an option that if you don't want to carry more than 10K cash, that they can hold it for you in a few weeks then send you the rest. No, you had to do this. There was no way they would pay you. You could not get paid in full even if you wanted to. So people believed this, and they also believed about the stupidity about the Aruban law that doesn't allow them to transfer the money to the U.S. to pay you for a few weeks. Now, no one also bothered to ask, wait a minute, you're a continuation or a reforming of the UB tournament. Now, how come the UB tournament didn't have to do this? How, how come the same casino holding the tournament all the way up until when UB went down, now this one replaces it? How come the UB tournament in Aruba didn't have these problems? How come everyone got paid in full in that one, but they can't in this one if it's Aruban law? Nobody bothered to ask that, which is amazing that after five years, this is the fifth year, that people actually were still showing up knowing this was the case. And no one was raising a flag going, wait a minute, see, this is crazy. I think there's a scam going on here. I think this is weird. Like, no one's posting about this, how odd this is, and no one's raising an issue. Now, I'll be honest with you, I had never even heard of this tournament. 
I hadn't either, but but there were many experienced players playing there. For example, Charter, Christian Harder, who used to be a member of Neverwin Poker. Uh, he played it this year, and he finished ninth, in fact. He got paid because it was under 10 k But how could Charter be going to play this thing after knowing this? Like, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how experienced players who've been around to international venues where this never happens, why this one venue claims they can't pay you. Like, what, what's so magical about Aruba that they can't pay you more than 10 k but everywhere else in the world can? And how come even Aruba could when UB was doing it? So it made no sense. No one ever asked the tough questions, to my knowledge. I think everyone was so obsessed with, number one, oh, the tournament's good, you know, the, the players aren't good, I, I, I think it's positive EV for me. And number two, as is common with many scammers, the owners of the PPC, Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbaugh, were very personable, very nice. They were described as chill guys. So nobody wanted to rock the boat with these nice guys and ask them these tough questions. If, if they say that they can't get the money out of uh, Aruba, you just got to believe them because they're so nice. So in 2015, there was a problem. But this problem didn't really make it out into the public. A guy named Vincent Fiorenza, I've never heard of him, he won the tournament in 2015. His payout was supposed to be about $106,000. However, he was not paid, and they were stalling him. I'm not sure how much he was paid, but he was paid first the 10 k and then they stalled paying him the remaining 96 I think they paid part of it, then they paid another part, but they were not getting the whole thing done, and he was getting very frustrated, supposedly. I don't have this confirmed, but that's what someone who is friends with him was saying on 2 Plus 2. And that he was complaining privately to friends about how ridiculous this was. So finally, apparently, after two months, they paid Vincent Fiorenza his entire 106K. Did Vincent come forward at that point and say, hey, guys, you better watch out here. This whole story about a few weeks is BS. They took two, two months to pay me and jerk me around. No. Vincent was happy he had his money and kept his mouth closed. Now, it's not his responsibility to get involved, but I wish he or someone who knew him did. So... They were already slow paying, slow paying back then in 2015. I don't know about the people who finished second, third, fourth, but I know, you know I, I read about the Vincent story, which again, I don't know if for 100% is true, but someone was claiming this is what happened on 2 Plus 2, and I think I believe it. But this year is when it all came crashing down. Uh, now, first of all, before I go on what happened this year, there were many satellites into this tournament. So... If you think about the way a satellite works to a different venue, who gets the money initially? Like, let's say there's a satellite held at, at the uh, at Harris North Kansas City, and you win it. Well, what do you get? You get the package for the Aruba tournament. Do you actually get any money? No. You get, you get a buy-in for something in the future that they're, that they're handling. So who does Harris North Kansas City give the money to? Well, they give it to the PPC. Because they're basically paying in advance for your Aruba tournament. Yep. So, so don't you think that this becomes very tempting for unscrupulous tour operators who are paid all this money in advance for satellites to maybe borrow some of this money for themselves? Hookers and blow. Yep. So, also, if a lot of the people at this Aruba tournament satellited in, then why is Aruba even holding any of the money? How is this even happening? Shouldn't the money be held by the tour operators? I mean, I guess they can claim that they had to go down to 
Aruba, you know, bring the money there and deposit and you know actually buy in through the cage to get the person there. But it doesn't look like it. It looks like that they were just using the venue and operating everything because if if the Aruba Casino, which I think was like the Aruba Palms or something, if they were the ones involved in buying in and paying out, then they wouldn't. They would have just paid everyone. This would, there wouldn't have been this ten k thing. Yeah, and and a scrupulous uh, company puts this in escrow, right? I mean, right. that's where the money goes. So, so this, uh, so every time you won a satellite, then the money was going to the PPC. Now, part of the satellite apparently was uh, involved travel expenses, but did they give you money up front for the travel expenses? No, of course not. No. You're supposed to show up there on your own dime and then ask them for the travel expenses back. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's really so hard when you win a tournament, a, a satellite tournament, for them to just give you the travel expense money up front. Now, uh, I, they may claim, well, we want you to show up for it. Well, why should they care? It's actually <laughs> it's better for the other players if you don't show up for it. So even if you go blow the travel money and can't show up, then you know you could sell the seat. You could just if you don't show, it's a, it's a paid for seat that doesn't get that uh, people. It's basically almost like an overlay for the, these players. So you, you think any poker players there are going to go? Oh man, this guy at my table, he never showed. Wow, I wish he was here. No, you're, you're thrilled to see a dead stack at your table. It's free chips. So people were having issues with getting paid back. There was people who complained that last year they never got their travel money. And they just kind of dropped it because they were, you know, they were given stories like, "Oh, we forgot our checkbook." Seriously, they they got that answer. We got forgot our checkbook. Uh, oh, we're having issues with our bank account. You know, the usual scammer crap. And people, a lot of people didn't get paid, or if they did, they had to really, really lean on them to get their like small amount of money, relatively small amount of money for the travel expenses. That was apparently occurring last year. And again, word didn't get out very much. So this year. It all came crashing down, as you might imagine with this type of crap going on, that it all came crashing down. The tournament took place in November, as usual, in 2016. The top eight people finished with a $10,000 payout or more. A guy named Jose Montez finished eighth place for 10600 He got paid in full. I guess they decided that uh, it was close enough to ten k. They just wanted to you know, get him out of the way to have one fewer pe- person. But I thought know. you couldn't leave the country without. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that, also, yeah, that yeah. also makes it questionable. Like, well, how can they <laughs> how come they can pay Jose Montez ten thousand six hundred, but nobody else more than a penny more than ten k? So they paid right. Jose Montez uh, ten thousand six hundred for eighth. Everybody else uh, above that seventh and above. They only got 10k. So seventh place, uh, Steve Carp was uh, 16k. Steve Carp. Yeah. <laughs> what a great name for yeah. a poker player. Yeah. It, was a, it was with a K, but uh, still. Oh, okay. John, uh, Joan Sandoval, 21k. John Ott, 32k. Michael Lerner, 48k. Uh, Dorian Pavone, uh, 74k. James Biedenel got ninety, almost ninety-one k, and the winner Stephen Deutsch, one hundred thirty-three k. So they all got ten k, and that was it. And they were all told wait ten to fifteen or fifteen to twenty days for the usual BS that you know, Ruben Law, we got to get the money out of the country, blah blah blah. You know, ten k maximum leaving the country, all this other nonsense that people just accepted at face value. I don't know if these people, how many of these seven knew that they were only getting ten k up front. Now, if they don't. 
if they don't inform people of this, by the way, before entering the tournament or traveling to Aruba, that's already very unethical in itself. In that you, this is so non-standard. You you have to make sure everybody who plays fully understands this. But that's that's just an aside here. That compared to what happened, that's that's nothing. So that was uh, the the tournament concluded on November seventh. Today is December twenty third, and nobody's been paid. Far more than fifteen to twenty days, of course. Well, they they all got the ten grand, right? But yeah, they got the it. ten grand. That's it. But like like uh, Stephen Deutsch is out uh, one hundred twenty three k, and wow. the second place finisher is out eighty one k. So this this is brutal. Uh, on November twenty first, just two weeks after this tournament ended, I know you're going to be shocked, but uh, Sandy one of the owners of the PPC, was sending out Facebook me- private Facebook messages to people asking for investors. Oh, God. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that nobody's been paid yet. I'm sure a total coincidence that they're looking for investors two weeks after nobody's been paid for uh, the top seven spots. This is that's, what- that's the amazing thing. I mean, this is a, a tournament, right? And I realize that they, as you were saying, they have expenses, but the money comes out of the prize pool, right? Mm-hmm. That people are buying into. I mean, yep. what did these guys do with the money? So I, I'm sure living beyond their means, and then they they were kind of just barely making it work. Like they were probably borrowing from Peter to pay Paul in previous years, and then it came crashing down this year. So, and th- then trying to talk to your friends yeah. to try and get investors. I mean, so, how so, shitty is that? So th- this is what they wrote. This is what they wrote here. Uh, Andy, hope all is well. Need to get back to you to need need to get you back to Aruba next year. Based on our growth, our growth, <laughs> we have an opportunity we wanted to send your way. The PPC Poker Tour just wrapped up its most, you like this, its most successful season yet. Nice. <laughs> the PPC Poker Tour season four, I guess it's only been going for four years, or maybe it's been going since 2013, whatever. Uh, 30 events, 10 states, 5th annual PPC Aruba Championship. That's weird. How does season 4 have the 5th annual championship? Now I'm really confused. Uh, and 2016 PPC Aruba main event prize pool, 554000 was the prize pool. Now, how much did they pay people? Probably a small fraction of that, but hey, that was the prize pool. Uh, as we move into 2017, our 5th tour season, we are at an exciting point of critical mass. That, that part I agree with. Uh, that, will, that will take the tour from 30 stops nationwide... Yeah, 30 sta- stops nationwide to 0.0. No, I, he's claiming 50 stops in 2017. The first thing is actually true. Uh, followed by 100 total in 2018. We will also be adding two additional scaled-down Aruba events leading into our PPC Aruba World Championship in October 2017. In addition, we are in talks with some high-end sponsors to become the title sponsor of the tour for the years to come. We are currently looking for our second round of funding to take us to the next level. Investors that join our team will be coming in during our largest growth spurt to date. We'll also be using their money to pay out the people that we cheated. Uh, See, do you you remember when we were talking about, uh, you know, people that... uh, they they claim they're in talks with or whatever, and we're joking around mm-hmm. about they had uh, you know that poor exec's number and they're harassing her. I mean the same verbiage is in here. You know we're yep. we're in talks with high level sponsors. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> they they probably sent some emails out and yeah. they're considering that in talks with somebody. It, it's time that we take the, that big step to be the largest poker tour in the world when it comes to overall stops. For the first time since inception in 2010. 
We will be offering up to 50% equity in the PPC and are looking for a few new investors to push us to the next level. We both feel the time is right to bring on some new partners. If you'd like to send us, us to send over some more details, forward your email and we'll send some investment options next week. Thanks again and wishing you a great holiday season. S- sincerely, Sandy Schwarzbaugh, Commissioner PPC Poker Tour, Sandy at PPCPokerTour.com, Twitter at PPCPokerTour, and he gives an office phone number, which we'll try to call in a second. Sure, yeah, it's a, the time is right, Druff, because I got bills I got to pay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this obviously was to acquire the money to pay out the, the winners, and the, what's Maybe. interesting? So what? So I mean, what, it, it might also be their last hurrah, man. Maybe they'll just take the money and leave the country. That's true. And, and also, they <laughs> they apparently were offering something they didn't even have. Someone was saying they looked into it and found that they only were sixty percent owners. So they were only they were offering fifty percent of the company when they only own sixty uh, percent. I don't think they're going to leave themselves with ten, but maybe they will. If they're just going to run off with it. I guess the company's worth about zero right now. So Sandy Schwarzbaugh and Brian Alton have also since deleted their Twitter accounts. Shocking. They initially blocked anyone asking them questions about the situation. On the PPC's Facebook page, if you dare ask about the money, they will delete your message. But they are receiving Facebook communications. If you send them Facebook messages, it says seen by you know, whatever on the, whatever time. So they're, they're seeing it. They're just not answering anybody. Many reports have since surfaced on 2 Plus 2 regarding shady behavior in the past of both owners, about uh, slow-paying people even for just a few hundred bucks. A lot of red flags that are just being found out about now. Even PFA's road, even PFA Radio's friendly competition, Mark Hoke. We always talk about the Mark Hoke show and all the sponsorships he gets and all the traveling he does. I know Brandon was asking why we couldn't travel to all, around the world and report on poker tournaments and how Mark Hoke's probably being paid to do so. We were jealous of Mark Hoke. We were stating that Mark Hoke gets all the sponsors. We get nothing. He has enough money to get booths at the World Series with a, a banner behind him with, with you know, 15 different sponsors, and we have nobody. I'll admit I was jealous, but I'm not quite as jealous right now because Mark Hoke was one of the victims here. This was posted by a guy named Richard Hebert, who was once a tournament director at Maryland Live, I guess all the way up until August of this year. And he got to know Sandy and Mike. And he also followed what occurred this year, even after he wasn't the tournament director there anymore. So apparently, Maryland Live had a PPC event after this Aruba event in late November. Well, the heat was starting to turn up on Sandy and Mike, though. People weren't getting paid, and then there, I guess there were also employees and others who hadn't been paid. So there's a lot of different people coming at Sandy and Mike saying, where's our money? And they were having a hard time dealing with the scrutiny. So, in the middle of the Maryland Live Tournament in late November, they claim, this is on a Sunday, they claim they were going to a Baltimore Ravens game, and they never returned. They just left. <laughs> you never saw Sandy and Mike again. They just ditched out on their own tournament. Now, apparently Mark Hoke, who was hired by them, was still around. Yeah, I guess he was the only one still, ra- still remaining of the employees that they had hired. Oh, so so uh, some, Richard Abreu wrote this. He said, On day two of the 75K guaranteed, I approached their blogger, Mark Hoke, and asked why he drew the short straw. He looked at me confused and asked what I was talking about. I responded, Well, Brian and Sandy are headed to the Ravens and Dolphins game. Looks like you're running the whole show. 
Whose Cheerios did you piss in, buddy? <laughs> so oh, then man. he says, Mark slammed both his fists on the table. And this is a very mild-mannered guy, by the way. Mark slammed both his fists on the table and yelled out a few foul words, followed by the statement, Those motherfuckers are dodging me, goddamn them. I haven't been paid since before Aruba. My rent is due, my electricity is about to be cut off in Vegas, and they're jerking around having a good goddamn time with my money. So, Mark Hoke, for all his uh, extravagant travels around the poker scene, all the sponsors, is uh, he says his electricity is about to be turned off in Vegas and his rent is due. So, <laughs> I, I, I think Mark Hoke actually does this for a living. I wish I could do this show for a living. But uh, Mark Hoke does, I think. So, that's... Uh, that's the problem here. It's, it's hard to make a living on, on a show like this. And he's also being paid to be a blogger, apparently. Well, yeah. That's, I mean, he does these things. He has sponsors. He, he goes to these tournaments. Presumably, they pay for his travel. They pay for his blogging. So I, I understand. But he was one of the people they were jerking around. So he, he was counting on this money for them. And I guess Mark is kind of you know, not doing that great. So he, he really needed this money. And <laughs> so then they just go ditch out and claim, claim they're going to the Ravens game. And then, they, and then they ask Mark, oh, so you're running this now? How'd that happen? You know, you, uh, <laughs> he's like, God damn it. They don't pay me and they leave me here? They're, they're having a good time with my money? They're, they're jerking me around. He was so pissed. So poor Mark Hogue. I'd be pissed too. No, I don't blame him. Poor Mark Hogue. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, so, Maybe you don't want to trade places with him. Yeah, I don't anymore. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, the jealousy has evaporated. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one reason, uh, so, so this whole reason about the they can't pay 10k on the spot is garbage. I, I don't know why the players didn't question this. Like, how can it go on since either 2012, 2013, all the way through now, and they're doing it that way every year? I don't care if everybody gets their money three weeks later. They shouldn't. They should get it right then. They should at least have the option to get it right then. Why are people accepting this? This is so non-standard. We've had international tournaments for so long. For more than a decade. How, how is this something that people accept? I could not believe it that experienced poker players were believing that this is something that is okay. How do you not have this happen once and then cry bloody murder even if you get your money? Even if you know this going in, how do you not point this out to the poker world saying something wrong is happening here? And at the very least, force them to prove that what they're saying is true. That you can't bring more than 10k into the U.S., which is false. That Aruba won't release the money. That they actually have to bring the money all the way to Aruba to put it in with their cashier, who then, for whatever reason, can't pay it out to you. It may it would make no sense. And and why they have to do this so differently than UB did uh, when they held this tournament for so many years? Why why did nobody ask about that? I have no idea. I, I tweeted to Charter asking him, and he didn't answer me from what I could see. So let me let me just make sure before I say that. I, I mean, I don't want to bash Charter here. He he wasn't quite a victim. He would have been a victim if he had finished above ninth or above eighth. He finished ninth for nine k, so he got paid. But if yeah, he was very close to being a victim. Yeah, it'd be one of the few times that you'd be really relieved that you bubbled, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I I don't get it. Like I don't get. Uh, I yeah, he didn't respond to me. I, I don't understand why Charter would have gone there under the circumstances. It's it's so weird. Like why would someone who's experienced ever tolerate this without? screaming to the poker community something's wrong here at the very least let's verify this is really true i think we're being scammed like that'd be the first well, thing you I know do. i mean it, they came up with a semi-plausible explanation and the fact that they eventually had paid people in the past probably people just didn't worry about it you know they're like yeah this sounds a little sketchy but they paid everybody in the past so 
Yeah, I still I, see. I'd be the guy who'd be announcing this to everywhere. <laughs> I, oh, there's no yeah, way I would, no, I, I, I. There's no way I would tolerate too. I'm this. I'm just saying that's probably why. Even if yeah. I got back to the states and they and the, and like there was a check waiting for me in my mailbox, I, I I would still raise hell about this. If even if I hadn't signed up for it and just read about it, I'd be raising hell about it. Right. Because it just it's this is just ripe for abuse. The the it's not like the casino is going to pay you. The, this poker tour is going to pay you. How do you know it's going to happen? The answer is you don't. And they didn't. So it doesn't matter if they did it for a few years. Now, some people are theorizing the way they were able to pay in the past is that they were probably uh, you know, soliciting investors or, or borrowing money from people. Who knows what they were doing to get this done? But uh, it's, it's clear that people, these people are not going to get paid. They're not, especially now that this all came out. The, the only reason they would yeah, pay... If they're p- deleting their Twitter accounts, I mean, yeah, forget it. It's done. They're, they're quitting. Like, Let's say they paid everybody tomorrow. You think everyone would say, okay, well, we're coming back to the Aruba PPC next year. Of course not. No one's going to trust these guys again. Yeah, the event's been burned. No one, no one's going to trust satellites. No, no casino's going to trust them anymore. No one's going to trust them. Now, you may wonder, what about the Maryland Live thing? Do people get cheated there? Well, I, I don't know if there are any satellites, but if there were... For, for all the regular tournaments, no one got screwed, because in the U.S. events, the... Poker rooms handle the money, so that. Well, I don't know. I don't know, Drift. I mean, maybe maybe it's not completely over. I mean, didn't uh, Spirit Rock Prahlad? Didn't he go back to UB after he got ripped off by? <laughs> seriously, you know. I mean, seriously. I mean, it, maybe they still have a shot. <laughs> maybe they can come back. Well, I just I think the casinos won't even touch them anymore after this. I th- yeah. That's the biggest. Even if there's players willing to forgive it, I think the casinos are not going to associate with them anymore. Well, they can hold it in bingo halls or something. <laughs> so. Well, they already held it at Greyhound tracks, so it's not much of a bigger stretch. So that's that, and I think there is more proof there really is a sucker born every minute. Now, I, I do feel sorry for the victims, especially the ones who didn't know they wouldn't be paid on the spot. And I have to say, it's really, really brutal. Even if you knew this going in and just bought their explanation, I feel so bad for this Stephen Deutsch who went 133k, and I don't know how much money he has. Hopefully he's really rich and he doesn't feel it, but he had to be really, really rich to not feel 133k. And I think you'd be pissed no matter how much. No, I would be pissed, but like, like just the fact you you look at what you could have bought with that money to to really not feel like, oh my god, what I could have done with this money is you have to be really, really, really rich where that money doesn't matter to you. 133k. God forbid he did something crazy like. Expected he had this money coming and, you know, charged some crazy shit on his credit <laughs> That's cards. True. That's that true. That would be horrible. Yeah, but but can you imagine how tilting, you know, how you finally win this tournament you've always been dreaming of winning? That you, you, yes, I can pay off my backers. You know? Yeah, you, you, win, you win that first place, you're on cloud nine, you, you just, yeah. you know the money's coming to you and it just it just never comes. It was all smoke and mirrors. You got 10K out of your 133, the other 123 you're never seeing. Came all the way to Aruba. Had the very best possible result, and then you, you only win 10K. It's just, it's just horrible. So, and people who, people never got their travel expenses, there's that complaint as well. Those people are out money. This whole thing's a mess. So, yeah, it, it appears that these two guys, Sandy Schwarzbaugh and Brian Olton, are scammers. And, now they may have, not started this with the idea that they're going to just steal from everybody. They they may have wanted this to be a huge thing. I'm sure they would have been thrilled that the PPC grew into this hugely profitable company that became the next WPT or WSOP. I'm sure they. I'm sure then they were not going to run off with everybody's money. 
at least not not yet. But when you're making only a little bit of money, which is probably what was happening, probably after all their expenses, they were probably making money, but not a whole lot and not enough to finance the lifestyle they wish they had. And they are holding all this satellite money. It's, it's very tempting to start stealing it, to start borrowing from it. It's even possible that like Howard Lederer and Chris Ferguson, who still don't believe they did anything wrong, that they rationalized to themselves of why they had to, quote, borrow this money. And they figured, hey, if everybody gets paid eventually, if we have to cut a few corners, if we have to get a few new investors, as long as we're holding these tournaments, everyone's having fun, people are getting paid eventually, who cares where we're getting this money or how we're getting it? As long as people eventually have it in their pocket, who gives a crap? And then, Yeah, they probably had to meet payroll, and they're like, well, you know, we're going to get paid. Yeah. And they, they didn't really care about the fact that uh, they were holding these other people's money. Yeah. So so eventually they, they ran out of ways to pay the people they were borrowing from without the people knowing they were being borrowed from. You know, they're basically borrowing from the prize pool. They couldn't raise the money, and that was that. So then they tried that Hail Mary attempt to get investors on November 21st, and, first, and when that didn't happen, then... They had to just disappear, turn off their Twitters, go away. So, uh, I, I I bet in their minds they don't go to bed tonight thinking that they're scammers or thinking that they are bad people. They just probably believe it was a business that didn't work out, that they, uh, they were trying to get together the money to pay everybody. Didn't. The business went under. Oh, well, we did our best. The business just couldn't survive. Happens with businesses every day, they probably think to themselves. They probably don't realize that they stole. It's, it's it's similar to Full Tilt. Just borrowing for money you're holding. What you say is for the good of the company. Not realizing that the money you're holding belongs to other people. It's not your money to borrow from. You are stealing from other people and calling it borrowing. That's what Full Tilt did. That's what UB did. It's appropriate this tournament took over where UB left off. Cause <laughs> I mean, honestly, Drift, depending on what they uh, advertised was happening, and depending on what actually did go on, they could be facing criminal charges. They could be, and that's what people are talking yeah. about. There. People are talking about reporting this, and there's a stupid debate on 2 plus 2 whether the FBI is going to care or not. It does. It is true that for the FBI to care, you have to get their attention in some way to where they find yeah. it, where they want to spend their time investigating. Like, for example, when Joe Seabock had his account hacked... And they, you know, his p- pictures of his penis were distributed. Uh, the FBI actually didn't care too much about that. They didn't care that much about the hacking or the penis pictures. In fact, uh, the FBI even told us on the phone that they don't even care if we allow the penis pictures to stay up. <laughs> I, I actually had an FBI agent telling me this that uh, we don't care about the pictures. You can leave them up. That's not our, we don't. That's not our concern. Which was poor le- Joe. Nobody cares about his dick. <laughs> so, but uh, what the FBI was very concerned about, what got their attention, was that these hackers were trying to extort money out of Joe. Mm. They were trying to extort him related to the penis pictures, and then they were also trying to extort him related to access they had gotten to his online poker accounts, and that they were going to blow all the money in the online poker accounts if he didn't pay them something. And also they did this to other people they hacked as well, that they would take over online poker accounts and try to extort money out of them or threaten to just shoot off all the money. So that got the FBI's attention when extortion was involved. 
So that's why they got involved. Well, and probably because it was a syndicate too, right? It was something that they were repeating and continuing to yeah. do to a number of different people. Yeah, it was just two guys, but yeah, they were repeating, repeatedly doing this too, which I don't know if they were aware at the time when the FBI started investigating. Anyway, they caught the guys. They got a few years in prison, and uh, uh, that, that got their attention. So it, it just depends. You have to get the right person at the FBI who says, hey, I'd like to investigate this, and the FBI, a lot of times what they choose to investigate depends upon whether they can have bragging rights about busting the case. So if it's something that involves a whole lot of money, then yes. If it's something that's like a, an interesting case, then yes. Uh, if it's something that's kind of boring and run-of-the-mill and doesn't involve a large sum of money, the FBI may not want to touch it. They may direct you to go back to your local police, who then often either doesn't have the resources or doesn't have the know-how to investigate it. So you can hit a dead end. But this, this one may actually get somewhere because it involves so many different uh, casinos and it has an international aspect to it. And this this one I could I'll, I'll see. see there just isn't enough money there, Drew. There probably isn't. But I, I could see at least it has some elements which could attract the FBI to it if, if brought we in the right hope. way. So I, I, hope, I hope whoever's victimized by this can bring it to them. Uh, I couldn't bring this to them if I wanted to because I wasn't a victim. You cannot report a crime uh, if you're not a victim. Or you can rep- you can do what you want, but uh, you're typically not going to be taken seriously, especially a financial crime. Like if Now, if I were to report something like, uh, um, hey, I, I, saw, I saw this kid being molested down the street, and yeah, th- that they would take seriously. But not if I, I – I can't say such and such person is a scammer and they scammed such and such third-party person that I have no relation to other than knowing them, being friends with them, then that is something that I could never uh, get any action taken by doing. You, you, can't, you can't, as a third party, report a scam. You have to be a victim of the scam. Maybe if you're a direct relative of the person scammed and they don't have the ability to report it for themselves, like an elderly father or something, but I, I can't just say some guys I know from a poker forum got scammed. I, I can report all I want to the FBI about that. They won't take it seriously. But if, if you were a victim or you know a victim that you can get this to, I'd strongly suggest that they get a hold of the FBI or even go to their local police and report this and maybe get directed to the right place to do it. So uh, hopefully these, something will happen to these two guys because they this was not just a failed business. This was scamming. This was stealing. They, they definitely committed crimes here, and I hope they will... Face the music for this, and just... Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. In general, playing live poker tournaments is very safe as far as getting paid. It's not like online where you don't know you have the money until it's in your bank account. Live tournaments, it's pretty damn safe that when you're playing there, if you win, you're going to get the money. In fact, I've never even considered before that it could ever happen where you wouldn't. (laughs) This is a new one on me. But if there's ever anything non-standard like this, Anything which just seems weird regarding payouts that you don't see anywhere else, don't accept it. So number one, if if you hear this is the case before you play, I don't care how good the tournament is. I don't care how fishy the players are. Do not go play it. Number two, if you've already played, if you're already in the process of playing, if you've already bought in or you've already won and you hear this, do not accept it. Force them to prove it. Go to whatever gaming commission regulates them. If it's something like the this Aruba tournament where there's no real gaming commission regulating it, go to the venue, go to the hotel and ask them about it. Uh, 
and if they're claiming there's any laws on the books preventing them from paying you, have them show you the actual laws. Go to the venue and ask if there's any laws and ask them to show you. And if you don't get a satisfaction, immediately tell the world. Tell the other players. Tell the venue. Tell the poker world through forums. Tell everyone. Do not just accept their excuses. Do not accept stories about international law and and all this other nonsense that they try to peddle. Anytime that you're told to wait to get paid, this should not be happening. If it's in the U.S., demand to speak to someone in the Gaming Commission immediately. Hey, Drew, if you ever see that old Popeye cartoon... Oh, you ta- I know what you're talking about. You're talking about... Uh, yeah, so wimpy. you just follow the wimpy rule, right? Yeah. If anyone ever says to you, I would gladly pay you Tuesday for a cheeseburger today, yeah, you just say no. Yeah, don't accept it. <laughs> never never accept this. You should always be paid on the spot when you win. And if you don't, no. if it's in a place with a, with a gaming commission, like in the U.S., make sure that you get a hold of an agent there immediately demand that they give you get you a hold of the, get you in contact with an agent immediately or tell you how to get to them or find out yourself how to get to them and report it immediately or if it's not in the US then tell the organizers you pay me now or I'm telling the world do not accept these excuses from personable con men the fact that this happened at this point here we are at the end of 2016, and people were actually fooled by this for years. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. And I, I always say don't shame the victim. Don't blame the victim. And I'm not blaming the victim. I don't want you to think that I'm saying this is the victim's fault. It's not. But I'm also saying, if you have experience especially, and you tolerate something like this, then you are not acting responsibly with your own money. You are not protecting yourself. You are letting scammers take advantage of you. And I think too often poker players are blinded by what they believe are good games, good tournaments, uh, personable event organizers, and they don't use their common sense. But this was so non-standard. When I heard this, I could not believe it. When I heard the way this thing has been operating for years, I couldn't believe it. There aren't many things that shock me anymore in the poker world. This one shocked me. Not, Not that these guys stole. That didn't shock me at all. But that people for years were tolerating this outrageous payout scheme and somehow believed it was normal even if they knew it wasn't normal they believed in this case it was normal and it was fine okay so uh Calwood, i'm going to call you right back someone tried to call in before and i was having trouble taking their call at the same time as yours as skype issues i'm going to call you right back so i think we can do this okay okay uh let me connect it back and we will Get going with the show again to our next topic. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number. And let's see what the chat room has to say before we move on. Uh... Chris P. 200 is asking a few questions. Uh, Chris P. 200, who's actually, he brought this to our attention, this whole story in the first place. It was already posted on 2 Plus 2, but he led us to the thread, which I appreciate. Uh, he asked, are you supposed to take 100K on the plane? Well, no, you can get them to write you a check. 
you still have to declare it, I believe, but uh, you can take a check. He also said because the the Punta you, con- you do have to declare it. It's, yeah. they they say cash or or instruments, monetary right? instruments, yeah, you know, which means a check. Yeah, he says because the the Punta Cana, the Punta Cana Classic pays out similar to this. They pay 10k and put the rest in your WPN account. Then you withdraw from WPN. Well, okay. If if they do it right away, fine. Then if if they're saying that they don't want to deal with so much cash and and they're going to pay you 10k and pay, put the rest in your WPN account and you can check your WPN account before you leave, then okay, I, I wouldn't love that either, but fine. At least you see the money's there in some way. I actually was given this option when I uh, cashed 87K in St. Kitts in 2005. The Interpoker Network asked if I wanted the money paid to me directly or put in my Interpoker account. I said, just put it in my Interpoker account. They weren't forcing me to, but they gave me the option. But to tell you you're just not getting it in any way for a few weeks. Makes no sense. But yeah, I, I bet they cited that Punta Cana thing to try to make people even uh, more accepting of it. And again, guys running a, a little poker tour, you trust them much less than those running the, the winning poker network, which is a pretty big network. Not, not that they can't cheat you, because they could, but if, if I see something put in my winning poker network account, then I, I generally believe I'm going to get the money. You know, maybe it's slow to withdraw that much, but uh, I generally believe that it's there and not going to be taken away from me. If you just, if you just leave with nothing, that's, that's pretty bad. Uh, Chris also says this. I, I, I know Joan, who got seventh in this. She's a recreational player and is destroyed by this. That's too bad. Uh, Chris, since you know Joan, was she aware of this payout scheme not that this makes it okay. I'm just asking, was she aware, or did they spring this on her once she was there, <laughs> that she's only getting 10K max? Uh, I mean, not not to diminish what happened to uh, this person he knows, Joan, but honestly, like, it's probably better for this to happen to a recreational player than a professional, right? Because well, the, the recreational players have some other source of income. It's not what they do for a living. Uh, so Joan actually finished sixth. She finished sixth for 21K, so she, uh, she got less than half her, her payout. And that's probably all she'll ever get. I do see that's the only time she's ever cashed. At least yeah. according to I am to the uh, Hendon mob, it shows this is her only cash. And I'm sure she loves poker now. <laughs> yeah, you know? never, I mean, way to invite people into the yeah, game. Yeah, she'll probably never play another tournament. Like I, I can see it on both sides. I can see like for a, a pro, this can be devastating because they have to count on the money. For a recreational player, it can be devastating because th- they're not going to cash very often. And this is like their big moment. And then to not get more than half the money, you're like, what the hell? I've been, uh, I, I get lucky I get to cash. This is something I do for fun and this happens. Like, it, it's very, uh, very I'll tough. tell you what, if I, if I could pick, if I would rather be a recreational player who I just play for fun and I've got another job or a professional and this is where all my money comes from, I would much rather be the, uh, the rec player and get scammed. You know what I mean? Because you'd be like, oh, well, fuck that game. I'm never playing that again, but you can go on with your life. Yeah, he's you saying know? in the chat that he doesn't believe she knew about it prior. She she satellited in online. I didn't know they even had that for this. And uh, he said she lost her job recently, too, so that's got to be tough. Uh, uh, he said she's, yeah. she's getting a lawyer. Well, if a lawyer's willing to take it on contingency, fine. Though I would say she should go to law enforcement. 
she should try every law enforcement she can to see about uh, and now if these guys have no money then she's not going to get anything out of them but at least get the satisfaction of criminal charges against them and maybe if they ever make money in the future to maybe get restitution out of them yeah basically to garnish their future income but i mean what you said is really key on contingency because the absolute worst case scenario is she blows whatever money she actually did get on the lawyer yeah because right? a, a lawyer's chance of, of succeeding in in recovering her money here is very small because these guys are just broke yep. i'm sure they have no money i'm sure i'm sure these guys you, you may picture that these guys are holy are li- crap we got kev math yeah, yeah, Kev Math, he, he listens. Hi, Kev Math. Yeah, he's here. I know he listens. I don't see him in chat very Yeah, he came to the chat. Maybe he's here to, to give us some clarification. That'd be great. Kev Math yeah. always has a story. Like, a, Kev Math, when he shows up and thinks, okay, Kev Math's here to give us an update or something, because he, he always knows everything. Uh, so, uh, he says, I only know because the trooper was vlogging at PPC Aruba for Intertops. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if that's a joke or not. But <laughs> it, it probably It's probably true. It's probably true. So, so anyway, it's... We just talked about this, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago, that the trooper can't vlog from Las Vegas anymore. So, yeah, they're saying no joke. Anyway, uh, the I don't think these guys are living high on the hog right now. I don't think they're sitting in a, on a, in a hammock there in Aruba and uh, smoking an expensive cigar that they bought from, uh, from Calwatt. And I don't think that they're laughing, ah, these dumb poker players, we're millionaires off their money. I don't think that's what's happening. I think they're broke. I think they're flat broke. I think that they were dancing on the financial tightrope for a long time here, just barely scraping by, probably wasting a lot of the money on, on themselves. Who knows what they were doing with the money? Maybe they're managing the business poorly, overspending. Maybe they're just taking a lot of it out for themselves. And Whatever caused this, I believe that they're flat broke, and I believe this is a miserable time for them. I believe, and I'm not saying to feel sorry for these guys, not at all, but I believe that they, you know, in deleting their Twitter accounts, in disappearing, I think they're like, oh, fuck, this is gone. We had it, and it's gone. We've ruined everything. Like, why didn't we do this differently? Not, not, and again, not to bring any sympathy for them. They don't deserve any. They're, they're scammers, they're thieves, they're pieces of crap. But I believe that this was something that they really thought they had a good thing going and they played fast and loose with it and ruined it. And unfortunately, the ones who suffer the most from it being ruined are the victims who don't get paid. So, uh, unfortunately, I think even if you could sue them successfully, I, I don't know when or ever they're going to have money that you can collect from them. So, uh, And they may move on to the next scam, though hopefully this will be SEO'd well enough to where anyone who deals with them in the future will find this. But I, I don't think this was like a premeditated, we're going to rip everyone off and run off scam. I think this was a scam of opportunity and a scam almost like what they thought was necessity, that they were running into financial problems and here was the money that was so easy to steal, or at least borrow, as they called it, and then they couldn't find a way to get back. Larry Laffer saying in chat, bong grips, guys, that's what this show needs. Larry, come on. I know you do that a lot, but we're not doing bong rips on this show. Uh, I, I offered Mark Hoke to come on this show. And Mark Hoke, by the way, he's told us before that we could come on to his show. We haven't taken him up on it, but 
he's invited us before to come down to the studio that he does the show from in Vegas and be part of it. So I invited him to come on here, not not to make fun of him or to even talk down to him. I, I don't, you know, Mark Hoke's a different story because he wasn't a player there. So he was just an employee of theirs. He was just someone who was a contract employee who was hired to blog there, and he's done this for a lot of other tours, I believe. So I can understand why Mark couldn't have seen this coming, or probably couldn't have seen this coming. So I'm not even blaming him at all for allowing this to happen to himself. But I just wanted his first-hand report for this. You know, for, for, like That story was intriguing to me about how they left Mark Hoke there at Maryland Live, and he's like the only one left. <laughs> and they thought he's in charge now. And he's like, damn it, they ran off with my money. Like, it was just, I, I believe the whole, I believe the story. I believe what Mark Hoke's reaction was. I feel bad for him. Like, he, here he is thinking that he's about to be, yeah, he's about to have his electricity turned off. Maybe he can't make rent. And, oh, thank goodness I have this money coming in. And then it's not really coming. So. That's what happened. Sad. It's uh, unfortunate. I feel really bad for the winners. Just be careful. You ever see a tournament act in this way? Don't don't let them convince you this is okay. It's not. Make sure everyone gets paid on the spot. And if you don't, raise hell and force them to. And if they won't pay you, make sure everyone knows. Even if you do get paid, if you see anything non-standard or anything weird, always report it. Always report it. Because that's that's the way these scammers are stopped. So here, here's a tournament where you will get paid if you win. I can say that safely, especially now that the bankruptcy's over. The World Series of Poker has announced some details for the 2017 event. They usually do this. They make a preliminary announcement, and then they give you more details later. However, this is the earliest I've ever seen the preliminary announcement. They usually make it in January, sometimes even February. So here, we are seeing the announcement uh, in December, which is good. Let me uh, find where this is here. Read the exact statement, which I should have had ready, but don't. Here we are. From Seth Polanski, World Series of Poker announces the 2017 dates. It's going to run from May 30th to July 17th. Uh, He says, the Something for Everyone schedule includes gold bracelet events, satellites, cash games, and thrice daily deep stack tournaments running for 49 consecutive days. That's seven full weeks. With the World Series main event reaching its final nine players on Monday, July 17th, 2017. So the opening weekend will once again feature the return of the Colossus event. The Colossus 3 will be a 565 buy-in, re-entry no-limit hold'em tournament featuring two starting flights a day over three consecutive days, June 2nd, June 3rd, June 4th, which is Friday through Sunday. So there's there's two flights on each day, so there'll be uh, six flights. The format will include re-entry, allowing players to enter again if they fail to advance initially. The event has drawn... 43,987 entries during its first two years, easily easily the largest live tournaments ever, and allowing all comers to pony up the 565 entry fee and try to turn it into the $1 million prize in a matter of days. Now, by the way, 565, I hate those buy-ins. It's 13% rake, which is kind of brutal. But that's what happens when you play the lower stakes events. 
If there was truth in advertising, it would be called the the lottery ticket. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. I played it once. You know? and I, I played it the first year, and I said, I'm not coming back to this. It's just, it's too much of a crapshoot. It's too much of a crapshoot, and unlike the main event, which is a crapshoot, but if you make it pretty deep, you make big money. Uh, this, you have to make it super, super deep to make big money. So even if you make it very far, but not all the way, you don't get anything that exciting. So, like, I remember the guy who finished ninth in the first year of it got like 60-something thousand. I'm like, oh my god. Ninth out of 22,000, you get 60-something thousand? Like, come on. I, that's that's disappointing. So, I didn't come back for it in 2016. What's that, $3 per person you beat or something yeah. like that? <laughs> Right? 30, but still pretty sad. Oh, 30, I'm yeah, sorry. Still pretty sad. Uh, also, well, We've already determined that my math is suspect. Yeah. So. Also back on the schedule in 2017 are the popular Millionaire Maker, Monster Stack, and Little One for One Drop events, as well as the Seniors event and Ladies Championship. Now, that's a surprise. By the way, the Little One for One Drop pisses me off because they still rake it normally after taking the 111 off the top for charity, which they shouldn't do because that means they're making a lot of money off that event. And I always feel that, like, any charity event should not be a big money maker for the casino, especially if it's part of a giant series like this. Like, why can't they do one tournament like this that isn't making money? In fact, I heard the big one for one drop they don't make money on. I heard they don't even rake that. So, like, why not do the little one that way, too? I, I, I found that to be tacky. Or at least give a reduced rake. But charging a full rake on it is pretty bad. So, it's $1,111 to enter. They take 111 off the top for the charity, which, by the way, you can't claim as a charitable donation because it's technically Caesar's giving it. And then, on top of that, they take out uh, 10% from the prize pool. So your 1111 becomes 900. So it's like you know, 20% or so you lose in there. Uh, the, then it goes on to say, the Summer Poker Festival reaches its pinnacle with the Globe's longest-running poker tournament, the 10K Buy-In No Limit Hold'em World Series Main Event which is slated to run over 10 consecutive days from July 8th to July 17th. It'll feature three starting flights, July 8th, 9th, and 10th. The first event on the schedule is a Casino Employees event, which will take place on Wednesday, May 31st, featuring a $565 buy-in, no-limit, two-day event with a single re-entry format. I've got a question here. If the first event on the schedule is on May 31st, then how is the World Series running from May 30th? The employees event. No, the, no, the employees event is on May thirty first. Oh, I don't know. I, maybe they're running satellites or something. It just says that they open their doors on May thirtieth, which is yeah. They got to have satellite days or yeah, something like stupid. that. I, should, I shouldn't say that. It's a, I really thought there was an event on May thirtieth. So, so truthfully, the first open event, the first event you can play that's open to you if you're not a casino employee would be on June first. So, did you see the other announcement, Druff? Uh, let me see here. Um, I, I see that they're claiming that uh, there's going to be more than 70 events this year. Is that what you're talking about? No, that uh, in order to get the chip updates this year, all you have to do is enter your email address, phone number, and social security number. And then you'll be able to get the chip updates. It's even better than last year. You don't have to log in via Facebook. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to do any dumb things like that this year. I wonder if they've learned their lesson with the, with the chip updates. It was like in the middle of the year. It was so funny how stubborn they were about things. I'm sorry, it's not changing. It's which is not something we're doing. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but I was thinking about it recently, and I was just 
shaking my head like it's it's like these people just don't even know how the internet works yeah. like, <laughs> but I, I like i like how defiant they were but then in, in the middle of the series they just quietly took away the login requirement no, they had, they probably had no choice and the way i discovered it was by accident because i, I had like a a separate uh, app i was using to uh that that didn't rec- that didn't have that stupid pop-up that was blocking you from looking at it so I was using that other app, and then I just forgot, and I opened up the uh, Safari on, on the iPhone. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm on Safari now, and it's working. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's a, they took it away. They, they took yeah. away that dumb requirement. So, yeah, uh, anyway, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. But, yeah, there's going to be over 70 events this year, which is a record. They've never had 70. They said the current slate of individual events are being finalized with 70-plus official gold bracelet events, with weekends catering to the No Limit Hold'em weekend warriors and a broad range of other variations of poker at both entry-level and championship-level buy-ins mixed in throughout the series. So what they're trying to say here is that every weekend is going to be mainly focused on on some kind of No Limit event, and that they're going to, around that, when it's not weekends or or also as alternate events sometimes during the weekend, other forms of poker that aren't No Limits will be put in there. So I, I think that's pretty similar to what we've seen the last few years. And it says the full event by event schedule is expected to be released sometime in February. All above announced dates, times, and events are subject to change. I should write to Seth and give some suggestions that I would like to see. I'd like realistic suggestions. There's a lot of suggestions I'd give that they're not going to ever do. But like, I, I would love to see a change in. Uh, I've mentioned these things. I'm trying to remember the most important things. I'd love to see a change, first of all, in the way they handle late registration. I, I think it's not fair. And if they, I understand a lot of this is about money to where they want people to register as late as possible because they get more people that way. So I know if I suggest, hey, you know, tone down the late registration, they're going to laugh in my face. They'll say, oh, thank you for the suggestion. Goodbye. But I think there so should Jeff, be- when, when Seth walks into his office in the morning, grabs a cup of coffee, and he sees an email from Todd Wattellis. Do you think he rolls his eyes and goes, oh, what the fuck now? Or do you think he <laughs> eagerly opens it and is... I don't know. I, it, it, might, it might be the former. It might be. But I'll say he does respond to me every time. Every time I write to him, he does give me a, a, a detailed answer. And and I did... You know, One of the times I spoke to him on the phone, I, I told him that me and, and several other Limit Hold'em players were very happy that they, unhappy that they had reduced our Limit Hold'em events to just two events in the year. And that actually got through. They actually, he said that uh, he agreed and that he was going to talk to Jack about maybe uh, adding another one back, and they put three the following year. So I, I don't know if it was me who did it or me and a combination of others complaining. But uh, So I, you know, is it possible he'll open this and just think this is a pain in the ass? This is some guy trying to tell us how to do our jobs? Yes, it's possible. That's the reaction that I'll get, even if I get a polite response. But uh, the, the late registration thing... Is, is so irritating to me because it's gotten to the point that people can enter so late because some of these structures are fast enough to where people fall off very fast and where you can have like 70-something percent of the field busted and somebody can late register with a full stack. Now, yes, a full stack is a short stack at that point, but I, at some point, I believe it becomes an edge to register late, even if you start short stacked with that much of the field gone. And as I've said before, if you could register on the bubble and get a full stack, and obviously you'd be a very short stack then, but but think if you could register on the money bubble where there's just one person left to bust. Would you do it? I, I would do it, of course. Hell yeah. That's a great deal because all you have to do is survive one person busting and you've, you've uh, made the buy-in back plus more. And then if you 
get lucky from that point forward, you can win big money. So that would be a, a, a that massive. That would be a massive edge for to do that thing. So, so the question is, what about two people before the bubble? Well, yes, of course. What about three people? Yes. Well, at some point, it, at some point, it transitions over to where it's not positive EV to to register anymore because there's too many people left. But if seventy something percent of the field is gone, is it worth it to come in? Then I think it might be. I think if you, especially if you are really playing for money and not for uh, the experience of playing, if you don't mind coming in late and trying to work up a short stack and maybe yeah, and how many hand. bigs you start with too, yeah, right? And, and, and lasting one hand because you got to you know it's all interfold. If you don't yeah. mind that, if, you, if you're if you're not coming for the experience of playing, but really just looking from a, a money standpoint or, or a prestige standpoint of winning the event, uh, that's probably the smartest thing to do. And I don't like that. I, I think that's a very poor way to run a tournament. And I've I felt and the funny thing is, if you register beforehand and then come late, your stack blinds off. But if you register late, you get a full stack. So and I, that's annoyed me before too because I sometimes will register. I usually register before just to avoid the lines and the hassle. And then if I don't show up right on time, uh, I miss a few blinds and I'm you know I I lose chips. Not a lot of chips because the, the blinds are very low, but. Why should I lose chips and the person who registers later than me doesn't? So, but, but the main thing is I, I really don't like this late registration. I think there should be some sort of penalty starting from certain hours, like maybe for the first four hours uh, let people get a full stack, and after the first four hours then take away 10% of the stack, whatever it is. Take away at least some of the stack more and more to where it, it starts discouraging late registrations. They'll probably say no because they, 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 they don't want to discourage late registration in any way, shape, or form because they want to make money. But you never know. Sometimes you think they're not going to budge. Sometimes you think they're not going to do it, and and they actually do listen. As far as uh, I think, if it makes them money, they're going to do it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's a sad thing. But uh, uh, there's other suggestions that I had, but I forget now. I, I posted them at one point. I should go back and read my own message. But uh, uh, I don't know. There's something about the. Events to the events themselves that some I'd like to see again, some I'd like to see gone, but I don't remember anymore. Oh, hey, Druff, before I forget, um, go to uh, twitter.com slash Lyman Poker. <laughs> I hate to see what this is. Most of Lyman's Twitters, most of his tweets are is just bitching about Trump. That's all he does. I mean, it's just, that's. <laughs> Lyman got suspended. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Wow, that's interesting. I was going to say, what could he possibly be saying that I'm going to find interesting? It's going to be more Trump bitching. But no, like th- this guy, Lyman, this guy just can't get over the election. He just cannot get over he, I mean, he was tweeting every day anti-Trump stuff over and over and over before the election. But I said, okay, a lot of people are caught up in that. But here, we, right. like a month and a half after the election, he's still going off about it. And I'm like, at some point, you've just got to say, look, I'm not happy Trump won. He wasn't the candidate I wanted to win. I, I voted for Hillary, he could say, but that's who won. I mean, I, I've... But I don't think that's going to get you suspended. Like, I, no, I have no. no idea what happened. No, but, I have no, uh, definitely not must, that. Must have been something good. Well, he you know, he gets very brash and rude on there with people. You know, I've gone back and forth with him, too. So Even being rude, I don't think, is going to get you suspended. No, it, it doesn't. But I'm saying there must have been some something he said that probably touched some kind of hot button. Maybe he... Uh, yeah, but, called someone a fag or something like I could see something like that where they, they someone could say ah homophobia and get him suspended I, something like that where it, it is very tough on Twitter to get suspended because uh, basically Twitter even though they like to claim that they're anti-cyberbullying and, and anti-harassment it's, it's all BS they, they never suspend anyone just for bashing each other 
I've seen tons of shit on there that I it makes me wonder what the hell you have to do to get banned. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I have to. Like, I mean, it's got to be pretty impressive. I have to, and and I, I've seen you know I've seen their terms of service, which make things definitely against the rules that some people do, like blatantly against the rules. And yet, if you report it, they do nothing. And in fact, we'll send you an email saying, "Sorry, we're not doing anything." So, I I'm surprised that he got suspended too. But they seem very uneven with applying their rules. So you just get someone who's looking into it that a certain hot bu- hot button topic which gets that particular person who works at Twitter angry when they suspend them. But yeah, that's weird. That is weird. Maybe he'll make a statement on 2 plus 2 about it. Because he posts there too. Maybe. He's yeah, not bad there. I've been on Lyman's show before and I'm not going to come on again because all he does is shout. He just shouts over you. That's that's his whole show. Is uh, if you come on to debate him, he just shouts. He shouts over you, and then if you start to make any good points, he hangs up on you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm not even doing it anymore. I had him on here once too. At least on here, I, I could control that to some degree. But there was plenty of shouting on this show too. But he's got this gravelly voice. And say, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. You, you oh, t- shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're saying. Don't even say that to me. That's 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 what. That's what Debating him with him is like, and it's so hard to even listen to him. This gravelly voice shouting at you the whole time. I I don't even know how he has listeners that enjoy that show because that's that's all he does is shout the whole time. But I've been in his chat room, and I can say that the people in his chat room make our chat room look like uh, uh, Nobel laureates here. I mean, we have. Uh, our, our chat room is full of geniuses compared to his chat room. The, the, he has some of the du- the dumbest collection of people that, that uh, listen to that show and chat there. Whereas in our chat room, we, we get a lot of good contributions. We have people that point things out that, are, uh, that we've gotten incorrect or that uh, we didn't know about or making funny, irreverent comments in the background. Like, our chat room's good. But their chat room was like watching a chat room of teenagers on AOL back in the day. So, anyway, yeah, he's suspended. That's interesting. When, when did you discover this? Um, I think yesterday. So, I, I, I honestly, I have no idea hmm. how long it's been going on. But, I mean, the, the like I said, the amazing thing to me is, like, just based on stuff I've seen on Twitter... I don't even know what it takes to get banned from there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, maybe just you know he got unlucky and the right person reported something, or the wrong person was reviewing what was going on with his account, or you know who knows what it was. But I, I'm just surprised. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I have an update by the way regarding the PPC. Uh, Poker News finally covered it, and in an article today, they they've gotten a copy of a demand letter of a uh, lawyer that was uh, retained by Stephen Deutsch, Michael Lerner, and Joan Sandoval. And the demand letter demanded payment from the PPC by December 30th, or they're going to file suit against the PPC for fraud and breach of contract, among other things. Oh, man. (laughs) And uh, so they've... And we, we did get a helpful update from the chat on Lyman's Twitter. There's a post on... Uh, 2 plus 2, dated uh, December 21st, 
that said his account was suspended. So it's been suspended for, you know, what, two or three days? But he hasn't said why? No, I mean, they, ironically enough, they instantly closed that thread, so there's nothing interesting (laughs) in there. By the way, uh, Ronnie Barda was one of the pros listed on the PPC website, but he has since, uh, even before this was announced, uh, cut ties with them. And other sponsored pros include Mark Kroon, who was also a UB-sponsored pro the whole time. He just can't uh, pick very good company to associate with. And Chris Wallace also was a sponsored pro there. And oh, we got. A, I'm sorry for interrupting you again, Druff. We got an update from JSTAT. It says, Lyman was suspended on Twitter because he told Dan Ross of Hold'em Poker to die. <laughs> that sounds like him. <laughs> That sounds like something Lyman would say. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Like just something like that. Can you really get banned from Twitter for that? Well, if 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 the person complains and the person at Twitter who is processing the complaint happens to be someone who this resonates with, then yes, it just really depends on who reads it. So, hmm. I, I once had someone like tweet to every single one of my followers, like 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 spam to go read some nasty thing written about me. They like, go read this. And they tweeted to like all thousand followers <laughs> at the time. Uh, and so I reported this to Twitter and yeah, Twitter suspended him, but, but they unsuspended him after he quote promised not to do it again after two days. I'm well, like, I'm, like, I'm sure he will be back then. You know, but I'm knows. like, I'm like, wait a minute. It's like, how, how can you blatantly do something like that? And they're like, oh, okay, you can come back. Like that should be just a shutdown for good. When you do something like that to spam thousand followers with a a link to something bashing someone so like with the identical tweet over and over and over and over again so they they suspended the guy for like two days and then he spent to you know they they just to get unsuspended he had to send them a uh, email response uh, promising he won't do it again so yeah, they suck and the funny thing is twitter they, they w- one of the biggest criticisms against them is that they are poorly policing their site and that uh, people use it to harass people, and that a lot of people just got tired of it. And they, they keep saying, oh, we're addressing it, we're addressing it, but they don't address it, they don't ever do anything about it. And then the few times they do something, they tend to like overreach and do too much. But then most of the time they do nothing. They're very inconsistent. And it's not that hard. Like, they, why, why is it so hard to come out with just some very simple, concrete rules about what you can and can't do, and hire a few people to enforce the rules, and that's it? Well, if you haven't noticed, they're not doing that hot from a actually making money point of view yeah i know that's always that's always been so i mean you know maybe they're just not spending money on hiring staff to do that yeah but the weird thing is like they're acknowledging that this is hurting them but then they're not doing anything about it it's it's weird and they they actually got a boost twitter from donald trump in that he loves he loves using it and it's bringing people back to twitter who had kind of left it to just to watch what trump is doing and saying and Trump has said he's not going to stop. So this is probably going to be four years of, of tweeting from Donald Trump we're going to have, including just off-the-cuff tweets that he just tweets out of nowhere of whatever he's feeling at the moment, which is... Yeah, I've, I've heard some commentators on the BBC that were basically saying that, you know, accidentally Trump basically saved Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I, that's what I noticed. Like, like, wow, he really made Twitter uh, super relevant again. It's going to stay this way yeah. for four years. So you think they would not blow it here with what Trump may have done for them inadvertently. And it's, he's not even doing it because he likes Twitter. He, like, he likes Twitter as a company. He just decided he likes that medium to disseminate his messages. Right. And 
I, I still think it's so funny that like anybody else in this position would have like handlers that that manage the Twitter account the whole time and are very careful of what's said on there. And and Trump's like he's probably just tweeting from the toilet. It seems like it. <laughs> he's he, <laughs> you know? he really did, or he's watching a TV show. Oh, I don't like this show. It's pissing me off. And just tweets out about it as if he's just like some regular guy. So it's so weird to see the next president just using Twitter with no filter. And that's pretty much what he does. Like, it's a, like every tweet from him is really him. And I'm like one of the biggest skeptics of this sort of thing. Like I, I, I see a celebrity put out a statement or a tweet and go, oh, they didn't write this. Their publicist wrote this. And, or I don't know if they wrote this. But with Trump, like, I'm, a sure, I'm sure every time he wrote this. I, I saw one that I was like, I don't, I mean, maybe he wrote it, but I doubt it. So he said something about, you know, I don't know why people bother with bad photoshops of Twitter when it's not that hard to manipulate the Dom. Oh. Uh, you know, and it's like, <laughs> he's in his 70s. I mean, does he really know even what the hell Dom is? No, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he, he, it probably was. I mean, he may have let somebody else send some tweets on his behalf. No, but, but you're right. The majority of them are definitely him. Yes. It's, I, I've been wondering myself, like, when he becomes president, is he actually still going to do that? Yeah. going to be like, you know... I think he will. Cruising on Air Force One, tweeting about, you know, looking down at the islands or whatever? Yeah, I, th- I think he will. I think it's just going to be something he's going to do. It's people. He's probably... Yeah, you're right. He's probably going to do whatever the fuck he wants that's to what do. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. People, were, people thought it was just like a campaign thing. And once the campaign was over... That this wasn't going to happen anymore, but then, uh, like like right after the election, he was already tweeting about Saturday Night Live again. But wouldn't it be like a national security thing? At least some of it. I mean, uh, I don't know. Depends what he's tweeting about, but just right. Yeah, if he's tweeting about Saturday Night Live, then I guess not. Yeah. You know, I, I well, just, one would hope he would be busy doing more important things than tweeting, but who knows? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's see what we got here on the next next thing on the schedule. Uh, two Indian tribes have failed in their attempts to run rogue gambling sites. And we've talked about both of them before on this show, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but uh, some Indian tribes believe that because they see themselves as uh, sovereign little countries within the U.S., that they can do what they want. And how can, how can the U.S. government tell them they can't run poker sites? We're we're our own sovereign little Indian nations, and we can we can do what they, what we want here. Is what they say, and they're attempting to challenge that, even though they can't. And if you look at the Indian gaming, they they have to agree to what whatever the state they're in has set as far as what games they can offer, and they can't just do what they want. Like for example, Indian casinos can't offer sports betting. And, yeah, they have to negotiate with the state. Yeah, they have to negotiate with the state exactly what type of games they can offer and what the rules are related to the games they're offering. So, anyway, two of them, two Indian tribes felt that they could run online poker without going through the usual hurdles to get a legalized online poker site in the U.S. Uh, one of them was known as PokerTribe.com. And the other one was the uh, Santa Isabel sites. I'm forgetting what the name of these were. The two different things. The PokerTribe.com was the Iowa Tribe of Oklahoma, which is really strange to begin with. The Iowa Tribe of Oklahoma. 
Like, what what does Iowa have to do with this? But that's that's what it is. It's uh, anyway. So the Iowa. Well, tri- that was probably the original Indian name, probably. and they they named the state after it. But it, it was actually a tribe or something. That's weird. You know? I, I never knew that about Iowa. Maybe maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. It's a good guess though. But anyway, the Iowa tribe of Oklahoma ran PokerTribe dot com, and there's a Santa Isabel Indian tribe, which is the Lipai Nation of Santa Isabel. In California, they also wanted to run a real online gaming site. And they actually did open up a online bingo site for real money in November of 2014. So Santa Isabel, what happened with them, these two separate things that were going on and two separate failures which just occurred within a few days of one another. Totally unrelated to each other. Uh, so Santa Isabel, they opened up this real money bingo site in November 2014. I remember I even went on there. It was called Desert, Desert Rose Bingo. I went on there during one of the shows and talked about how like almost nobody was on there. It was a total fail site. But uh, as soon as they opened it and said that they had the right to do so as a sovereign nation, federal and state authorities acted quickly to shut it down. They filed separate lawsuits, the state and the uh, and federal authorities, and they gained temporary injunctions against the tribe and, and its various gambling operations. And uh, then they combined the federal and the state cases uh, a year ago, and then sometime about uh, a week ago, Judge uh, Badaliga made the federal-level injunction permanent. So that's it. There's a federal-level injunction preventing them from running the site, so it's done. Uh, the uh, Now, the state of California was trying to say that the tribe had also breached its existing gambling compact with the state by doing this. So they're trying to take away their, uh, their license to operate a- anything at all, even the brick and mortar. And the judge actually did uh, give them, actually dismissed that part. And so they did not breach it. So uh, that, that's the only thing that's, that they were victorious with. Uh, the United States summary judgment uh, was, was given for the following reasons. This is uh, involving the uh, what was going on in the site. Patrons place bets or wagers using the internet. Patrons are off tribal lands, but within California, a state where gambling is unlawful at the time the bets were placed. The tribal defendants are persons engaged in the business of betting or wagering who accept transactions restricted by the UIGEA. Tribal defendants are engaged in a gambling business and accepted restricted transactions. Tribal defendants will continue to violate the UIGEA absent injective reliefs. And six, uh, such application of UIGEA will not alter, supersede, or otherwise affect uh, the uh, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. So what they're basically saying here is that the UIGEA, which is the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act of 2006, which makes online gambling illegal without uh, the the proper licensing here, uh, that that they're violating it, that they were accepting bets with people who were not physically located on tribal lands over the internet who live in the state of California. And that is explicitly illegal here. So, 
It's true. It is. So I, I don't know what they th- what they were thinking, believing they could get away with it. Uh, they also ran a they, so the, the thing was called a private table, uh, a poker room. They were trying to run as well, and they registered uh, privatetable.com, which says uh, private table, the friendly poker room, California's online poker room. But all they ever had was play money poker. They never had real money on it, and they finally just uh, took it offline after a few days because of the initial injunction. So uh, that never went anywhere. But privatetable.com was supposed to be the online poker extension of these bingo sites. So that's that. There's going to be no privatetable.com, no more Desert Road is bingo. It's all gone. That experiment by Santa Isabel did not work. Similarly, the Iowa tribe of Oklahoma, they, they had a much bigger fail. Looks like they're out money. There's a company based in Florida called the Universal Entertainment Group, UEG. And I didn't know this until this week. But uh, the UEG apparently uh, finds suckers that are willing to pay them a lot of money to get online gambling sites set up. So UEG actually had an agreement with the Cheyenne and uh, Arpaho tribes a few years ago. That was uh, $9.5 million, these stupid tribes paid to UEG, to run a gambling site called PokerTribes.com, with an S. <laughs> this is back in 2013. And they did this without, again, without regulatory permission. Somehow UEG convinced them that they have a right to do it, and they did it. Paid UEG $9.5 million to develop this awful site, which looked very amateurish. And then there's a federal lawsuit by the tribe to try to claim they had a right to operate this site as a real money online poker site. And uh, the funny thing was they weren't trying to, the pokertribes.com, and I'll get to the pokertribe.com in a second, but the pokertribes.com run by the uh, Cheyenne and Arpaho tribes, they weren't even trying to run it for U.S. customers. They were trying to run a U.S.-based online poker site catering only to non-U.S.-based players. <laughs> Which, by the way, is illegal. You can't, like, I couldn't start an online poker site in my home and say I only accept people outside the U.S. I, I couldn't do that because I'm still running it in the U.S. I'd have to go outside the U.S. myself and then run it for players outside the U.S. for it to be legal. Seals with clubs? No comment. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's for, for whatever reason, they thought there was a market and paid $9.5 million to develop a site based in the U.S. for players not in the U.S. And... Uh, Believe it or not, they actually won the federal lawsuit. I didn't even know about this, but they actually won the lawsuit. They actually will, were able to do this. But at this point, the Cheyenne and Arpaho tribe said, wait a minute. Why have we spent $9.5 million? This is a fail site. They, they realized the whole thing was not going to make money anyway. So they actually abandoned it at that point. Uh, and I guess tribal leadership was changing. And uh, the, the, new, the new leaders didn't want to have anything to do with this. So that was the end of that. The funny thing is UEG, after collecting $9.5 million from this, bitched about it and said, we spent close to $40 million on this project. The Cheyenne and Arpaho spent close to $10 million on this project. And due to political agenda taking office, they are destroying everything. It just doesn't make sense. 
The boohoo. They, they, they claim they spent $40 million of their own money on top of the $10 million that was sent to them by the, uh, the Indians. So, there we go. Plug fell out of my amplifier. Sorry about that, everybody. You still here, Calwatt? I'm here. You're still? Okay, very good. So anyway, uh, that happened back in, in uh, 2013. So let's go back to the present. The UEG moved on from PokerTribes.com to PokerTribe.com. And this was for the Iowa tribe of Oklahoma. So these suckers also paid money to uh, UEG to develop their site, PokerTribe.com. And uh, they, so they tried to uh, get this going. And, uh, and PokerTribe.com now is... Uh, it's it's, it's pro- probably not going to happen. There is a... Uh, an update on, on an Oklahoma newspaper's website that's uh, claiming that the real money online poker is it, it's delayed even further. But in the meantime, the Iowa tribe of Oklahoma has paid UEG one million dollars. No, actually, times ten. They paid ten million, similar to what the Arpaho and the Cheyenne paid. So, uh, anyway, you're going to love this. You're going to love the plans now, which they're going to be doing for PokerTribe.com. They've decided that they're they're not going to try to offer online poker to U.S. residents because that's that's just too hard. It's going to run into legal hurdles. It's just not going to work. So they've they've come up with a a genius idea on what to do with PokerTribe.com and the $10 million they were given. A very, very large market of, of potential poker players. Now, they're not going to offer it to U.S. players, and they're not going to do what the PokerTribes.com was going to do and, and try to offer it for non-U.S. players. No, nope, they realized that what they can do is they can offer it to U.S. players who aren't in the U.S. <laughs> and you may think, well, that's not a very big market. But they said, wait a minute. It's a bigger market than you think. Because... Yes, there may not be that many Americans living abroad who may want to play online poker. But what about Americans who are flying over international territories or international waters? They may want to play online poker from the airplane. Is this that there's some rap artist who's involved in something like this where they have the exclusive right to supposedly offer online poker on airplanes or something like that? Is this I don't affiliated know. with them or something? I don't know, but the, the, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to offer online poker for airplanes, for only God. only for U.S. players on, on international flights. And uh, how are they going to get any kind, of, any kind of player base with that? First of all, you're not going to have very many repeat players. It's not like people can just sit down and say, okay, I want to play tonight. You can only play when you're on an international flight. And one that has internet, and that the internet's good enough to connect to it. And how ha- tilting would that be? <laughs> like you're you're in the middle of a huge hand, and then I mean I don't know if you've used the uh, internet on some of these flights. Yeah, but terrible. With its satellite, it's usually 
absolutely horrible. Yeah. Well, how about, well, at least it'll be fair though. At least you're against other airline passengers. It'll be like it'll become like a, a new skill to maybe stall during the hand to make the other guy time out. Like, <laughs> like you know, like like let's say uh, a kazoo would love that, right? Yeah. Because let's let's say your your hand is weak, okay, and you're you're facing. Or let's say you have a big draw, so you're facing an all in bed or something. And uh, like go into the time bank, yeah, go in the time bank and try to time try to time it out. You know, like that's uh, so horrible. <laughs> or no, I'm trying to think. What, no, once he already made the all bet, then he would fold if if, if it came to you. So that wouldn't if, like if he's already bet, then he's it's already in. So what I think you'd have to do is you you try to figure out if whatever you can do to I have to think about this. If the action's on you, you just stall. Oh, but well, you'd have to get some kind of notice that they yeah, have they're, they're, right? They're not doing. They're, yeah. some, they're having some kind of like if they're slow to act, then you would right. uh, you would stall as much as possible and hope that that their connection dies completely and hope that it yeah. doesn't restore itself. Well, they okay. I know how it could work. If they actions on them and they time out and check to you, yeah, then you just bet super fast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they, I, there was some. Oh God, I can't remember who the hell it was. It's some. And I, I don't know a whole lot about the rap industry, but I think the guy is like pretty well known. But he, he's he's got some maybe you've even talked about it, like some global poker or something or other that they're working on. Something about uh, I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, yeah look for that. I, I hadn't heard of a rapper, but yeah, this this is what they're trying to do is online poker on airplanes. Like, how do they get this idea? How do they think there's going to be? Even ignoring the fact that the connections are bad and, and that these people can't keep coming back to the site once their flight's over, but you have to have a very large potential pool of players for any site to be viable. That's why Nevada's online poker isn't very good, and that's why in Delaware it was totally dead until they combined with Nevada. You need a very large pool of potential players to to even have a site that runs at all. And you're telling me U.S., Travelers on international flights are going to comp- comprise that pool. I mean, it's insane. They spent ten million on this. It's crazy. I don't know how they convince these tribes to do things so stupid. It's not even like they convince these tribes to go along with it, but don't spend any money. They're they're actually getting the tribes to pay them ten million bucks. It's like a money soldier pit. boy. Soldier. Have boy. you heard that name? Yeah, but is, is he involved with this? Yeah, no, he's not involved with that. But there, it's just, uh the World Poker Fund thing, and. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, here we go. Um, Soldier Boy will mobilize his network to promote the World Poker Fund's online gaming assets, such as CelebrityWorld.com, and it's soon to launch in-flight gaming platform, which aims to service the 3000000000 billion-plus global travelers across multiple airlines worldwide. Yeah, I I think this is a little little different because uh, I, I see this article. It's... It's, uh, I think, online gaming, not just poker. Now, online gaming, that at least would have somewhat of a chance. If, pe- if it was allowed to where people people who are flying and stuck on a long flight where they're bored could play things like blackjack, then, then it would make sense that this could make money if there was a way t- if there was an easy way to like fund your account or whatever to where it's it's easy for the passenger to do because they're like a captive audience. But online poker is much tougher because, like, online blackjack, you just need one player. Online poker, you need a whole pool of players 
in order to get people sitting at the different games and limits that are out there and, and match up with each other and play together. And then you have to also have enough people sitting together. A lot of people don't want to play heads up or three-handed. So it's a much harder thing to get a poker room going and have it be active than a, an online casino where you you really just need one person on there to be gambling for money to be coming in. If you just have one maybe, person Maybe on I'm not being visionary enough, but when I read about this World Poker Fund thing from Soldier Boy and then also his in-flight gaming platform, I, I mean, I just assumed that someone managed to bilk him out of a bunch of money. I'm sure they did, yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it just seems like a ridiculous business platform. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's probably what happened here. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Anyway, so the, both of these tribes... So Poker Tribe is still alive, but it's not going to go anywhere. And apparently they're paying $10 million to develop it, which is ridiculous, after another tribe already was built the same way. And then... Uh, the the Santa Isabel tribe, their whole thing is dead. So well, they should team up with Soldier Boy. They could call it like Soldier <laughs> Tribe or something. Yeah, SoldierTribe dot com. They join forces. Wouldn't it be funny if we we have egg on our face when both of these sites succeed? When PokerTribe dot com and Soldier Boy become like the two major options on airline flights everywhere? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time an idea that I thought was really stupid ended up taking off. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're like I, a, I would bet against it. Let's y- put it that you're way. You're on a flight from New York to London, and there's just everybody in the plane is playing either on Soldier Boy's site or uh, or PokerTribe.com, and they're just raking in the dough. And they're like, someone in the plane's like, you know, you kind of sound like that host on Poker Fraud Alert Radio who made fun of this <laughs> and said it's never going to succeed. Is that you? Well. Never say never. I'm just saying I would bet against it <laughs> succeeding. You know, yeah. It, it would be one of those situations where, uh, you know, probably the the people that sold him on the idea probably made some money from it, but they're the only people that are ever going to make money from it. That's true. Here, I'm I'm going to give you the floor here for about thirty seconds. I, I got to turn off the heat here. It's getting boiling in this room. So just one. I, I should have done this before the show, but I forgot, and now I'm boiling. I can't stand it anymore. So I'm going to give you the floor here. Say whatever you want. I won't even hear it. (laughs) All right. So I think that the idea of, I mean, basically, Soldier Boy is talking about, I invest in things that I understand. I enjoy music and, of course, gaming. Being an influencer is a form of currency. Having a portfolio diversification is critical if you want to be an effective brand ambassador. I mean, so basically someone has sold him on the idea of dumping a bunch of money into uh, this World Poker Fund, which is, I mean, an absolutely ridiculous concept. But then also uh, the idea of the online gaming on flight. I mean, it just, it it really does smack of something where uh, some investors came to him and said, hey, you know, you like degening it up at the blackjack tables. What if we, how about if we sell blackjack and poker to every person that ever goes on a flight anywhere and soldier boy is like yeah that sounds great I right, well That's i'd have good. to use drop's pimp voice to do it properly <laughs> wait but, you're, yeah. i'm glad you talked about soldier boy while i was gone wow you really made use of the time well i don't know. i had it open i figured i'd talk about it yeah. i mean you've talked about that the world uh poker fun thing before right yeah we have yeah i just forgot about it it's, it's funny sometimes i'll listen to old shows and and like i'll hear 
myself start to yeah. introduce it, and I'll say, so let's talk about this now. I go, hmm, I wonder what happened with that story. I want to hear it. And I go, wait a minute, that was that's me. Like, <laughs> I already covered this, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. So, well, it's supposedly a $400 million contract. Yeah, I don't And, the, and the whole premise of it is ridiculous. It, I mean, it's, it's totally ridiculous. They, but, just, but you're right. I mean, maybe it will end up being this amazing thing, and we'll both look like complete fucking idiots. The only way it. it could ever work is if there was like full online gambling, not just poker, and if there was an easy way for passengers to fund their account. Like their credit cards that are accepted or some, something where, and, and to where the airlines get on board for it, not just some site you can log in for your smartphone and you got to buy the internet for it. That wouldn't work either. It had to be like a partnership with the airlines. And maybe Jamie Gold could be like the flight ambassador. Yeah, they, I think at this point, Jamie Gold would probably get on the flights himself and they'll pay, they'll pay him to just fly back and forth around the country for this. Yeah. I think he'd probably get that pretty cheap. So here's here's something, uh, an update. The PayPal America's Card Room scam. Now, this is, again, nothing It's the fault of America's Card Room. This is a player in America's Card Room who did a chargeback scam. Initials are MP. And I'm not giving his name just because I don't want the investigation to be compromised in any way. But uh, his initials are MP, his real initials. And he did... $31,000 worth of trades for over the last three months for America's card room money for PayPal, where he would send you money on PayPal, you'd send him your America's card room chips. He presumably was a fish and kept losing them. Uh, one day, he recently, a few weeks ago, he pretended to be insulted over something someone said to him regarding his slow paying of PayPal money and claimed that he's going to punish everyone now and charge back the entire 31000 which involved somewhere between 50 and 100 people. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this isn't going well as far as the PayPal investigation. Now, I, I was not a victim of this, and I haven't been involved. I've, I've given people advice on the Facebook group where these people are congregating because it, it all occurred against people who were part of the same Facebook group. But I advise they call PayPal report that this was a, a scam, not to mention poker or gambling, but just to say that this was a guy who was asking for a money transfer on a different service in exchange for PayPal money, and that he decided to just charge it all back once he got $31,000 out of various victims, more than 50 of them. And since he did this to everyone like within a period of days, this is obvious to PayPal when they look at it what this was. There's like it's not like one guy's word against another. It's like more than fifty people involved, and he charged back against all of them over like a two or three day period. So obviously, uh, you know, he wasn't charging back against uh, fifty PayPal scammers uh, all within the last few days, especially when the transactions go back months. This is obviously he's the scammer. There's no question, and PayPal sees this type of thing all the time. However, the wrinkle in this that I didn't realize is that. PayPal decides that all they are is a payment agent, and they don't make decisions in these cases. But who makes the decision? Well, basically, he went back to his bank, this MP. He went to his bank and said, Oh my God, oh my God, there's all these unauthorized charges. Someone got on my account, and someone made unauthorized charges on my account and sent money to all these different people all over the place. I don't know how the hell this happened, but I want my money back. Well, okay. That's possible, right? It's possible that someone could get access to your banking information 
and over a three-month period keep making charges against your account. Now, how you could not realize this over three months is questionable, but maybe you're not paying that much attention. And it would make sense there would be 50 to 100 different people receiving the money because maybe the people receiving the money didn't realize they were getting stolen money, but a scammer was the one who sent it. In which case, the bank will take your side and, uh, and charge these back if they can. And it's tough luck on the people receiving the money for whatever they were receiving it. But the bank has a right to investigate this and make their best common sense decision as to whether your report about this is truthful. So the people reporting this sent all kinds of information. I think some even sent too much and probably admitted it was a gambling thing, but I don't know that for sure. But there was a lot of different reports from a lot of different people all saying the same thing, that it was this guy, it was MP, it wasn't someone pretending to be MP. They sent in screenshots of him agreeing to uh, send the money. They provided a lot of information, and it occurred over a three-month period, which is kind of hard for him to explain why he's just bringing it up now when we're talking about $31,000. And not $31,000 missing out of a million-dollar account, but probably $31,000 missing out of an account that had very little money, and he probably just kept putting money back in to send it. So, somehow, the bank looked into this, and, and keep in mind, the bank was giving individual answers for each chargeback. It wasn't, the, they, it wasn't one big case with them. Um, PayPal would contact the bank, and the bank would say, is this, is this valid? Is that valid? Is this valid? Is that valid? Well, in all but a few cases, the bank actually said, no, uh, we actually agree this was fraud against MP. He's the victim here. He gets his money back. So PayPal then says to the person, sorry, you lose. You don't get your money back, and we're charging you a $20 fee for the chargeback. (laughs) Now, some people were able to talk themselves out of the fees, but weren't able to get back the principal of the money. So, of course, the next question is, which bank was this? Nobody knows. Why? Because PayPal won't tell you. PayPal says his bank rejected this claim, but they don't give you the name of the bank. So you can't even call the bank yourself and say, hey, wait a minute, I I can prove this guy's a scammer. They won't tell you who made this decision. So you had to trust that this, this mysterious bank that will not identify itself, and PayPal will not identify has made this decision, and there's no way to appeal or, or talk to the bank about this because you can't find out who the bank is. You just got to let the bank decide with information that you don't know what they were given. Because you give your information to PayPal, who then gives it to the bank. So this is really bad. And what PayPal's doing, basically, is, is just washing their hands of it. If the, if the bank charges back, they just say, okay, well, we're taking it back from you then. And we don't care who's right or wrong. We don't care if he's a scammer. We don't, we don't see that we... Because here's what PayPal doesn't want. PayPal doesn't want... PayPal knows the guy's a scammer. But the problem is if PayPal admits the guy's a scammer and then refunds the money to you, but then the bank takes the money from PayPal, guess who's on the hook for it? PayPal. So PayPal's attitude is, if the bank will not give us our money back, then we're not giving your money back. And if they're going to take that position, 
you would think what that means is that they should give you the information on the bank and you should be able to speak to the bank. Now, they, they shouldn't have to give you the person's account number. Like I can understand why they won't give MPs account number to people. But but you can't hear which bank decided this. Of course you should be able to contact the bank and, and, and uh, let them know what this guy is doing and, and get them to reconsider their verdict on whether this is a scam. So it's really, really bad, and I, I've offered to this group of people, and I, I don't know why they're not taking me up on it, because I kind of want to hear this for myself. I said to any of you, and this this goes for anyone listening that was a victim of the scam from MP, and if you are, you know you know you are by now. I've offered to be on three-way and let any of them call up PayPal with me on three-way, and and I'll participate in the conversation. I will I will try to get somewhere with with PayPal. And I said, first of all, you've got, to, you've got to speak to someone in the U.S. Because the people who answer in PayPal who are in foreign countries are basically reading from a script. You might as well be speaking to a computer. So you'll, you'll be calling PayPal and you'll get these uh, people in the Philippines. I cannot help you. It's, uh, we, we have got the message from the bank that the bank has declined your transaction. And you are, we are charging you $20 fee. Maybe we can waive the $20 fee. We will, we will submit that for review. But the bank did not pay us. We cannot pay you. Sorry. Like, that's what you're getting. And you can argue till you're blue in the face, and they have no power. They're, they're basically relaying a message to you. So you need to get someone in the U.S. who's in some sort of supervisory or management position in PayPal and speak to them and tell them this is common sense and that, they, you know, number one, you, they need to better communicate to the bank the gravity of the scam and the obviousness of the scam. And number two, you need to have a way to speak to the bank and appeal this. You can't let a, you can't like let a faceless judge that isn't a real judge, but at the bank that's making themselves a judge decide upon this where you can't even see who's deciding upon it. That's totally unfair. And I can't guarantee if I were part of the call that I could get anything done, but I also think I might be able to. Often when you hear no, especially from a foreign call center, it's not really no if you press hard enough. So. Yeah, it sort of reminds me in the in the criminal justice system, you have a right to face your accuser. Right. You know. Right. And it's kind of similar in that regard. It's very similar, right? And, or at least you you have a right to see the judge. <laughs> you can't just. You, yeah. You're not you're right. not having a judge uh, make rulings when you don't even get to see him. Right, like you, you always have the opportunity to go to court and state your case in front of the judge. Uh, the, the, here, they're not letting you see the judge or know who they are, or even see what evidence is presented. You see nothing. You you send the evidence to PayPal. They supposedly, you know, write their version of it over to the bank. You don't know if what they write to the bank is correct. You don't get to see that, and then the bank, who they won't tell you which bank it is, makes a ruling based upon the evidence that you can't see. Yeah, they, they want you to take it in the ass and not see who's fucking you. Yeah, pretty much. They're saying, they're saying hey, the bank's not yeah. giving us the money back, so F you. You're not getting it back either, and, and no, we're not telling you anything because uh, you're a problem now. So really, really crappy on the part of PayPal. But don't give up. you got to keep yeah, you're pressing. you're working the, the wrong end of the glory hole there for sure. Yeah, yeah. and, and you, you, have to, you have to get <laughs> someone in the U.S., and you need to speak to someone with some sense, and you need to take it as high as you can. And, and not just let some foreign call center rep tell you, I'm sorry, this is the way it is. Now, the people who were out like 20 bucks, 25 bucks, and some of them were cheated for amounts like that. I understand why those people are not putting a lot of effort into this because it's just not worth it to them. And I can understand right. that. I can understand writing off $25 and saying, look, yes, it's the principle, but no, I'm not going to spend my days fighting this out. I can understand that. 
there, there's people though who are much bigger victims. They're victims of uh, as much as a thousand dollars, and those people are very very upset about this. But now, is PayPal keeping any transaction fees? Believe it or not, yes, they're actually they're actually charging people. So they're 20, actually making money off of this. They're actually charging some people twenty dollars fees for the return <laughs> for the chargeback. Now, some of them have been able to talk that out of you know. Some of them have gotten PayPal to refund that, but some of them haven't. Some of them are just accepting there's that. And then here's something else ridiculous that some people in that group are saying. They're saying, well, mine hasn't been ruled on yet, but given the way these are going, I'm probably going to lose, which is probably true. Right. And uh, Given that, uh, you know, like they say something, well, I, I, I'm actually pretty broke right now, and uh, I'm on the hook for like $800 of charge. My, my PayPal balance at the moment is minus 800 and they're connected, PayPal is connected to my credit card and my bank account, and I'm just waiting for them to take it from me, and I, that's really going to hurt me, and I'm going to have trouble making rent. And I said, wait a minute. So you're telling me they haven't taken it yet? They said, no, they haven't, but I'm sure they're going to. I said, okay. Why don't you disassociate your bank account exactly. and credit card from, pay- immediately. from PayPal? And they say to me, you can't because while my account is in the negative, they're investigating this, they've locked my ability to remove it. I said, okay. Yeah. Then that's when you pick up the phone to your credit card company and say, yeah, hello, I lost my credit card. Can you, uh, can you send me a new one with a new, phone, with a new number? And then you go, your, you go to your bank and say, yes, I'd like to close this account, please. Right. And, and then they can't touch you. So – would you believe it or not, these people are saying to me, well, come on, this is easier said than done. I go, what do you mean easier said than done? Do it. <laughs> it's, uh, you, if, if they're going to be that lazy about it, there's only so much you can do. That, that's what I said. And then, and then uh, and I said, furthermore, you guys have to understand, PayPal, they're a large company, but they are not, they're not the police. They're not a court. They're not a government. Some people are afraid they're going to go to jail if they do this. I said, no, you're not. Let me explain this to you. PayPal is just a company. They they can't arrest you. They can't garnish your wages. They they can't uh, drain from other bank accounts other than the one you've connected to it. They they can't do these things. They they have to get a court judgment against you in order to garnish your wages or other bank accounts. Which I can guarantee you, they're not going to do right, for eight hundred dollars. Right. There's no way they're going to do that. And and yeah. and. Uh, and, and you're definitely not going to jail. You were a victim of a scam. You were a victim, and you can prove you were a victim of a scam. If the police ever investigated this, which they never would, by the way, but if the police ever did investigate this, you could prove you were a victim of a scam and that PayPal was going to take the money from you after you were a victim. They're, they're essentially uh, the unwitting accomplices of the scammer. You know, there's no way you would be a, a, arrested for removing your bank account, for closing your bank account so PayPal can't charge back to you money that a scammer tried to hit you with. I mean, there's no way. So... I said, forget any criminal charges. There's zero chance that'll happen. As far as civil matters, there's no way they're going to sue you. If you close your account, they can't just take the money from you. They, so someone said, well, what about my credit? They, they could put this on my credit. I said, well, if you've given your social to them, which some people have, some people haven't. It's not, it's not required to give you social to open a PayPal account, but at some point they will ask for it if they're going to make payments to you or things like that. So you may have given your social at some point, but if they ever did put this on your credit, if you have a negative balance with them and you don't pay it, and then they've tried to put this on your credit, which I don't know if they do or not, but they might. You can actually write to the credit agencies and, and give them the details here and explain. If your, your credit's otherwise good, they, they, there's a good chance to believe you. You, yep. write, you write to them and explain what happened here, that you were a victim of a scam, and that PayPal was, was attempting to, was refusing to uh, 
take your side on this. They, they, even though PayPal admitted it was likely a scam, that uh, since they decided an unnamed bank of the scammer uh, isn't going to take action, that you owe the money to them, and that you did not want to pay money back to a scammer. You're not doing that, and the credit agencies will often take your side on that sort of thing. Yeah, and they'll either remove it, or in the absolute worst case, they'll annotate your credit file with what you've told them. Right, and and, and, and like you said, if you have an otherwise good credit record, you know that one little thing is not going to prevent you from you know getting a loan. Yeah, it's and and also in, in the like rare that. cases, occasionally. When you're going for a loan, they'll go through every little element of your credit, and they'll find some small thing like right. this on there and tell you, well, we're not going to give you the loan. Well, they don't just reject you. They'll say, you've got to settle this before we're going to give you the loan. So right. I actually know somebody who had an erroneous like 30 something thing on their credit from, from the electric company that, that was wrong, and it shouldn't have been there. But they were told they're not going to get a, a home loan until they pay off this thirty something dollars for the, the electric <laughs> company. So they, they 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 didn't love it, but they went and paid the thirty something dollars to the electric company, and it was over. So the point is here: if this ever really did become an, a major issue for you with trying to get a loan for something important, at that point you could pay it if if that was the condition of getting the loan. Yeah, you're making a really good point. Don't let these uh companies intimidate you i mean i had something really really stupid happen to me where back when i was in college i lived in one dorm just for the summer and i took out a sears card and i bought a hammer with it (laughs) like literally like 13 dollars right and then I moved out of that, and I, I put the address that I was staying over the summer there, and then I moved out of there, and I just completely forgot about it, right? And I can't remember. I think I, I probably just looked at my credit report or something like that, and I saw something on there. I'm like, I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, what is this Sears thing? I don't even know what this is. And I ended up just having my lawyer you know, write him a letter basically saying that, you know, my client values his credit history and you know this was obviously just and it all just went away so don't don't take this shit laying down there's no reason to are you able to hear the song or not what's that can you hear the song or no i guess you can't hear it you can hear the song. No, uh, yeah, no, yeah. We're on the wrong Skype. I can't yeah, hear the okay. the sound. I, I was playing the if I had a hammer song. Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, you're right. Just don't be intimidated by these guys, and it's not going to be the end of the world. There are things that you can do, and uh, PayPal is playing on you know two things. One, they're going to try and intimidate people, um, and the other is you know. They're hoping that people are just lazy enough that they won't do the kind of things you're telling them to do. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> yeah. So don't don't uh, one don't give up, and two, if you've got a negative balance, uh, and if it's a, a big one, if it's enough to where it's going to really upset you to lose that money, then just shut down the credit card, shut down the bank account it's attached to, and that's it. And by the way, if you shut down the bank account, you got to be careful. Don't just shut down a bank account and open up another one at that same bank. Sometimes they will transfer over anything that's uh, attempted to be uh, any any attempt to debit the other one that's closed. 
So yeah, really- and it actually could be a good opportunity because a lot of banks give incentives for opening new accounts with them. Yeah. So find one of those, and you might actually get a bonus for doing it. You know? <laughs> yeah, so just shut down completely from that bank for a while. And go to a different bank, open up the account there, and then PayPal can't touch you. They get, and cl- you don't even have to close the credit card. You can just get a different credit card number. Just say, I lost my credit card. Uh, I'd like you to issue a new credit card with a different number. And uh, that'll be that. Once they, once they turn off that credit card number, then there's no way for PayPal to charge to it. And then PayPal is out of luck, and you may get calls from collection agents or whatever, but just uh, hang up on them, and uh, that'll be that. And Now, yeah, if, if your PayPal account is super important to you, then maybe you should, but I'll, I'll tell you, PayPal, they have a weird policy regarding multiple accounts. They used to be super anti-multiple accounts like 15 years ago. Now they don't care anymore. Now PayPal has a really odd policy that if you have an issue with one account and, and start up another, they, they don't care. Now, I don't know about owing them money. An issue meaning like if it's frozen for some reason, but you don't owe them money, they don't care. If you owe them money and start a second account, I don't know what they'll do about it, but you may even be able to open another account and just leave the other one with a negative balance. I, now, don't take my word for it. Don't do that and get mad at me if they take money out of your account or freeze that one because you owed them money in the first account. But I can tell you that if you get your account just frozen or limited and start up another one, they don't care. And I was actually told that by a PayPal employee. So uh, it's something to keep in mind too. Or you can, you can, you can have your open one, open one, your dad's name, your sister's name, whatever. There's a lot or of ways around. Use another service. Yeah. Or use another service. Yeah. So, and again, I'm not advocating cheating PayPal here. PayPal, unfortunately, has some really bad policies, and this is one of them, where you are a victim here. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people who get negative balances from, from some sort of nefarious activity and then try to find a way around it. I'm talking about if you are a victim of a scam and PayPal is, has negative to your account and are demanding that you pay into that account to get it back to zero uh, because you were scammed, then I find no fault with you taking matters into your own hands to circumvent that because you were a victim. Yeah, I would, I would do the same. I would tell them to go screw. Yeah. Because when, basically, if you're a victim, if you're a victim of a scam and you find ways to circumvent having to pay either the victim or ones who facilitated the, the, the... If you find ways to get around having to pay the, the scammer or those that facilitated the scam unwittingly... Uh, there's nothing wrong with you doing that <laughs> morally or uh, I think in many cases even legally. So uh, sometimes you just got to, if you're getting screwed, you got to take matters into your own hands and uh, do what's right. Okay, so uh, from the 916 area, didn't eBay sell PayPal? Yeah, I, I believe they are, they're separate now. Do you know, Do you know about that? I think I read about that. Let me see. Uh, let me see. eBay. I vaguely recall something. Yeah, about that's it. what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, they did in 2014. You're correct from the 916 area code. I think that was Desert Explorer who texted that. Now, were they actually sold, or did they just spin it out into, uh, you know, a, a subsidiary of a parent company? Or, um, let's see. Uh, September 30, 2014, it says eBay announces it will spin PayPal off into separate business. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so they still so the parent company still owns it. Yeah, okay. So yeah. it's not really sold. That was a good question. By the way, I see one of our few female listeners actually got uh, fourth place. Nice. Yeah, Chelsea got fourth place. She's the uh, girlfriend of one of the other listeners here. 
So that was. Uh, I didn't even sniff the bubble. <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, from the five hundred five, lights about to get cut off. Does Mark Hoke have a problem in the pits? WTF? LOL. I don't even think so. I just think it's not that lucrative to uh, to be like a poker blogger and, and radio show host. I can tell you that myself as a internet radio show host who has no sponsors. Uh, Scott from the East Coast, you're on the air. Hello. No, Jeff, this is uh, four four two. Oh, I blew it. Okay, I just see. I just saw the four one zero. I'm like, okay, that's Scott. I just, <laughs> I just, I just tune out the rest of the number. Okay, so four four two. What's going on? Did you talk about the uh, PPC scam? Oh yeah, we spent a long time at the beginning talking about that. I, I just had some relevant information for that. One of my uh, friend of mine finished in the money and satellited in for the supposed next November. Oh. <laughs> uh the one coming up. Well, it was at Maryland Live, and he's already been he's already been issued a it's a ten ninety nine or W two I can't remember which form but oh, really? five hundred for the for the the trip price, which hasn't occurred yet. So I told him that he should go to Maryland Live and talk to the poker room manager, and they need to make good on that thirty five hundred that they took out of the prize pool for the trip that's coming up that's a good that? point that's a good point so so you, they were actually satelliting in for what for the event next year yes wow so you're satelliting, yeah, you're this, satelliting happened in, like, this happened this past november so so wait a minute so they, people were actually satelliting in for like a 11 and a half months in advance yeah wow okay so yeah i it would might, go i would definitely go back to maryland it's coming november it's definitely in 2017 but uh, yeah yeah Okay. Whatever it is, yeah, they should go back to Maryland Live. I don't know what their legal responsibility is, but they should go back to them, tell them this is a scam, show the evidence, show that these people have not paid, and 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 they also. I don't think it's up to the player to have to determine like who's putting it on, whose responsibility it is to pay it. I I think as long as this is a Maryland Live event, the people may have a claim against uh, Maryland Live to have to make good on it if they if they gave away a prize that. Actually, has no value. That's supposed to have a thirty five hundred. Especially if value. they're getting ten ninety nine or whatever. Yeah, and definitely the ten ninety nine. Yeah. can can't. They can definitely get that canceled. Yeah. That, that they can definitely get and canceled. They took it out of the. Uh, they took it out of the uh, prize pool. Right. So they they should say that uh, Maryland Live didn't do their due diligence to uh, make sure that this is a legitimate well, operator. Bro, that, that means these guys are holding on to the money for eleven months. Yeah. Well, you know where that goes. <laughs> I mean, that's a long time. The amazing thing is, with all this money they collected from the satellite, they still aren't paying people from. Uh, yeah, you would think that the the Ponzi. Yeah, because it was the final. Forward. It was the final nine. It was the final nine. So that's uh, nine times thirty five hundred. What is that? Like thirty. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not thirty one fifty. So it's not enough. Yeah, so that's not enough. Yeah. No, they owe they owe they owe hundreds of thousands here. So. <laughs> That's going to be a drop in the bucket. So I, I see why they didn't pay still. But, yeah, they should go back to Maryland Live, your friend. And, number one, at the very least, get the 1099 canceled if it's not going to be made right. Because that's they definitely shouldn't owe taxes on something they didn't receive. And, and number yeah, two, exactly. uh, demand that uh, either they get the 3500 back or that they get some kind of guarantee that this is going to take place. Not just like, oh, we promise it will take place, but some guarantee from Maryland Live that if it does not take place that they will get $3,500. Yeah, that- you can make the legitimate claim that your friend thought that this was a legitimate event because Maryland Live put their name behind it. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. So they should go back and if they, Maryland Live refuses, they should go to the Gaming Commission in Maryland and uh, complain and and say that they they want either the thirty five hundred pack or a signed document stating that if this tournament does not take place as promised, that that they will get the thirty five hundred back uh, at that point. Because I, I'm sure yeah, Maryland I think Live that's will. That's a good angle. And, and they may have to go pretty high. You can't just go to some scrub working the night shift there. They, they don't have the authorization to do this. But spe- oh, spe- yeah. I, I, yeah, so, you know, it makes me just go right to the poker room manager. Yeah, they should. And then if they won't if they won't help, because the poker room manager doesn't always have all that much power either, if they won't help to go to the casino manager or even the uh, the, the manager of the whole property and then and threaten to take this to gaming and threaten to yeah, take you'll, this. Yeah, you'll get their attention if you take it to gaming. And, and also threaten, sure. to, threaten to take it to the press. If they if they say, look, I'm going to take this to the press, too, that this has occurred, that uh, that I won a poker tournament here at Maryland, Maryland Live, and uh, the organizers of this tournament are ha- have flown the coop and are clearly not going to pay anybody and not going to hold the next one, and uh, and I, I'm not getting what, what I won. I, I think this would be an interesting story in the media, too. So he should he should threaten all these things. And, and keep in mind, like, we had a listener I've talked about before who got screwed by the Rio when they double checked in someone to his room and that person stole his his iPad and cash and they they didn't want to fully yeah, they didn't want to fully compensate him but when when the media started getting involved including this show when he went on this show and said look I was on Poker Fraud Alert Radio I'm going to be on a lot more and be on TV you guys better pay me the Rio backed down and paid him so uh, they they don't always want this negative publicity and this this would make them look very bad that someone wins this at their casino and does not get paid. So it's it's not up to the player to have to do the due diligence on those running the poker tour unless they sign something beforehand saying this is an independent event. Maryland Live does not uh, have anything to do with this. Blah blah blah. But I don't think anyone did. So, yeah, and that's why they're going to so, care a lot really about bad. this. Um, I was going to say was that that's why they're going to care a lot about this. Is the average person who reads about this in the press isn't going to understand the nuance of you know some other company was putting on a tournament at maryland live they're just going to see maryland lives not paying people yeah and that looks terrible for yeah them. so that's that's why they should well, especially i was gonna say especially with mgm just opening up you got some uh increased yeah. competition oh yeah that's, that's true started here yeah you look if, if you if your friend here has an issue with this and uh uh, you know, I I can even I know of course I don't I, I am not attached to the situation, but if they want, I can call in three way with them and and try to pressure them with, along with your friend uh, on his behalf. You know, he has to be on the call too. I can't call myself because I uh, I wasn't involved in this, but but uh, yeah, yeah. T- and try to put pressure on them, and I'll even tell them we're going to cover it on this show and and that the this is going to be all over the internet and that it's it's really important that they do the right thing, and there may even be. Uh, a legal angle to where they have to do this. They they may have to make this right according to law in Maryland, but I don't know the laws there. So you, he should also, as first, threaten to go to gaming, and then if nothing gets done, go to gaming. So this this right. seems wrong to me. I I can't see how it could occur to where now they may have to tell him he has to wait until the tournament doesn't take place. Just because these guys are acting shady, that may not be enough for Maryland Live to cover it. Maryland Live may say, look. This isn't our problem. Let's wait until October or November when the next one's supposed to take place. And if it doesn't happen then, then we'll talk. But he should say, look, it's very clear these guys have flown the coop and owe hundreds of thousands to people, and, and this next one's not going to happen. In fact, we doubt even this, this venue in Aruba is going to let this happen. So given the behavior of these guys, which you're welcome to verify, I want some kind of promise from you in writing, Maryland Live, that if this does not play, take place in October, that you pay me at that point. 
or whenever it's supposed to be. That yeah, especially because, since you're getting taxed on it already. Yeah, because because Maryland Live yeah. will well also it shouldn't be taxed for this year. It should be taxed for 2017 then if they pay him in 2017. That's that's the other thing is that they also should either, either unless they pay him in 2016, they should. Uh, I, I believe that the tax form should be for 2017 if they actually pay him in 2017 because uh, it appears that this tournament is not going to take place. But that's the least of his trouble now, the, the tax thing. But that right. should be that should be handled too. And in fact, if they will not do anything for the tax form, uh, one, he should complain to the IRS, and number two, he should just not pay taxes on it. And actually, and if the IRS ever comes to him, then say, "I never got it," because you're you're not responsible to pay taxes on any uh, compensation you did not receive. So even if let, let's say I worked for an employer, and uh, and they didn't pay me. And I could prove they didn't pay like Mark me. Hulk, like Mark Hulk working for PPC. Yeah, and but then the, but then the employer sends in forms to, to to the IRS claiming that they did pay me and I owe taxes. Well, as long as I can prove they didn't pay me, I have a right not to pay taxes on this because they, you were never required by law to pay taxes on uh, on on income you didn't receive. So uh, you you may have to prove it, but this is going to be very easy to prove if the event never takes place. That's uh, that couldn't be an easier thing to prove. So the the IRS would never force him to, and he could easily write to them if they ever came after those taxes. But the best thing is to force Maryland Live to uh, amend or cancel the ten ninety nine, and and even better yet, uh, they really should be on the hook for this. This shouldn't be something he walks away from, and that's that uh, that's sick that these guys picked up oh, another. No, I- we just started talking about it today, so I'm sure he's not going to walk away from it. Yeah, and and it's it's sick here that uh, these guys walked away with more than thirty thousand dollars from this stuff too, and then walked off yeah. into the sunset. So they they may be not as broke as I th- I said they were because they I mean they, it's possible here that they realize they're not going to be able to raise the hundreds of thousands that are required to pay these top seven finishers, and that they've decided they're just going to take what they can get now and run. Because they're not they're not going to get enough to continue the scam, so they might as well just get what they can here and leave. And that's probably why they walked out of Maryland Live because they uh, there's too much heat. They got the money from the uh, from the satellites, and that's it. And they're gone. So uh, that's that's too bad that they have thirty th- something thousand here to still uh, live on for the moment. So yeah. yeah, well, good luck to your friend there. Thanks for giving this uh, addendum to this. All right. Yeah, thanks, and I usually listen on the archives, and great show. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's 442, who has, 442X, I think is his name. He's, he's donated, or not donated, he has uh, bought pieces of me of the World Series before. That's where I know him best from, but I know he's listened to the show for a while. Uh, let's see what, what else we got here. Uh, so, Phil Ivey, we seem to cover this every week, but I think we're about done here. Phil Ivey was ordered to pay $10.3 million back to the Borgata. This has been the long-running case involving the edge sorting that Phil Ivey did at Baccarat and Punto Banco at various casinos. He had two lawsuits. One was where he sued Crockford's in the UK, who wouldn't pay him after he won. And the Borgata who sued him, who did pay him after he won and wanted the money back. So this, he already lost the Crockford's case, but he wasn't required to pay anything because they just wouldn't pay him. So he never got any money from them in the first place. Uh, the ruling here says that, uh, that Phil Ivey actually uh, has to pay to Borgata. So here, 
this is what happened. Uh, he's he actually ten point one million is the ruling. Ten point one million is is what he has to pay. He and uh, Cheng Yin's son. Uh, a judge ordered that the two of them had to re- return ten point one million to the casino, and. It essentially returned both sides to where they were before they began gambling at the Borgata. So the Borgata did not win their expected win claim. They, they wanted Ivy to not only pay them back with what had been won, but also uh, what Ivy was expected to lose had he played there without this edge that he got through his accomplice being able to see the backs of the cards and figuring out what those cards were from the slight defects in the back of the cards, which is what they did. So uh, so basically, they had to pay back uh, 10.1 million. Ivy had won 9.7 something million. I, I assume that uh, the rest of it's probably interest. So the judge decided it was fair just to wipe out Ivy's win, and that he shouldn't have to pay anything extra, but that he shouldn't be able to keep anything that he won. Uh, the judge said that. Uh, the, the, the case involved, quote, voiding a contract that was tainted from the beginning and breached as soon as it was executed. He was referring to uh, the fact that uh, Ivy played under circumstances the casino didn't realize. That uh, the casino made certain allowances, and the allowances allowed them to see the backs of the cards better and see the small defects in them that allowed them to know what the cards were and gave them an edge in the game that gave them a high chance to win. Now, I think this was especially unfair because... Ivy was not a sure winner here. It's not like he had a 100% chance to win with this advantage. He he had a good edge, but it wasn't 100% or anywhere near that. So Ivy could have lost. So this made the whole thing a free roll for the Brigada to where had Ivy lost when he was doing this, he could not have recovered the money. And then now that he won, they're getting the money back. In fact, this was also accused in the direction of Crockford's that Crockford's knew what they were doing and wanted to see if Ivy was going to win or lose, and if he ended up losing that they'd be happy, and if he ended up winning, they just wouldn't pay him. So, the judge uh, denied, as I said, the, the whole thing about the expected losses claim, which I think is ridiculous, because Ivy would not have played there uh, without this edge. So they, they can't claim expected losses. That that's ridiculous. Just because you you find an edge and play under it doesn't mean the casino is entitled to the your average loss. Had you been playing the way they'd like you to play, that that's outrageous. They already had a free roll as it is by uh, by getting the money back here. Because as I said, if Ivy had lost while doing this, then he would not have gotten the money back no matter what. So that's that's a perfect situation for the casino where if you win, they can sue you and get the money back, and if you lose, they just keep it. Free roll. So, the uh, the judge said that uh, the method that they were uh, that the casino was using to calculate what they called the expected loss was uh, was too speculative, meaning that uh, the casino can't just say what Ivy would have lost if he played uh, the way they wanted him to, because that's uh, that's taking luck out of the whole thing. For all they know, Ivy could have won. So they say they can't just say what he would have lost because there's no such thing as would have in gambling. So that that was rejected by the judge. 
uh, he, he's, the judge said that he was particularly uh, put off by the fact that Ivy and Son instructed the dealers to arrange the cards in, in a certain way uh, so they could see the cards better, and that they used a different excuse of why they wanted this done. It was to turn the cards on their sides, which the, uh, Son claimed was for good luck. She claimed she was a superstitious Asian, when in reality it was to get the cards closer so she could see the defects. Uh... So he he ruled. Uh, in fact, this judge had ruled in October that uh, the uh, these actions violated the state's Casino Control Act. So uh, the judge also rejected a request by the Borgata that Ivy repay two hundred fifty thousand dollars in comps that he had uh, been given while playing there. They were saying that they would not have comped him had he known they known what he was doing here. The judge did not give a reason, as far as I know, why he rejected the comps, but that uh, he did not feel the Borgata was entitled to those back. So basically, the judge said, "You can have the money back that that Ivy won. You can have the interest. You can't have anything else." I still think it's wrong. I, th- I think that Ivy should have been allowed to keep it. I think if a player notices a defect in the cards and uses that to their advantage, then that is the fault of the casino or the card manufacturer is not the fault of the player for noticing an additional edge they can have. I feel it is only cheating when you are either using a casino employee as an insider to help you or when you're using devices to allow you to cheat, such as uh, mirrors or electronics or things like that. When you're using your own eyes and your own brain, even if you're noticing something that you shouldn't have noticed, and you're not manipulating any kind of... And if you're not... I can also understand if you're manipulating a machine in some way to cheat it. Like there was a story a while back of these guys who figured out how to make a video poker machine pay them back ten times what they were supposed to get through a bug in the machine that they discovered. I don't think that they should have been able to get away with that, and I, I can understand why they were criminally charged, because they, they were just uh, using a, a, a bug in the machine to, to steal from the casino. So I can understand that being a criminal charge, but this shouldn't even be a civil charge. This should not be anything. This this is an advantage play. Advantage play is all about noticing edges the player has over the casino that the casino doesn't realize, or even if they've realized it, have chosen not to do anything about it, and to turn the tables to where the player has the advantage. And that's exactly what they did here. And the Borgata was aware the whole time of what they were doing. They just didn't know why they were doing it. So you ask Borgata, hey, can you turn the cards this way? And Borgata says, oh, okay, well, then okay. It doesn't matter if the reason you give them is not the real reason. If they agree to turn the cards, they agree to turn the cards. Now, if you if you turn the cards yourself without their permission, that's a different story. But the Borgata agrees to turn the cards. It doesn't matter what the reason is. They shouldn't have agreed if, if it's going to do this to them. It's their fault for agreeing. So... I think this sets a bad precedent. I think this sets a very bad precedent. It allows casinos to sue advantage players for beating them at their own game. Now, the good news for most advantage players is that the casino is not going to sue you because it's not going to be enough money. This this was big money Ivy had won here. If Ivy won like 100000 I doubt they would have sued him. $10 million, yeah, they're suing him. So... It's a matter of it's worth their time. And uh, I don't think many people or any people who listen to the show are, are gambling through advantage play any kind of really big money. 
I know I never have. I've done advantage play for small and medium sums of money, but but never for anything even close to six figures. So uh, I, I assume that most of the listeners here, even the ones that have, do advantage play, it's not for really large money where you'll ever get sued. But it's still a bad precedent. I don't agree with it. And I'm not always someone who takes the player's side. As I said, this thing with the video poker and the guys who exploited that bug. I, I saw advantage players decrying this. Go, oh my god, these people, are, they're charging these advantage players in video poker. This is so awful. And I said, no, these guys were cheating. These guys found a bug in a video poker machine and, and, and were purposely exploiting the bug to pay them ten times what they're supposed to get from the machine. Yes, of course it's cheating. It's like stealing for the casino. I understand why that's a criminal offense, and it should be. So I don't always just blindly take the player's side, but but for an advantage play, which is what this was, not only shouldn't be there be a criminal case, which there wasn't here, but there also should not be a successful civil case. And it's unfortunate both in the UK and in New Jersey that there was. And the funny thing is that New Jersey is a somewhat advantage play friendly state in that casinos are not even allowed to kick you out of a game for advantage play. So, like, if you're counting cards in blackjack in New Jersey, they cannot kick you out of the casino, and they cannot kick you out of the blackjack game. Since the 80s, it's been against the law for them to do that. They can take steps to make things tougher for you. They can do what's called one-handing you, meaning you can only play one hand at a time, and they can also shuffle up the deck a lot sooner. So, your edge from counting cards goes away, but they cannot kick you out of the game, and they cannot kick you out of the casino for counting cards. And I've experienced this myself. I've, I've played at the Borgata before, and I've had them uh, catch me counting cards, and they couldn't do anything about it. So guess what I did? I stood up, left the game, and walked to the other pit on the other side of the casino. And I played over there, and counted cards there, and did so with no fear that they could do anything about it. <laughs> so... That's something I would never do in Vegas. If they caught me counting cards in Vegas, I would never move to the other side of the same casino. So, uh, New Jersey is a lot more friendly towards advantage players, but not here. So, Cal, what's, what's your opinion of the Ivy thing? Oh, did I lose Cal? What? Let me see. He's still on, which means I probably lost him in consciousness. Cal, what are you there? Oh, uh, boy. Well, it was nice while it lasted. No more Catwalk. He tried. In fact, he sounded pretty awake to the end. Trader Ruski, I see you're listening. Trader Ruski messaged me on, uh, he sent me a text message. He sent me to a TMZ article that uh, Howard Stern whack packer Joey Boots is dead. <laughs> Was that a snore? Okay, I'm going to be nice and just cut the line here so I don't wake Calwatt from his beauty sleep. But yeah, it says, uh, this is just announced uh, about an hour ago. Joey Boots of the Howard Stern show, one of the whack packers, has died. As a rep for the NYPD tells TMZ that cops responded to Boots' Bronx apartment at 9.45 p.m. for a male in the need of medical attention. He was dead on arrival. High-pitch Eric, another whack packer, 
actually went to check on Joey Boots when he didn't show up for his regular gig. And then he didn't answer the door, so Eric got the building manager to do a wellness check and found that Joey was sitting in a chair and was had no pulse and was cold when you touch him. That's never a good sign. So he's only 49, Joey Boots. So that's... Uh, I, I was kind of a uh, a whackpacker for a day in Howard Stern 20 years ago when I was the, the king of all answer machine hackers. And I hacked uh, Daniel Carver's answer machine and changed the KKK message to a parody of itself. So, Trader Ruski, thank you for that news story and welcome. You got it. I'll call him for Kawat since he sounds like he's out cold. He is totally out cold. We've been even, there. We even heard him like kind of like shift position or something. Like, <laughs> it sounded like he was moving around while he was snoozing. I don't know how people can fall asleep when I'm just speaking in their ear, but somehow somehow it happens with him and with you too. You you fall asleep and just we have to cut you True. too. I, say, I can't have True. that. I would be I, I I would have to be so tired. I mean, like it would have to be a massive sleep deprivation to where I could sleep through that. The what you know, one time I I think the strangest place I've ever fallen asleep in. It may not sound that strange when I say it, but trust me, it is. I once fell asleep in a small like two seater airplane. A four-seater airplane that, uh, um, which is very, very noisy, and also it's just it's it's not like flying falling asleep on a on a big jumbo jet. I mean, this is this thing is uh, not the type of thing you'd fall asleep in. But I was so exhausted, I had been up for like thirty straight hours, and I actually fell asleep in a tiny airplane. And other than that, I can't think of times I've fallen asleep where you would think it wouldn't be possible to do. But uh, I know some people can. In fact, uh, what always amazes me about little babies is, uh, like, little babies can just fall asleep anywhere with, like, bright lights everywhere and this noise in the room and just, like, they can just fall asleep and stay asleep. And I was, uh, like, we would take Benjamin to dinner when he was a little baby. And he'd just knock out in his uh, in his carrier. And it didn't matter how noisy the restaurant was or how bright the restaurant was, he could just sleep right through it. So, anyway, uh, glad to have you here, uh, Troy Daruski. And are, are you planned to be a, a co-host on the first uh, Brandon show on January 3rd? Um, I'll be going into Vegas that night, but I'm sure I'll be uh, probably getting early, so definitely there. If he needs me, I haven't talked to him about it yet, but... Yeah, like, I I would actually, you know, like, as far as, I haven't figured out what my participation in the show is going to be, but I actually, I think the biggest hurdle for me would be the fact that I'm going to be doing a show the next day, so I can't take the whole night doing that show, too. So, he he hasn't asked me to, I'm just saying that, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure I could if I wanted to, but that, the problem is I, I just don't think I'll have time to take out two nights for this, but I, I may make a cameo on there. Well, the third's a month. Isn't the third a Monday? He said it was Tuesday. I didn't bother to verify it. Maybe, maybe it really is Monday. Let's see. The oh, third is it, no. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Oh, third's a Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because the cool. first is on a Sunday, so most people have the second off for, of work because the the first is a Sunday, and and then the, the third is like the first working day of 2017 for most people. So, uh, Poker Central which was a 
it wanted to be a 24-7 poker network has uh, made a major downgrade. They have decided that they're going to stop broadcasting content, which means that they're not going to do any kind of streaming or broadcasting anymore, that it's just going to be on-demand type stuff. Uh, they never really caught on. That they, I think they were on like one or two small cable systems, but that was it. And uh, they they showed up about a year ago in October 2015. And I, I thought on this, like, it, it seemed like it was going to be full of fail, but I could see possibly how it would work if they had enough original programming. If, if they were just going to rerun this poker TV shows. The, 24-7 for the most part, then that wasn't going to get many viewers. Uh, and, and keep in mind, poker on TV has been losing ratings every year. This is the wrong time to be coming out with such a thing. But uh, I, I was surprised they couldn't get carried by more cable systems, since there was there's pretty much an unlimited uh, number of channels that can be carried these days through these digital converter boxes. So if they were willing to, to not receive any money to basically be carried for free on both sides, that they don't pay them and the cable... They don't pay the cable company, the cable company doesn't, doesn't pay them, and then survive on advertising, I would think that some cable companies may have taken a shot with that. Because that's like free programming for the cable company. But for whatever reason, they couldn't get it going. They, they got on, on one or two networks and that was it. And... The way most people watched Poker Central was through their live streaming on the internet. But that's going away. At the end of uh, the year, December 31st, that'll be the end of their live streaming and the, their live broadcasting. The Poker Central network will continue, but only through uh, on-demand sort of things. And uh, also says they, uh, they, they had a... I guess the, they only uh, it was only carried on Buckeye Broadband in Ohio and uh, Sony's PlayStation View carried it, which I didn't know about that. Uh, they actually had supposedly signed deals with other distributors, other cable companies, or pseudo-cable companies, but uh, that's not going to happen anymore. So the the... the the person who was funding this whole thing is named Carrie Katz, and he's a uh, Las Vegas entrepreneur. He's uh, a poker player, and uh, he also is the chairman of College Loan Corporation. I haven't heard of them before. But uh, he decided he's going to pull the plug on it, and I guess other people who were working for it were surprised and disappointed. The CEO, Clint Stinchcom. Kind of reminds me of Amanda Stinchcomb we had on here. Uh, he had been the network CEO. He couldn't be reached for comment on the whole shutdown. But uh, th- anyway, they, they will, they'll have a playlist of programs you can use. And it'll be done through uh, free ad-supported video on demand. So it'll have ads on it, and that's what they're going to have for now. You can watch things on demand, but that's, that's a big downgrade from a 24-7 network. Um, 
Apparently, the channel is also carried uh, in certain hotels <laughs> by Cox Communications. So that's weird. Cox won't carry it on their regular programming, but in hotels you could watch it. <laughs> Do people even watch TV much in hotels anymore, other than porn? That, that, that seems more of like an 80s thing to do, is sit in the hotel and watch TV. I think, I think the reason that really died out is that people have phones and tablets and computers now, and they just watch on the internet. They don't, they don't need to watch. Like, there's a lot more to do now in a hotel room than there used to be, just because of the devices you have with you. Trader Risk, did you ever watch TV in the hotel? Yeah, I usually have ESPN on or something. Okay. But you're right. If I want to watch something, I'll probably po- you know watch it on my iPad. Yeah. And I think for the po- for that poker thing too, it's like if you know people want to watch something, they can just go online and watch it. That audience. How were the numbers for WSOP this year? I don't did know. You, or, did no. they report them? I don't know if they reported. If they did, I didn't see it. Uh, I do get the, all the media updates that that uh, the WSOP blasts to the media, and I've not seen anything about that. I would have noticed that. So, I don't know, but well, that's not a good sign. No. <laughs> if they were great, I'm sure we'd have heard that. Yeah, probably. And you know, it's, as far as this 24/7 poker network, I, I felt that the only shot they would have had at succeeding is with like a whole lot of live programming, not just a few a day, but even if it's not all the best quality, but just programming, just just. New live poker stuff, and especially with all the different people who are who are putting things out on Twitch these days, and uh, all the different poker podcasts, which I admit doesn't always make the best TV, but you could do a video podcast, uh, things like that. If you just have this type of stuff running throughout the day, and people know they can just turn it on and see a lot of this original content, that could get I could see that could get a following. If it's just rerunning old poker stuff, it's not no one's going to want to put a lot of effort to watch that. And and it was some effort because you had to go uh, either watch it uh, through their site or because they just really didn't have, or you had to get an app to watch it. it. It wasn't something you could just simply switch to a channel. And it's just something that people don't have the desire to go do if it's going to be mostly reruns of things. And and a few original shows on there aren't going to change that. You, wa- you want something where someone tunes into it, someone's like kind of just... As many people say about this show, they want to just go to sleep and just kind of hear something as as they fall asleep. Or they just want to relax when they're driving or at work or on the toilet. And the, you know, So they just want to turn on something easy to listen to. And they turn it on. Okay, you know, here, here's, here I get to see uh, Jason Somerville playing on Twitch or whatever it is. Or, or this uh, poker video podcast. Like a Chicago Joey would be a good one to be on that network. Like things like that, people people will turn it on and find different types of programming like that. I could I could see it catching on, but not not the way they're doing it. So, and I'm not even saying it's a great idea to just have that stuff. That may not that may be a failure too. But the way they were doing it was was pretty much guaranteed to be a failure. And that's what I thought when it first came out. You'll hear on previous shows that I've done where I've mentioned Poker Central. I I said this had fail written all over it, and now it's just a matter of time before it's gone completely. Uh, let's see here. It also says here, Stinchcom, which is not, again, it's not uh, Stinchcom, it's Stinchcom. A former longtime Discovery Communications executive and other executives had settled amicably with network ownership after the decision was made to shut down the cable channel. The person's close to the operation said that that might not include every employee involved in the separation. The channel's distribution team was led by Sid Eshelman, a network veteran who was at Turner Broadcasting for 13 years before joining Poker Central. Wow, what a downgrade. 
and also included Robert Gold, formerly of Discovery Communications, and another former Discovery executive, Dan Russell, was vice president of programming at Poker Central. This is unbelievable. I didn't know they had this this team of, of uh, broadcasting all-stars. I, th- I really thought it was just like a bunch of chumps who got together and uh, set this up on a, on a whim. But this looks like they got some real uh, heavy hitters in broadcasting to join this. I, I bet they talked him into it with some kind of like ownership stake in the company or something like they they convinced him this is going to be huge and hopefully these guys didn't leave, leave like uh lucrative positions at turner and discovery to go do this crap but you know greed is a big thing uh i don't know if you guys have heard the fable of the dog and the bone it's a children's story but i, w- I was fascinated by this when i heard the story as a kid so since we have such a, a large audience of five-year-olds here i'm going to retell the story uh, the Dog and the Bone is, is about a dog who finds a bone and is very happy with it and is running around with a bone in his mouth. And he, he approaches a lake and he looks down in the lake and he sees another dog who looks just like him holding a very similar bone. In fact, it looks like the same bone. And the dog, all he can think about, even though he loves this bone he found that he's holding, he wants two of them. He wants a second bone. He's pissed off that this other dog who's in the lake has the same bone as he does. And he thinks maybe if, if he can growl and look fierce that uh, the other dog will get scared and run away and he can jump in the lake and get the second bone. Because the dog's not happy. He's only got one bone. He wants two. Now, of course, he's really seeing his own reflection in the lake and doesn't realize that. So he growls. The other dog growls back at him. And he moves in a threatening manner and the other dog moves the exact same way. So the dog feels the only other thing he can do is bark at the other dog and he'll drop the bone. So he opens his mouth to bark, the bone falls out of his mouth, goes into the water, which is much deeper than he realized it was, falls into the water, and the bone is gone. And the dog is left with nothing. So I think that's the mindset that occurs here with some of these executives. I mean, I don't, I don't know the story with what they were doing before they joined Poker Central. Maybe they were out of work anyway. But it doesn't say that here. But if they really left good jobs at Discovery and Turner to go join Poker Central, I, I'm wondering if they were talked into believing that this is going to be a huge network, this is going to be a gigantic thing, and they're going to be at the top of it instead of somewhere in a, a good but not spectacular position at Turner Broadcasting or Discovery Communications. So they, uh, like the dog at the bone, they, they, <laughs> they, they feel that... Uh, they want more. And they think if they just take a few actions here that they will have more. And then they're left with nothing. So I, I have to think that uh, the settling with the Stinchcom guy may have had to do with uh, giving him some kind of financial settlement for uh, in exchange for him like releasing his ownership. Anyway... That's amazing that there's that many people involved. I mean, these guys must have had to be paid well. So can you imagine how much money must have gone into paying these guys per year to run Poker Central? I mean, this thing must have been losing huge money. Do you know much about this Carrie Katz guy? I, I no, I forgot who he is. Who's which one is he? Who he, is he, he involved with? He, he's the owner of, of Poker Central. He's the one who made the decision. Right, but- yeah, but he didn't come with one of the networks, did he? He came from poker? He, he has this uh, college loan corporation 
which I don't know much oh, about it. And then he um, he had a very expensive mansion in Las Vegas that was uh, he put on the market uh, a year ago for twenty two million. And I see a picture of it, and it looks uh, looks really really nice. Of course, uh, I don't know where he like maybe this college loan corp. Uh, let's see what they what do they do? The College Loan Corporation is the seventh largest student loan company in the United States. Okay, well that, that's the answer. So they, it's a student loan company, and so he must have made a lot of money from it. He also claims to be a poker pro, but it, he's kind of a poker pro the same way that uh, Dan Shack is a poker pro. Someone who made his money in another way, and uh, can then claim to be a poker pro just because he plays a lot of poker. But uh, yeah, this a uh, wow. His the house he put on the market last year fifteen thousand four hundred seventy nine square feet. Wow, that's insane. I mean, that's that's a gigantic house because I mean houses are rarely that big, even for super rich people. This is the house, not the lot. Uh, fifteen thousand four hundred seventy nine square feet. And that that's so huge. That's like if you think about a house that's three thousand square feet, that's like a, a pretty good size but not gigantic residential house like 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 think of a, a good sized residential house for a family of five live in uh this is more than five of those so that's that's gigantic it's said to have a, uh and then i see the inside of it. it it looks like a palace and it says uh it's adorned with opulent chandeliers ornate marble statuesque columns and coffered ceilings and then uh of course, there's a very nice pool in the back, and uh, big palm trees in the backyard. Yeah, this is a really, really expensive-looking place I'm looking into here. So it says the College Loan Corp has existed since 1999, and now manages over 10 billion in student loans. So that's that's what this guy did. This guy founded this company 17 years ago, and uh, Made a lot of money on student loans. So, uh, I, I wonder if this was his idea to start Poker Central or if he was talked into this by some uh, smooth talking uh, wannabe but broke entrepreneur who got Carrie Cats to back it and then they brought in these uh, executives who I'm sure were paid very well. And then it failed. I mean, I, I don't understand. How do you bring in all these people with apparently so much experience and talent and they don't see the big flaw in the whole thing? Because I, I, I can tell you from my impression of it, the second I heard of it, I'm like, okay, a 24-7 poker network. Okay, what's going to be on it? Oh, reruns of poker shows? No, this sucks. Like That that was that was the way I perceived it. What about you when you heard about this? Is that, is that the way you thought about it? No, I mean, I didn't hear too much about it or think much about it. But I'm sure that they... Um you know, I'm sure they knew, had maybe had some relationships with some of the executives, <clears throat> got them to put their name in the deck if they got funding, used their backgrounds. He probably put in a million or whatever, the Kerry Katz guy, and then they just got the investors and lost all their money. Yeah, I, but it seems like he's. That's what I would it seems like he's the investor to me. That's what it's, that's what I'm looking at. Like like when I'm reading here about, uh, it seems like he just decided on his own. It says the network primarily funded by Kerry Katz. Yeah, so that's got to be mostly. Oh, so you got most of Wow. Yeah, so that's why he could just decide. He, he just decided it was a money pit and just said, "Okay, the, uh, we're, we're we're seriously cutting down what we're doing here. Where we're seriously 
ramping this down to a low budget operation. That's that's he didn't say that, but that sounds like what he's doing here by ending the broadcasting and the live streaming. And uh, I, I'm guessing that they may be letting go of these executives too, so they can just run this on a shoestring budget. And I don't even see why do that. Why not just shut the whole thing down? But maybe maybe just leave it in a very low budget state while they see if there's anything they could do to revive it. So, um, oh, by the way, someone says here in a comment of the article that I'm reading uh, that they notified the affiliates back in September that it would be shutting down three months from then. So, this person's saying it's not a surprise at all that it's closing, but whatever. It's To, to me, this was not going to work. There, there are certain ideas that I see thrown out there. For businesses, and I, I just know immediately it's not going to work. And rarely am I wrong when I have a strong feeling something's going to fail. Uh, there have been a few times, like like with Bitcoin, where I said it's a fad, it's not going to last, and here it is over nine hundred right now per Bitcoin. But you know, there's been a few things like that which are kind of wild cards in a way, in that they're really something new and unusual, and it's kind of harder to predict. But there's been so many business ideas, especially ones having to do with poker where I can see that they're not going to work. Like the the GPL, for example, I knew was going to be full of fail. The Epic Poker League, I knew was going to be full of fail. This, I knew was going to be full of fail. Like, it, it just, it's obvious to me. I, I don't need to do analysis. I don't need to do market research. I just, I just know these things are not going to work the way they're being presented. I just, I know from knowing the community what is going to definitely not work. I don't always know what will work, but I know what won't work. It's a lot easier to see what won't work than what will work. In fact, even with Google, I've said before that some of the products they claim they're going to come out with, I, I know are going to not work, like, like Google Wave, which they were so confident in. I, I had a feeling Google Wave was going to be a failure, and it was. Other things Google come out with, I, I think, are going to be huge, like Google Maps and uh, some, of their other, uh, some of their other products they've come out with. The uh, Gmail, I knew was going to be big. Like some other things that... Uh, some of their products, to me, I think, wow, this looks like it's going to be big. Other ones, I say, I can't see this having much of a market, and I'm right. I, I thought Google Plus looked stupid, too. I didn't think there was a place for that, really, and that's not done well. So, but yeah, things like the, like the iPhone. When the iPhone first came out, the second I saw a commercial for that and saw what it was, I said, wow, this is going to be huge. This is going to be a major success. Because it, it was filling a void that, that everyone was looking for. Everyone was looking for a way to browse the web on their on their phone that actually looked like the web and functioned like the web. Because before that, browsing the web was a terrible, very difficult experience. And Apple made it easy. And made it look good. So, that was obvious. But to me, on the other side, this was obvious it's going to fail. So... I'm sure Carrie Cat's can afford it. He's living in a $22 million home. But uh, I, I, I would love to know how much money was wasted on this. But you'd think if they, if they have this much money to waste, like, why not, instead of hiring all these executives and spending all the money on them, like, why not just spend a little more on, on some cheap but effective original programming? I know, and you see, I mean, they, it's like, you see it out there with Hulu and Amazon and Netflix. 
you know, it was it's original programming now. They're dumping their money in to bring the subscribers in. Right. That's a good example. I mean, it's a much lower scale with the, what they needed to do for poker. And like you said, all the Twitch stuff and everything's out there. They could get easily and cheap. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good comparison. That uh, people... People enjoy original programming, that, and, and that's what they're looking for in these type of networks, and especially Poker Central. No, no one wants to see tons of poker reruns. They're, they're, people are t- when people are getting out of watching poker on TV, the last thing they're going to want to do is then watch reruns. <laughs> your, your only chance of survival is putting out new programming that people like. Reruns, it's not going to work. So This was... Uh, and just things to get there there for one hour a day, and then they leave it on, and then they catch something else, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. See, they had some original programming, but there just wasn't enough of it. You just wanted to where people just turned it on at any point. At midnight, at, uh, at, at 7 a.m., at, at whatever, whenever they're turning it on, or, or at least for most of the day when they're turning it on, they get the original programming. And then they can get hooked, and then you hear about... Uh, you know, you watch someone playing hands you know are going on right now. You, you you hear someone talking about poker current events that are happening. That can get the listener's attention. That's why we have people who listen to this show, even when it's eight hours long, because it's about current stuff, because it's about uh, things that are going on now, and people want to hear about it. So that's that's the big draw. It's a much bigger draw than watching poker hands that were played in 2010. People who may not even be in poker anymore. Okay, so I'm not surprised by any of this. Here's something I was a little surprised about, but maybe not so much. The PPA, the Poker Players Alliance, has apparently been mostly defunded for the year 2016. I just lost Trader Ruski, too. Let me try to put him back. So the PPA... The Poker Players Alliance, uh, I've had a contentious relationship with them over the years. Uh, I've been critical of them at times. Uh, At some points, I've gotten along better with them, but uh, a lot of my old criticism still stands. And I, I feel that what I think of the PPA is I think that some of the people who were heavily involved in it, like Rich Muni, the, the vice president, they, they mean well. They, they really do believe they're fighting for poker's legalization. They really believe they're fighting for the people. But when it comes down to it, they're really not. And the reason they're really not is that 99% of their funding has come from poker sites. And that, that came out. I'm not just guessing at it. They, this came out a few years ago that 99% of their funding at the time was from poker stars. And for many years, that's the way it's been. I mean, they had their funding drives and stuff. For that they, they get pennies from that. They, 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 they hardly get anything. The big money was coming from the online poker sites. And their answer is, well, look, the online poker sites and the players, they want the same thing. They want it legal. So what the online poker sites want is what the players want. Well, not really. There's, there's some common ground there. There's some common desires there, but it's, it's not the same thing. When online poker sites are funding you, 99%, especially if it's one site doing it. You need to act in their interest or the money goes away. And you can pretend you don't realize that. You can pretend you don't know that as a, an executive of the PPA. But you know it. And you know that if you try to push for anything, 
that will not be in the favor of the online poker site funding you, such as legalization, which doesn't include the sites that were operating illegally, known as the bad actor clause, then your future funding is going to go away. And that's in the back of your mind. Even if you're acting completely with the belief that you are helping the players. Even if you say, look, I don't care where the money's coming from. I'm going to act in the interest of the players. They can keep giving me money, but I'm going to act in the interest of the players. And I think that's what Rich Muni, for example, believes he's doing. But the problem is, then you have the dilemma of, okay, if I take this position, which is anti-Poker Stars, and poker, I know Poker Stars is going to get pissed and not fund us anymore. And then that's going to prevent our future ability to fight for poker's legalization. So maybe I better not do this because it's to everyone's benefit that we can keep fighting for them. And the only way we can keep fighting for them is if PokerStars keeps funding us. So for that reason, we've got to keep PokerStars happy. But see, I'm doing it for the players. And you can rationalize that way. And you know what? That line of thinking might be true. But that also means that you're not really representing the players. You're representing the online poker site and whatever also happens to be Something the players will gain out of it is as much as you're representing the players. But you cannot be representing the players unless your funding is from the players. Or from someone who only represents the players. You, you can't say you're for the people when you're taking corporate money. You can't. And this is not like an anti-corporate rant. It's a common sense rant. If you're getting 99% of your money from poker stars, then you represent poker stars. You can think you don't, you can try to act like you don't, you can reason with yourself that you don't, but you do. That's who you're representing. Because you know if you don't represent them, then next year you're not going to have any money. So if you're going to go rogue and say, screw poker stars, I'm going to do what's right for the players, then that's going to be the end of the funding. So you're not going to do that. Unless you don't mind the organization basically ending. So, Poker Stars, which is now owned by Amaya and has been for a while now, they have been cutting corners. They, they've been going a different direction than they had been when they were under ownership by uh, the Scheinbergs. They've been firing various pros that they had hired. They were, they were cutting expenditures that they didn't really think were converting into real money for them. Well, in 2016, they got very little money, apparently. This is a graph that was posted by Sanomar, who's a forum poster and sometimes radio listener, which showed the annual lobbying expenditures by the Poker Players Alliance. And they were pretty low in 2005 when they were first getting going. Then they, in 2006, they were almost up to, uh, they looked like about 500000 2007, it was up to about $2 million. I'm just estimating from the graph here. Looks like about $1.3 million in 2008, about $2 million in 2009, about $1.8 million in 2010, about $1.4 million in 2011, looks like about a million in 2012. For whatever reason, 2013 looks like it was only 300000 But then it started going back up again. 2014, 500000 2015 looks about 700000 And 2016, estimating from this graph, looks like about... Uh, 100,000 or maybe even less. So, <laughs> uh, Rich Muni was, was making some sort of salary that was enough to support him. And keep in mind, he, his, his nickname was The Engineer, because he actually was an engineer prior to quitting that to work for the PPA full-time. And he said he made more as an engineer, but it wasn't that big of a downgrade. That was his description about uh, 
his compensation. So he was making a decent salary. But this looks like what they're getting, what they got in 2016 may not even have been enough to pay Rich Muni's salary unless he took a big uh, reduction. Then there's John Pappas, who was uh, above Rich Muni. He was the president of the PPA. And there were, there were others. And, th- and this is just, uh, we're talking about lobbying expenditures. That were, uh, that, I believe that's all along the same lines here. You know, the salaries they're paying Rich Muni, I believe, falls into that category. So it looks like the PPA got about uh, $100,000 or less in funding just from this graph, unless I'm reading it wrong, unless the, or unless this graph is wrong. So if this is true, then you got to think this could be about the end of the Poker Players Alliance. It looks like the Poker Stars just cut them off. And keep in mind, remember we talked about earlier this year that Poker Stars cut off the 2 plus 2 poker cast, who was getting a lot of money. And made me very jealous. <laughs> and uh, and the poker cast had to go find other sponsors. I, I don't know exactly what they're getting now, but this was pretty devastating to them because they were really getting paid very well by Poker Stars, who was their main sponsor. And then Poker Stars said, "Nope, we're not doing it anymore." And and the Poker Cast gets a, a pretty good listening audience, but Poker Stars decided that they didn't want to do it anymore. That they just were done paying for this. So they're they're cutting costs everywhere, and it looks like the PPA may be one of them. So uh, I never liked the PPA's approach. They they were very obsessed with the poker isn't gambling thing, which is a snappy thing to say among other poker players who understand it, but it doesn't really resonate with the general population. If you go up to the average person in the United States and tell them that poker isn't gambling, your response the response they will give you is this. <laughs> like you, you get laughed at. Poker isn't gambling. Of course it's gambling. It is. It's a skilled form of gambling, but it is gambling. If If you've ever lost in a session where you were the best player at the table and you knew you were, that's because poker's gambling. If you've ever won when you've gone all in and you had a 5% chance to win, like ace-king against aces pre-flop, and you win the hand anyway, it's because poker's gambling. If uh, the worst player at the table ends up winning the tournament, it's because poker's gambling. So, you can't say poker isn't gambling. Nobody's going to buy it. And politicians weren't going for that argument. Nobody was going for that argument, but they were stuck on that argument for year after year after year after year, and it was going nowhere. They thought we're going to get poker legalized in the U.S. because, quote, poker isn't gambling. It was such a dumb way to do it. Eventually, online poker got legalized in some states simply because certain states were strapped for money and wanted to try it as an income stream. And they found, unfortunately, that at least in the states that have legalized it so far, it has made very little money for the states. Maybe a bigger state like California will do better, but uh, so far in New Jersey and Nevada, online poker has made very little money for the states. Online gambling, the casino games have done somewhat better, but the poker part, like in New Jersey, has been a joke. So, the PPA was focused on all the wrong things. And they also got themselves wound up with uh, the whole Sun First Bank thing 
in uh, 2010, 2011 that eventually led to Black Friday. And there, there may have been some shady things going on there. And I understand the PPA was trying to do it to facilitate uh, legalization. Like, uh, yeah, there were some rumors that John Pappas was there when uh, there was discussions about the, the bribe for Full Tilt to, uh, to Harry Reid. And these are allegations from Jeremy Johnson, the telemarketing scammer, so this stuff hasn't been proven, but... Uh, you know, PPA could say, hey, look, whatever needed to be done, you know, we're not the ones who decided this. We weren't bribing anybody, which is true. They weren't bribing anybody. But, uh, you know, wh- whatever had to be done behind the scenes, we're just trying to fight for poker players. We're not fighting for truth and justice. We're trying to fight for poker players to get it legal. But they, they shouldn't have gotten anywhere near that situation. You know, wh- whatever their involvement was or wasn't, their, the involvement should have been zero in that sort of thing. So I, I think the PPA is, is pretty much done. Uh, this is something from one of our forum posters, Aaron Mikehunt, who also listens to this program. He said, I don't know if this is even a fair criticism, but it always annoyed me how this organization has been around for over a decade and was unable to get any legislation passed. But when the issues over the past year or so with, the, with Daily Fantasy Sports, they were able to get a signed bill to legalize it very quickly. Maybe it has nothing to do with the PPA's ability, but to look how fast another industry was able to get legalized while poker's been unable to for a decade speaks poorly of how effective they are and were run. Good point. Yeah, the Daily Fantasy Sports, they've really uh, sprung into action and gotten things done pretty quickly as far as legalization. They're still in the process of this, but they've already done some good work as far as that's done, as far as that's concerned. And the PPA was at it for more than 10 years and they just weren't getting anything done. They, they just, they didn't have any real list of accomplishments. It, and that was one of the points I kept bringing up. It's like, you guys can claim I did this, I did that. I know it's not easy, but the bottom line is you guys just don't have real accomplishments. You can point to you. You haven't shown victories. It's, it's like a ball player coming up and, and uh, you know, it, after a while, his batting average is, is 100. And you say, wow, you, you look like you're a terrible player. Your batting average is 100. And he says, oh, no, it's just such uh, you don't understand. It's just I keep facing really tough pitchers, and uh, I'm not good against left-handers. And they keep putting him against left-handers. And then I, I hit the ball really hard, and it just so happens it's right to a, a, an outfielder. And, you know, and I had this other one, a home run, that the guy jumped over the wall and caught it. And, you know, you, you don't understand. If it just falls a little bit differently, I'm hitting 300. And you're like, look. I don't want to hear this. You're hitting 100. You've, you, you've had 200 bats and you're hitting 100. That, that must mean you're, you're just not good. <laughs> so it's kind of like this with the PPA. They just don't have many accomplishments they can point to. And, and we have the example with DFS where they, they've accomplished a lot in a short time with legalization. And uh, Sandlebar said back that uh, the, uh, the PPA just found it was those that were involved with it found it was a good gig to cash in on the poker boom that uh, they got a good gig as paid lobbyists and figured hey why not and I'm pretty sure that graph about the lobbying expenditures include the uh, the salaries for the the ones who were working for them so yeah I don't even know how some of these people got paid this year but uh, and then he also brings up the fact that uh, they weren't really looking out for the players. That like when Lock Poker was not paying people for all this time, and PPA didn't uh, even make a peep about it until they were challenged about their silence. And then at that point, 
they finally made a statement about it. But uh, a lot of people were mad about that, said it was way too late. The PPA actually contacted me at that point and said that they wanted me to help them with their statement about Locke. They knew I knew a lot about it. And I did, and I helped them. I said, great, you know, you can put it... You know, yes, it's a little bit late now, but if you know, better late than never. So that's why I assisted with it. But I, you know, I was annoyed that they didn't get involved for so long. And I brought up the same thing about UB. I said, well, you know, you either represent the players or you don't. Now, you don't have to be involved in every little scandal that goes on with online poker. That's not really your place to comment. But major, major scandals. It's I, th- I would think that you guys should put out a warning to your massive member base that would really show that you care about the players and that you're not just solely a lobbying organization. Trader Risky, you still here? You fall asleep. I'm here. You're still here. Okay. So, so yeah, the, uh, you know, I was actually asked to wear a PPA patch for free. That is when I was on the uh, 2009 main event broadcast with Phil Helmuth on day two of the main event when I was at the feature table and I refused. And, I refused, and most of the people wore it, by the way. I think like seven of the nine people wore it. But I I said I refuse for two reasons. Number one, I'm not wearing any patches on here unless I'm being paid. And and number two, uh, I I don't believe in a lot of what the PPA is doing. I think the PPA is not going about it the right way, and I don't think they're open to suggestions or criticism from outsiders. I think you just get defensiveness. When you talk to them, I go, it's just not... I didn't go into that whole thing. That was my thought process. I just said, no thanks, I don't, want to, I don't want to wear it. But that was my thought process. And that was what I said afterwards, that I, I didn't wear the patch because I, I didn't support much of what they were doing and how they were doing it. And furthermore, they weren't paying me. And you may laugh at that, but it's true. You know, wear a patch on TV, it's, it's like a sponsorship. Okay? And, and, and the PPA, it's not, like they, it's not like they had no money. You saw all the money I, t- I talked about that they had coming in. So... You know, guys like Rich Muni were paid to lobby for them. And uh, in 2009, for example, when I was on that broadcast, the PPA, it's two mil- $2 million in lobbying expenditures. So wh- why should I be advertising for them for free? So I, uh, if, they, if they said, hey, we're going to give you $5,000 to wear this patch, then I might have worn, worn it. Not because I'm a sellout, but because uh, at least they're, they're, they're buying like advertising space on me. So, like, I wouldn't and, ever. Tell- isn't that when they were doing the big push more for like individual players to to uh, join or donate or whatever it well, was? They, they were, but at the same time, they uh, they weren't getting much, and I think they knew they weren't getting much. I think they just wanted their name out there. I mean, who knows what the motivation was? But they, it was no risk because they weren't paying anybody. So why not? <laughs> like, you know, why why shouldn't they do it if they're going to get people to wear it for free? But I, people just wore it like out of guilt, like, oh, I have to do this to support online poker. But I knew more about it, and like. I wasn't so anti-PPA that I wouldn't have worn it if they paid me, but uh, like, like I wouldn't wear a, a patch for a scam site. The funny thing is I was actually asked if someone who didn't really know who I was asked if I would wear a patch for UB. <laughs> That's hilarious. But uh, like I wouldn't wear a UB patch or, or a lock patch or any, any kind of site I thought might be shady. Uh, as far as the PPA, I, I didn't to test them, I, I would, I, if they would have paid me, you know, for, to basically buy advertising space on my shirt, if the, if the money was right, fine. But it wasn't something I was going to go do it for free. I didn't feel like they had earned free advertising on me. 
That's a big difference. The, someone earning free advertising on me where everybody else has to pay. And by the, I did wear paid patches on that. I, that was another reason I told them. I said, I'm already wearing two patches. I don't want to clutter everything. I think, I think that's what I actually told them to get them out of my face. But uh, I had two paid patches that year, which almost covered my buy-in. In fact, it did cover my buy-in, but I had to pay a little bit of commission to the agents who brought it to me. But uh, I, I wore a Doyle's Room patch and a a Maven VT patch. Maven VT for, for virtual training. It was like for their software package that uh, you can buy to do virtual training. It was like, uh, I think Daniel Negreanu had one of those sites too. It was like a competition for Negreanu's VT. So sure, you know, I'll wear a training sites patch. And I knew the Maven. He was he was a nice guy. And, you know, he's a bit of, kind of had a hustle to him, but he was he was a nice guy and he, he seemed legit. And it was just a training thing. It wasn't any risk. And then uh, Doyle's room at the time, they were they were fine. There's no sign of any problem with them. I don't think they ever stiffed anybody either. They just kind of went under after some time. But uh, uh, so I wore, wore Doyle's room and I wore that, and they each paid me five thousand. Except the Doyle's room, I had to pay like seven fifty back to the uh, to the agent. The Maven, I got the full five thousand. So I got ninety two fifty from it, and I paid ten thousand to enter. So I didn't cash that year, but. I only ended up paying seven fifty when the whole thing was said and done, thanks to that fortunate placement at that table. So yes, I got uh, took a bad beat to Phil Helmuth, but uh, and I busted against him on TV, but it was worth it <laughs> for ninety two fifty. So yeah, I'll, I'll wear patches, but but never for anything that I think is a scam. And I'm not going to wear free patches unless I really really support something. Unless it's either something I own myself or partially own myself, or something I really, really support and really like. If it's something I think is flawed and I have mixed feelings about, I am not going to wear a free patch for them. So, I said no. So anyway, I, I don't know if there's going to be a Poker Players Alliance uh, in 2017, or if there is, if it's going to really be doing anything, or if it's going to really have any meaningful employees. Because uh, it's hard for me to believe that Rich Muni is going to continue there working for free or working for you know pennies per day. So, uh, by the way, the 916, he texted me in regards to Poker Central. He said it's like MTV playing videos 24-7. Well, it is true they got away from that, and they don't play videos at all now. But I liked it in those days. I, I used to watch MTV all the time in the early to mid-80s. I, I loved the 24-7 videos. And then uh, that started to go away, and then soon enough there was no music. Did you, did you used to watch that back in the day, MTV? Yeah, but, you know, now, obviously, with the web and everything, if you want to watch a video, you're just going to grab it. Right, right. I'm talking back in the early 80s, mid-80s. No, so. no, no, for sure. Yeah, I, was, uh, I had that on a whole lot. I even like, even my dad got into watching it, which surprised me, because, you know, he was in his 40s then. He was around the age I am now. And, uh, you know, a lot of the music, I wouldn't say it was aimed at, at teenagers, because a lot of the music I watched was just, you know, general popular music, which uh, some older people liked as well, but... But yeah, even he got into watching MTV and the videos there. So, uh, videos were, of course, kind of a new thing then. That prior to MTV, there there really weren't many v- music videos at all, and the ones that were made really weren't made specifically as music videos. They just happened to have made some bands happened to have made things which could double as music videos or be edited into one. So, uh, I mean, I, I loved the concept when I saw it and. 
I was disappointed when MTV started to change, and then, and then VH1 kind of replaced MTV. But now VH1 doesn't really have <laughs> now they they don't have much music either or any music. So yeah. then I started watching VH1 Classic around like the year 2000. That had a lot of the like 80s videos that I had been originally watching. Okay, so let's see here. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number to call or text. Got a text also. What are you doing for New Year's? It's funny you ask that. I actually uh, don't have plans at the moment. And it's unusual. Uh, The last several years, I have been at some sort of venue for New Year's where there was some kind of New Year celebration, usually fireworks or whatever. Uh, I was in New Orleans three years ago. I was in Vegas for New Year's uh, the last two years. I was also in Vegas for New Year's in uh, the 2012-13 to 13 New Year. Uh, I was not anywhere in any venue for New Year's when it hit from 2010 to 2011, Benjamin was uh, a two-month-old, so uh, we didn't go anywhere. And I remember my girlfriend was really, really tired. She was kind of still recovering from the after-effects of the pregnancy. So she couldn't even make it till midnight, and she went to sleep. So I was sitting here alone, and... Uh, and I said, well, nothing to do here, so I'm just going to go on Bodog and play. So I went on Bodog, played 3060. Ended up with a guy, like, heads up, who wasn't that good. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't that good. And he just clobbered me. I, I just ran so terrible against him, and I lost $6,000 to him, heads up. And I don't think there was any cheating or anything. It was just, I just ran really bad, and I just, he was just, Coolering me, bad beating me. Everything went wrong. I was really frustrated. So I turned on the TV and I watched the ball drop, you know, a three-hour tape delay (laughs) when it hit midnight for 2011. 2011 began, and I opened up Bodog again shortly after that, probably about 12.15. And I said, boy, I'm really asking for it. If I have another session like earlier, I could end up losing over 10 tonight. And I sat in a game, and the players were horrendous. And this is like a six-max game. The players were so bad and doing so many stupid things. And I go, oh my god, these people are drunk. I'm against a bunch of like drunk New Year's people. Love's sake. What was that? Was it 3060? Yeah, 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 it was 3060, yeah. So it was the same game, except the six-max, not heads up. And these players were playing awful. And keep in mind, this was not anonymous back then, so I could tell who I was against. Some of these people were playing much worse than they had before. Some of them weren't bad players who were just playing very badly that night. So I was sure they were drunk. And others I hadn't seen before, and they were terrible, too. So like, a, like everyone at the table sucked, including ones who, who were fairly good that I'd seen in the past. So I destroyed that table. I won $10,000 in that session. So it was such a weird night because I lost 6,000 earlier heads up and then after midnight for New Year's, by that point everybody was drunk, including probably some people who had been who were on the East Coast that had been up for a few hours past midnight, you know, past midnight and were really drunk. 
So I lost to the guy heads up, but then I won 10k back to end up with a 4k profit by uh, clobbering those guys uh, heads up in the six max game where everyone was drunk. And uh, I also had a really weird session on uh, this is not this is much more recent. I think this is about a year ago on Bovada. We're at a single table of uh, of thirty sixty. I won like eighty six hundred dollars, which is pretty hard to do. And I ended up only winning like twelve hundred for the whole session because the other tables I just got destroyed. I was, I was three tabling, and two of the table I was just getting destroyed, and then this other one I'm just winning every hand. It was a really weird thing. To I've never had it so much where I'm killing at one table and getting destroyed at two others. But at least I killed enough at the first table to where I still won. But it was really weird to have won so much in that one table and then only have like a moderate win of twelve hundred. But I did say, well, you know, thank God for that good table. Otherwise, it would have been a horrible session. So I got I got a text here from uh, the Richard A. 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 who uh, was given my text number, which actually you know, my radio show's text number by. Scott from the East Coast, he said that he uh, wanted to come on the show and discuss the matter of the PPC, what had happened. And he was the one who talked about Mark Hoke. And I'd love to hear from Richard A. Bear, but I, I don't know if he's awake anymore. He texted this about three hours ago, or two and a half hours ago. So I'm, I assume he, yeah, he is on the East Coast. He's in the Maryland area. So I don't want to call him here at 3.15 in the morning. So uh, let's, see, let's, see, you can, let's see, you can call in now in now or next week. So, okay, well, thank you, Scott, for giving that number to... Let's see. Uh, this is from the text I just got from the 734. MTV bought VH1, all owned by Viacom. I, I, th- I had always thought that VH1 was uh, owned by MTV from the start. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh... From the 716, Wow, Druff, I was watching the Trooper, and Joan was an Intertops qualifier. He showed everything on his vlog. She was so happy to win, and that's sad that they did that to her. He's referring to the PPC thing. But you can check it out on his vlog YouTube. Uh, that's from a Polish prince who texted this to me. He also said, I don't understand, though. Isn't Intertops responsible for this in any way? I mean, Joan qualified through Intertops. If she doesn't get it from the tournament, Intertops should pay Joan. No, I, I actually disagree. Uh, it'd be nice if Intertops did, but it's not their responsibility. They were just giving her a tournament ticket, and she went and played the tournament. Now, if they didn't hold the tournament at all, then I would agree. Since they held the tournament, and then she just got screwed in the payment, at that point it becomes really the fault of the tournament. Now, Intertops maybe could do something for her if they wanted to be nice, but I, I don't... If if I was asked, should they be forced to pay, even if there's no way to force them, but like just theoretically, if they could be forced to pay... If I was like the judge and they were sued, I don't know if I would award her the money from inner tops. From from these scumbags, definitely. And and maybe even from the venue, the Aruba venue, if they could be forced to pay it. But but inner tops just from allowing her to win the satellite seat. Like, again, if the tournament never took place, then they should give her the value of the seat. But the tournament did take place. And uh I don't believe Intertops has any ownership in this, and it, it wasn't their tournament. Unless I'm wrong. I think they're just... If it was their tournament in some way, then sure. But uh, 
in the 204. Todd, will you let me collect if I cash? Please, I want Santa to show up for my kids. <laughs> this is for the free roll. Yeah, I th- I, the person who texted me, I think I know him. So, I, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know if you won or not, but if, you, if you're one of the winners, I'll pay you. And the 760, the free roll's only cool if you can get paid when you cash, LOL. That's from CL Crew 2 Yeah, you get paid for me. Uh, from the 410, Scott from the East Coast, uh, he said that uh, the nuts, that's T-H-A-K-N-U-T-S, that's Roland X420 on the forum that he knocked him out, he gets the $10 bounty. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, and Pooh texted me that uh, his girlfriend's mom took a golf ball to the eye, point blank range. And but she's actually going to come home from the hospital without surgery, which is good. I had misread it. I thought that it was actually his girlfriend this happened to, but his girlfriend's mom could even be worse because she's obviously of the. Uh, Older variety there, isn't given that Pooh is he's kind of around my age, so his girlfriend's mom, I would think, is probably you know sixties or seventies. Trader Risky, are you sleeping now? Oh no. Oh no, I, I thought I heard someone. Okay. Alright, let's see what else. I'm sipping my herbal tea. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I want to talk about a, it's a completely different subject. But a little bit of a lighter subject. Uh two Vegas hookers had a fight on the Las Vegas Strip. This uh, this is right on the Strip in front of the Monte Carlo Hotel near the MGM and New York New York hotels. I don't have the exact date when this took place, but it, it definitely happened. And, of course, as is the case frequently these days, there was video. So I'm going to play you some audio from it. I... I I'll describe what's happening. It's like a three-minute video. I'm not going to describe all three minutes because you can just go watch it. If you can go to YouTube and enter Vegas Strip Hooker Fight, you'll find it. So, basically, this is a fight because two hookers were fighting over the territory. Uh, Hookers walk up and down Las Vegas Boulevard, which is known as the Strip. They hope you'll approach them, and then they... uh, eventually tell you what they are and you know what it'll cost but often they will approach you or or at least try to get you to approach them by looking at you walking alongside of you saying hi to you things like that i just had an experience uh i was walking into caesar's right after you know i was i was with plol i I told you guys this before and after he and i parted ways i walked into the front of caesar's and i just told him like that hookers have had bugged me before on the strip and I said, no one's, bu- you know, no one's bugged me in a while, but this used to happen all the time. Right after I parted ways with him, I walked into Caesars, and a hooker came up to me and says, uh, she was with, with other women, I assume, with other, other hookers, and she's like, hi, so, what are your plans tonight? Or where are you going tonight? I wasn't here. Was, hi, where are you going tonight? So I just said, nowhere, and kept walking. It's I didn't want to. I, I wanted to say something to clearly show I had no interest in you know, So I said nowhere and kept walking, which is true as far as she was concerned. Nowhere with her. But uh, whenever women just approach you out of nowhere and say that, uh, it's usually a hooker thing in Vegas. Uh, it's, it, it'll happen sometimes, but it's it's not that common that if you're a guy walking by yourself, 
that women are just going to approach you and just start making conversation. Usually when they do that to a guy walking by himself, it's, it's a hooker thing. They especially seem to love the Caesars lobby. I've had that happen a few times in the Caesars lobby where there's, there's hookers hanging out there. So that didn't surprise me. In fact, it was funny. I kind of walked in there like, and I see them from the distance. I'm like, I wonder if these are hookers. <laughs> sure enough, I get that same like attempt to strike up the conversation because they, they were hoping I was going to say, like, I don't know where I'm doing, I, going. I don't really have plans. And then they say, oh, well, do you want some plans to meet tonight? Like, that was going to be the conversation. But I just said nowhere and kept walking. So anyway, uh, these hookers are very territorial because they they believe that they own certain parts of the strip and they, they don't want competition. So two hookers apparently got into an argument here that they were both in the same territory. And so someone turned on their phone to record this when they saw two women across the street from each other shouting. Fight. Here's this guy going to say, "Come on, fight!" He kind of just wants to see. A, he wants to see like a girl fight here. I don't know if he recognizes their hookers yet, but he will soon. So that you see them kind of arguing with each other, and they're, they're walking in the street. On, this is on Park Park Boulevard and in Las Vegas Boulevard. There's a Park Avenue, Park Avenue, and Las Vegas Boulevard, which is right in front of the Monte Carlo, and they're actually walking and blocking the, the traffic on the street. That's trying to exit the Monte Carlo and go onto Las Vegas Boulevard. I want to hurt. She ain't, she ain't sweating nearly. She like what? What? This guy's narrating here, but he's, he's not going to talk after this. So one of them yelled at the other, and then walked back to the other side of the street. And then the first one's yelling, like yelling threats at her or something. So this. So just go back there for what, bitch? I'm right here. So she's basically saying, you know. Uh, like I'm right here, you know. You've, I'm not. I'm not walking away from you. Like I think. I think the one she was arguing with said something like, "Yeah, go back there." Like, like basically mocking her for for backing down. So then this one turns around, and says, "I'm right here. Go back there for what?" You want to fight me right there, bitch? And then you're, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. Anyway, they, they end up fighting. They actually physically fight there right on the Las Vegas Strip at, at Park Avenue. And they're approaching each other. So there's there's two hookers on one side. The one you see at the beginning is by yourself. Then there's two on the other side. You see them enter the picture. And it, it's mainly, you know, one of them kind of stands back and the other one approaches and, and they... they get face to face so you're i'm not scared of you i'm not scared of you i'm not well, why am i going to the fucking alley for what i guess the first one's telling her to go to the alley and stay out of her area I'm out here to get some dough. So the, that that erases any doubt that's given to two like random girls arguing on the strip. <laughs> I'm out here to get some dough. <laughs> so, and and the, this one, the out here to get some dough, is definitely dressed like a hooker. The other one, not really so much. The other one, just kind of, yeah, well, sort of. Actually, they're both kind of are. They both got the really short skirts on. Uh, but the one, the one saying I'm out here to get some dough more than the other one. That's not that serious. That's my mom. That's my mom. 
So people are honking at them because they're 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 blocking the street. So, so what happened there? I'm going to stop it here. The, the first one that we see at the beginning is that I'm not afraid. You're not afraid. You. She threw the first punch. It was kind of more of a, a like a slap. She was like slapped her in the face, and then it all went from there. And they they started scuffling. They started slapping each other, hitting each other. One dropped on top of the other, and you were able to see in the video when the guy zoomed in because this guy like he wasn't shy about it. At this point, he approached both of them on the ground. And it took a close-up, and you got to see both of their skirts right up. So you got to see both of their underwear and their asses hanging out as one's on top of the other, beating the other one up. Uh, so the one who, quote, wasn't afraid probably should have been, because she lo- she clearly lost the fight. Even though she threw the first punch, she got knocked down, and the, the, the second one got on top of her and kept hitting her. And if that wasn't enough, the friend of the second one came and started kicking the first one in the head. You think the second one's friend would have just backed off, given that the second one was winning anyway? But no, she came over and started kicking her, looking like in the head. Now, somehow, despite the fact that it looked like a real brutal beatdown on this uh, video, when it was all over, the the hooker who lost the fight actually was able to stand up and kind of stagger away. Or look, like, you think if you get kicked in the head, you're going to be like really, really majorly injured? But she was. She was able to get up and kind of stagger away and look like she was mostly okay. At one point, uh, her phone got knocked out of her hand. It looked like they were going to like step on her phone or break her phone, but they didn't quite go that far, strangely enough. She was able to get her own phone back and throw it back in her purse. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty much a hooker beatdown, one hooker over the other. And see, it's a pretty competitive business there. It's pretty competitive. And... I will say, at least the one who threw the first punch, if you want to call it that, was the one who lost the fight, which is always good to see. Because even though they may have been arguing, the the second one wasn't throwing any punches there. The second one wasn't getting physical yet until she was hit first. So I don't know who these hookers actually were. I don't have any names. As far as I know, there were no charges filed, at least not yet. And uh, this video has been going around. Let's see, let's see if I can find anything about maybe any charges. It's been a few days. At least a few days. Let's see if we can find any anything that's occurred since then. Um, let's see, the New York Post covered it. Let's see if they can uh, if they've Id- identified any of these girls here. No. No, I, th- I think that... Uh, I think somehow they uh, no one got charged here. Maybe the police don't care. But yeah, the hookers are pretty brazen in Las Vegas. Uh, I've been approached by many over the years when I'm by myself, especially late at night. And they they don't just come up to you usually and say, "Hey, I'm a hooker. Do you want to you know Do you want to go up to a room? And I cost this much, whatever." They you know they'll start making conversation and then they'll bring up something like. So, do you want any uh, entertainment tonight? And, and when I was younger and less experienced with Vegas, I I thought that uh, I thought these were just like drunk girls who were just talking to me or just 
friendly girls were just talking. I, I didn't always think like these girls wanted me or something, but I just thought they were talking and I made conversation back and then the dreaded so do you want entertainment thing would come up and I go, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> then I just want to get away. But uh, as as I got older, I just got less and less tolerant with it and would just quickly shoot back something like what I did the other day. Just like nowhere when they ask where I'm going or just say nope and walk by or just say nothing. Like I just make it like abundantly clear that I have zero interest and that usually drives them away. It's if you engage in conversation that you give them hope and then they start getting really uh, pushy with you. Uh, Trader Ruski, have you ever been approached by hookers in Vegas? You, same general thing. How you doing? This and that. But yeah, you could have just put your arm around PLOL. Yeah, well, that's it's funny because I, I so I messaged I I sent him a message on Twitter, which is how we were talking. And I I I said you know right right after I walked into Caesars, I was uh, approached by a hooker, and so he says this never happens to me. Maybe they can tell that that I wouldn't be interested because you know of course he's gay. Uh, I, I told him I didn't think that's what it was. I because he he doesn't come off as gay when you meet him. He just seems like a, like a skinny young guy. He looks younger than he is, but he just looks like a, like a skinny young guy. You, you wouldn't, like, think gay when you see him. I, I'm not saying, like, I was shocked upon meeting him to know he was gay, but he's he's not someone that's obviously gay at all. So uh, so I don't think these women, these, these hookers, can see that he's gay. But uh, I think they see that he's young and that he even looks younger than he is, and they just assume he has no money. <laughs> that's what I think. I think they want to go after the, the, the middle-aged white guy, knowing that the, the middle-aged white guy is much more likely to, to have the, the dough here to pay. So that's why they go after me, and they go after you. And, uh, yeah. and where was that trough? What part of the strip? Oh, this was right. This fight was right at the, uh, in front of the Monte Carlo. Okay, got it. In fact, it was, it was in the, there's a, uh, a small street called Park Avenue, which is the street leading out of the Monte Carlo. And yep. so, so they were, all these these hookers were blocking the traffic there with their little fight. Yeah, and I watched it as you were playing it because I can't hear the sound through the phone. Oh, okay. the, uh, thing. That's, that's stupidity thing. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing. The cops didn't come and get them sooner. It went on for a while. Yeah, it went on for four minutes. I'm surprised about that too. And I'm also surprised that the cops, uh, you know, just uh, even just for PR sake, that they haven't. Uh, identified them there's very clear in the video the faces here like why, why they didn't identify them and, and charge one or both of them for this even just like disturbing the peace sort of thing um now maybe the second one couldn't be charged because she can claim self-defense but the first one uh well, the first one also talking about I'm out here to make some dough i mean it's not explicitly saying she's there for prostitution but it's pretty close but Maybe they just want to sweep it under the rug. That seems to be what Vegas likes to do with these things. It's what Vegas, in general, doesn't like to do anything which would put a spotlight on the seedier elements of the city or the negative elements of the city. So, like, if there's a suicide, they don't like to report this. They try to keep that under wraps. Crime, they try to make you believe doesn't happen much there. Uh, the uh, Anything like this, they, they, they don't want this being made public. So maybe they're afraid if they arrest these women that it's going to be even a bigger story. So they may have just figured, hey, it's two hookers fighting, who cares? But yeah, they're, they're very much around. And, uh, you know, when you see some of these hotels that at night will sometimes make you show a room key to go up to the room, there's actually a dual purpose to that. 
one purpose is to prevent crime from people coming in from the outside and targeting uh, guests coming back to their rooms. But the second is, is to prevent prostitution, because this prevents the prostitutes from coming up to people's hotel rooms. And a lot of potential Johns don't want to have to go down and meet the hooker in the lobby and walk them up to the room, because that, that then they're already having to appear in public with the hooker. A lot of guys like it to where the hooker just comes to the room, knocks on the door, they open the door, the hooker's there, they do their business, the hooker leaves, and nobody ever sees that they're with the hooker. But you have to go down and pick up the hooker in the lobby and walk up, you know, walk up with them and everyone sees you. There's a little bit of, of embarrassment factor to that. And some guys don't feel comfortable with that. So some of these hotels actually, in order to discourage hookers from coming to the properties, will force the hookers to have to, you know, force anyone who goes up to have a, a room key to show. So, uh, that can deter them. So that's, that's some of the reason that happens. And also some of the reason that they're only doing that at night because most hookers are hired at night as, as that is the time when, when guys tend to want to get them. So, uh, I, I would used to wonder, like I'd go into these hotels and they'd have, you know, they'd want to see my room key and not let me buy. Like I'd be holding so much stuff and they'd make me dig and show the room key at, at, uh, 10 PM. But, but yet at, uh, at 4 p.m., I can just walk right up and nobody cares. I'm like, you know, crime doesn't just happen at night. If someone's here to mug me, they can do so at 4 p.m. just as easily as they can at 10 p.m. Then I realized that uh, hookers were part of this. And then some hookers are also uh, 86th from these properties where they will be arrested if they are seen on the property. So, uh, the, the reason these hotels don't like hookers coming there is because there's a... Uh, Number one, they just generally don't, you know, they're afraid the hookers will, will bug the uh, the customers there. And they don't like that. And number two, even if the, the hookers that just show up because they're called to come there, they don't like it because there's still a potential crime that can occur. You know, people can be cheated, people can be stolen from. There's a lot of things that can happen. So they just don't want the whole thing there. Some hotels care more than others. Others, you know, some just look the other way. I'm surprised Caesars lets as much go on in the lobby as they do. I would think, you know, given I've seen years of this with hookers hanging out in the lobby there, I would think that they would uh, clamp down on this, but apparently they don't. So, uh, since we're talking about Caesars, let's talk about a situation where, let's, let me, we'll talk about a Caesars element that isn't about hookers. It is about total rewards. And the Seven Stars program. Something I've always found annoying about Total Rewards is that they do not give you the details of the program until after that year's program has started, because you start earning your tier credits on January 1st, but often they don't reveal the details of the program until well after January 1st, which makes no sense. You're earning towards something you don't even know what you'd be getting. And there's no reason they can't do this. They just, For whatever reason, they just don't get it done in time. Or if they do, for whatever reason, they don't announce it. Well, in 2007, for the 2017 total rewards, they have apparently uh, come very close to finalizing or perhaps completely finalize what the 2017 total rewards benefits will be for the Diamond and Seven Stars programs, which are the two top-tier cards you can get at total rewards. But they have not made them public. However, they did produce a document meant to educate total rewards employees, so if asked about next year's program, that they can answer questions. 
well, I was able to get a hold of this document. I don't have it in my possession. It was it was shown to me, and I was able to uh, to read it all. I just wasn't able to take it or take any pictures of it. So I was able to get the full details of the 2017 Seven Stars program. And for those of you that like the 2016 Seven Stars program, you'll be happy to know that it is almost identical to the 2017 program, that they've changed very, very little from year to year. Just about everything is the same, and the only changes that have occurred are positive changes. Not major positive changes, but positive changes. Uh, A negative change in 2016 was that the Seven Stars trip, you'd get one trip you could take uh, to other properties. They'd pay up to $1,200 for airfare for two people and give you $500 food credit at the property. Uh, you used to be able to take that until June 30th of the following year. They changed it for the 2006 Seven Star to where you only have it until January 31st of the following year, meaning that you had to take it by January 31st, 2017. The reason that's crappy is that if you live in the West, most of the places you're going to go to in the East are cold during the winter. So I, I don't want to go to Atlantic City in December or November or January. So it gives you a lot less time. You can't really take a spring trip because you don't have that much time to plan it. And uh, so by the time you plan it, then the spring has already passed. And then so you basically have the summer, fall, and winter. And uh, some of these places aren't very nice in the summer either. They're too hot, so you really want to go in the fall. That's the only real good time to go for weather-wise. And uh, if you don't have the time to do it, then you just don't use the trip. And that's what happened to me this year. I didn't use the Seven Stars trip for that reason. So they've they've brought it back to where not quite as good as it used to be, a bit close, that you, as long as you book by January 31st of the following year, you have until June 30th to use it. So for example, uh, a Seven Stars member in 2017 can book a trip all the way up to January, January 31st, 2018 and all they need is to take the trip by June 30th, 2018. So, if, for example, if I decide I want to go on a trip in the spring of 2018 on my 2017 Seven Stars card, I can do so as long as I book it by January. So, January of, of 2018. So, that's that's nice that the spring trips are back. Uh this also applies to what's known as the Diamond Aspirations trip, which I won't bother getting into, but if you know what that is, then you'll understand. But the, apparently the Diamond Aspirations trip has always been like that. The only change is the Seven Stars trip. You can, again, travel until June 30th, which is nice. Uh, for those of you that play a whole lot of Caesars properties, it probably doesn't apply to many of you, but uh, they've added some extra benefits for 500,000 tier credits and a million tier credits. Now, you get to seven stars if you're 150,000, so that's a long way between 150,000 and 500,000, especially a long way to a million. But if you do reach there, uh, before what you'd get for it was very little, it was a real law of diminishing returns once you got to 150. Uh, now they, they've made it a little bit better, but it's still not really worth playing all the way up to five hundred thousand or a million. At five hundred thousand, you get uh, two nights at a quote premium suite at any Caesar's property, and then you can also t- attend all four Seven Star signature events, which tend to be kind of fail. And you get some kind of a, a enhanced Atlantis Bahamas trip that's better than the one that they give you as a regular Seven Stars, which is a new benefit for two thousand sixteen. And then at a million tier credits, you get four nights in a, what they call a premium suite. And then you also get a penthouse 
suite on a Norwegian cruise line, which is better than the balcony room they give you for the normal seven-star benefit. But it's it's actually a second cruise, I believe you get. But a penthouse suite, it sounds like amazing on a Norwegian cruise. It's not. It's 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 a misnomer. A penthouse suite is just kind of a. It's usually about the equivalent of a large hotel room. So. Again, that's a nice thing to have, but it's, it's nothing worth earning a million tier credits for. So th- those are really the only changes. Uh, everything else is the same. Even the four signature events they're having are in the same places. New Orleans, Atlantic City, Tahoe, and Vegas. And they're, again, at kind of crappy times of year to go to these places. So, Truthfully, the program's just about the same as it was before. So I guess that's... Good if you were happy with the program, and bad if you were hoping there'd be some major improvements. Speaking of something that's, I was hoping for better with the Seven Stars program, I mentioned before that Caesars was having a promotion that uh, if you visit all or most of their properties in 2017 in the first three months, that they will give you some kind of bonus or reward. Well, it turns out it's crappy. They, they finally released the details on December 15th. Uh, there's 36 total total rewards properties in the U.S. and Canada. So you, you have, there's 36 total Caesars properties that you can visit. 35 in the U.S., one's in Canada. So if you visit anywhere between 2 and 18 properties in this period, which is between January 1st and March 31st, 2017, and you earn 25 tier credits at each one, then you will get bonus tier credits for 250 points for each property that you visited. So let's say you visited 10 properties in this time period, you'll get 2,500 bonus tiers, which is okay, but it's nothing exciting. Now, if you visit 19 or more properties, then you get 500 per property. So let's say you visit 20 properties, well, then you get 10,000 bonus tiers. Again, it's not that wonderful because you need 15,000 to even make diamonds. So even this by itself won't even make you diamond. And then visiting 20 properties is not trivial. So the very most you could earn would be 13,500 tiers, which won't even get you to diamond by itself. And this is pretty worthless. Now, the only place you can really visit a whole lot of properties easily at once is Vegas. In Vegas, there are nine different total rewards properties. But everywhere else, they're kind of spread out. No other market has more than three properties. There's three in Atlantic City. There's three in Mississippi, but these are all kind of far apart. There's three in Louisiana, but again, they're far, far apart. There's three in Reno and Tahoe, but Reno is about an hour away from Tahoe. There's only two in Tahoe itself. So the only place with a lot of properties in the same spot is Vegas. There's nine of them there, which is Bally, Caesars, Harris, the Cromwell, the Link, Paris, Planet Hollywood, Rio, and Flamingo. Aside from the Rio, you can easily walk to all eight of these. And then even the Rio if you want to walk a little bit more. So you could do that, but you know what are you going to really get? So you'd have to play 25 tiers in each place, which you get a tier credit for every $10 wagered at video poker, every $5 wagered for every slot at slot machines. And so you'd have to play at each one of these this minimum amount. And then if you went to all nine of these in Vegas, you know what would you get? Uh, 2250 tiers? That's not very much. So my advice is to skip the whole thing. It's not worth it unless you just 
need to a little bit more to be pushed over the top as far as your tier credits, and you happen to beat these properties anyway. Uh, the only interesting thing that came out, they had some terms and conditions that were posted there. And if you looked carefully, it actually said there that they decided that they valued seven stars as being worth $7,500. I've never seen them give a value for the seven stars program, but that's what they claimed it's worth in their terms and conditions, which is kind of weird. <laughs> but that's what they put. Uh, I tried to figure this out for myself, like how much value am I getting out of seven stars? And some some things are hard to quantify, like if I get to skip a line for being seven stars. That's no monetary value, but it's something that's convenient for me. So ignoring that, like like as far as things I get for free that would otherwise cost money, uh, per year, I, I don't know if I'm getting 7500 But it's probably fairly close what I'm getting out of it. Ignoring, again, the things that are uh, just convenience factors that are not, that you can't put a dollar value on. So let me read you the exact thing they put there about that, because it's it's not related to this, but it's interesting. Uh, Yeah, it says, there's there's some sweepstakes you're you're into also for... uh, for doing this, but of course the chance of winning is tiny, so I didn't even mention it. So it's talking about the sweepstakes, though, and it says, Sponsors will select 61 potential prize winners as described below. 50 winners will receive a choice of diamond tier status upgrade through January 31st, 2018, estimated value of $1,000, or 10,000 reward credits, redemption value of $100. So you can either get $100 in RCs or diamond, which they estimate is $1,000 worth. Uh, 10 winners will receive... 100,000 reward credits, estimated value $1,000. Uh, and then one grand prize will receive a choice of seven-star status upgrade through January 31st, at estimated value 7500 or a million reward credits, estimated value of $10,000. So why would anyone accept uh, what, what they claim is worth 7500 for seven stars instead of just getting $10,000 uh, in RCs? I, I, if given the choice, I would definitely take the 10000 in RCs over the... Uh, Seventy over the seven stars for a year. Like, like if I, if someone could see the future and tell me that in an attempt to w- make seven stars that it was going to cost me ten thousand dollars in losses, I wouldn't do it. Um, now, of course, in playing to be a seven star, I could lose ten thousand. Uh, I can also win, and I've done both. I've lost more than ten thousand, and I've also won close to that in some years just by getting lucky or unlucky, but the the expected loss for getting seven stars, if you do it the right way, is usually well under 3,000, and that is something I'm very willing to do, because uh, I get much more out of it than that. That's the first time we've ever seen them put a value on seven stars. The reason you can't give an exact value is it really depends how much you use it. Uh, the more free hotel rooms you redeem, of course, the more value it is to you. Uh, whether you take that trip they give to you, uh, whether you uh, take the cruise that you get a very high discount on for Norwegian, which I did take, um, whether you use the $500 worth of free meals they give you, which of course I did. So you, it depends how much you use, especially the hotel rooms. Uh 
it's it's very valuable to me during the World Series of Poker, specifically, because not only do I get all the free rooms at the Rio, which can be very expensive during the World Series, but also uh, the, the Seven Stars card allows me to skip lines and, and uh, get the rooms of my choice and things like that. So, anyway, I know I mentioned this thing about the visiting several properties, just I wouldn't bother. It's a waste of time. Okay, so the last thing, and Trader Risky still with us? I'm here, but I'm fading fast. You're fading. Well, that's good because we're, we're almost done. The show's almost over. I think we're going to come in under uh, under five hours this time, which is unusual for the show. Usually it's a, it's a five-hour minimum, but not this week. Unless unless somehow we, we take longer than I thought we would. So uh, there, there's an interesting story here about a guy who uh, stole a lot of money from his employer and then made a very stupid expenditure with with the money he stole. So have you ever heard of a game called Game of War? Game of War? Have not. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. Uh, it, it's a mobile game. Here, here's a commercial from the Super Bowl game for Game of War. It has uh, Kate Upton in it. And showing Kate Upton in a... Uh, the thing about empires. The bigger you build them, the more your enemies want to knock them down. It shows her like what looks like an ancient castle in like a war setting. Let them have their fun. You and I will revisit them soon enough. Do you want to come and play? Game of War. Play for free now from the App Store. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a mobile game. Anyway, uh, a 45 year old man from California stole 4.8 million dollars from his employer. His name was Kevin Lee Co. And he admitted in Sacramento Federal Court that from May 2008 through March 2015, he embezzled nearly five million dollars from his company called Holt California, which makes a heavy equipment. And of that $4.8 million he stole, he somehow managed to spend... Where's the sound effect? He somehow managed to spend... $1 million. On this Game of War game. <laughs> which I didn't think it was possible, but uh, he admitted to spending approximately $1 million on Game of War. He also admitted to getting plastic surgery and buying season tickets to the San Francisco 49ers and the Sacramento Kings. He also bought luxury cars and a golf club membership, which these were all better expenditures than the Game of War thing. Uh, game of War builds itself as the world's largest multiplayer strategy game. Apparently, it's, it's making a lot of money Every day. Supposedly it's making a million dollars or more per day of people that are spending money on the game. But uh, no one had ever heard of one person spending a million bucks on it. But uh, basically it's a strategy game where people build empires with soldiers and attack other players who are doing the same. And, and then the deeper you go, the, the more you're going to have to spend cash in order to be successful in it. So I guess uh, I don't know exactly how it works, but... Uh, um, you probably get additional stuff that uh, 
that that will be helped to be spent. Here's what it says. Um, the people who played Game of War and spent money on it spent an average of $550 on the game last year. And so here's a quote from a article called VentureBeat, or from a publication called VentureBeat. It says, a $550 annual average is insane, but Machine Zone definitely has mastered certain aspects of getting people to, with a lot of money to park with hu- part with huge chunks of it. A big part of this is that Game of War has a lot of depth for big spenders. The app has a multitude of systems that players need to engage to ensure they have an army prepared for the next multiplayer battle. But those systems are slow, and players can speed them up by spending cash. So, of course, course a lot of games do stuff like this, and part of Machine Zone's success is that other studios haven't figured out how to duplicate its money-making techniques. It's also likely the Game of War has a disproportionate number of whales compared to those people who just put a few dollars in. The game heavily favors big spenders, and the top whales are a hundredfold more powerful than the common player who puts little or no cash into Game of War. So what, what this is trying to say here is that if you don't spend money on this app, you're going to get clobbered. So if you want to be successful, you've got to be willing to throw money into it. So once you get into the game, if you have a lot of money, and you don't mind throwing down money on this game. If you think about 550 a year, that sounds like a lot, but that's actually, if you divide it over 12 months, uh, it's less than $50 a month. So, you don't have to be rich to do this. If, if you're very dedicated to the game, $50 a month is nothing. So, they're saying that the 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 average of people who spend money on this game is 550. So they're saying you have to spend at least, you know, close to $50 a month if you want to remain competitive in the game and that this game very much rewards people who spend money. It's not that you can just get a little advantage, you can get a big advantage, which means the people who aren't willing to spend much money just get sick of it and leave because they keep losing, and the ones that are spending a lot of money keep on with it because they're the ones who are doing the best. And then they want to keep spending to keep themselves uh in good shape. So uh here it says, uh, here you're spending money on troops and other expendables that can be lost in combat. I was casually browsing the map at work recently and came across a guy who must have spent at least 7,000 euros. He wasn't around to defend himself, so we attacked. We wiped out about 2,500 euros. Two and a half grand gone in five minutes. It's like gambling, but with no possibility of winning. Wow. So you, you buy stuff, you buy expensive stuff used for your army, and if you're not around to defend yourself when you get attacked then you can just wipe out, your stuff can get wiped out which is crazy you can't even just like go to sleep to where you're not uh, you can't be attacked i guess if you're uh, if you're not there people can screw with your stuff there and and, and and so that's that's a big thing in this game of war apparently is that your stuff gets destroyed in combat and you got to go buy it again so people with a lot of money who are really into this game keep spending on it and uh you know, I, I wrote a game back in 1987 uh, for computer bulletin boards. It was a text game. And uh, it was like a lot of these other uh, what was called BBS doors at the time. Things like Trade Wars and other ones like that that you'd, you'd go connect and play a text game where you uh, build up characters that can uh, that fight with other characters and things like that. Mine was called Leech. And it was, it was a computer hacking game. You weren't actually really hacking anything, but it was uh, that was the theme of the game. Anyway, uh, in, in my game, which I wrote as a 15-year-old, you, you know, your character would get more and more powerful, both by uh, 
you know, earning money from from hacking other computers and then uh, you know buying better equipment, and also from defeating other players and taking their stuff. And and it, it was you know it took some time to build up your player and you you go up levels and you you get experience points and anyway, I didn't provide any way to just rocket yourself up to a higher level. So if you wanted to play this game and be successful, you'd have to uh, spend some time building yourself up. And if you didn't want to spend that time, you wouldn't get anywhere on it. But but I can I can tell you, and it was a fairly popular game at the time. I didn't make any money from it, but uh, it was a fairly popular game. If you were on BBSs back in the late 80s, you might remember it. But uh, if I could see how someone would have found this to be useful if I if I did provide a way to pay to just move yourself up to a higher level and be competitive immediately with the top players because you you couldn't just start the game and 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 you know take on the top guy you'd lose for sure so that's that's basically what Game of War is doing is it's letting it's letting you skip the tedious or time consuming processes and just get what you need to win. And but it's it, it's doing something extra in that when you buy what you need to win, some of it will get destroyed, and you've got to keep rebuying it. So, pretty genius idea on the part of those who made Game of War. And obviously, they have a big operation; they could afford a, a Super Bowl ad with with Kate Upton. But this guy, this guy spent a million bucks. <laughs> he spent a million bucks just on this app of buying stuff there, of the almost five million he embezzled from his employer. I've always wondered how you know how can. How can people get away with this? You know, this guy got away with it for seven years. How can a company be this out to lunch where people could embezzle that much and not get caught? Shouldn't they have some series of checks and balances on this where one employee couldn't be in control of so much money? What was he, the CFO or the... the... It, it, it didn't say. He was just an employee. Crazy. Uh, uh, let me see. Um, I'll click on his guilty plea. See if it says that here. Says uh, this was. Let's see. Guilty plea. The, the, the defendant will ke- uh, will plead guilty to count one wire fraud and violation of blah blah blah. The defendant agrees he's in fact guilty. Let's see. Uh, no, it doesn't say exactly what he did. It just it's just basically saying he's admitting he's guilty. And that's funny. In his forfeiture, he's asked to. Uh, it's his forfeiture. The defendant agrees to the forfeit. To the United States voluntarily and immediately all of his right and title to interest to any and all assets subject to forfeiture. These assets include, but are not limited to, the following. One, approximately $3,000 in Bitcoin. And two, a money judgment in the amount of $4.8 million. Uh, so he actually has to give up what few Bitcoin he has. $3,000 in Bitcoin. Uh no, nah, it doesn't say exactly what his position was. I guess it doesn't have to here because he's just pleading guilty to what he did here. Yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, he could just be covering his tracks the whole time, but that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, how much can you cover? Like, I, I've known of businesses that have been devastated by, like, single employees, like small businesses. There was one, there was a, uh, a the Comedy and Magic Club in Redondo Beach, which was... Uh, a pretty well-known locals comedy club where a lot of big names would come there and, and basically try out a lot of new material. Uh, even Jerry Seinfeld came there and uh, 
and, and like, there's a lot of big names that were that were coming over there and and doing acts. Uh, Jay Leno used to come there a lot. Uh, I actually saw Michael Richards there before he had his uh, controversy, where he he dropped the end bomb in, in one of the other places he he performed. But uh, the Comedy Magic Club almost went under, despite being very successful, because a single person, a woman who was in charge of the, the only person in charge of the books there, was embezzling just about all of its money to fund her gambling habit. And, no. and they, they caught her, and she went to prison for it. But she wasted like millions of dollars. And how, how did the owners not know this? This is like a small place, and she was the only one with access to the books. So like, how did how did this go on for years where they didn't realize she was stealing all their money? It's crazy. Uh, but I've seen this so many times. Where they entrust everything to one person, and then they just go to town with with the funds of the company, and it takes years to figure out what was happening. And they 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 cover their tracks, but there's almost only so much you can cover. You you got to think that there, unless it's a conspiracy with several people involved. If it's just one person doing it, it's amazing that they don't get caught immediately. Unless it's like just something small, like if someone finds a way to embezzle ten thousand dollars, fine. But if someone's embezzling six seven figures, you think you got to catch that. But uh, so often it doesn't happen. I don't know how large this this company is. This uh, halt, whatever it was, that makes heavy equipment. But he was able to steal almost five million over seven years, and uh, just recklessly spent it. The, the million dollars on the game is just crazy. Man, that, that is so nuts. And how long was that? Was the million dollars over seven years? No, 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 that, no. It doesn't even say the the, the embezzlement happened over seven years but the, the right. i don't even know when this game was created it it but right. it certainly wasn't seven years ago, no so sure. so but he's so fucking crazy yeah he must have been like just a god on the game he must have just been destroying everyone they're like damn how does this guy have so much stuff was he spending right. like a million dollars you go stuff? to sleep lose everything yeah it all again the next day well, they're probably like wow how's this guy have so much stuff there's no way he, like what is he spending a million dollars here like i can imagine what people are probably saying when they're playing it right. here like, how could he have possibly gotten all this stuff? There's no way someone could have spent money like this. Like, they must have thought he worked for the company or something that made Game of War. But nope, he, he yeah. spent a million bucks of, of uh, his employer's money. So, yeah. If you run a small business, though, and this wasn't a small business, but if you run a small business and you entrust all the finances to one person and you don't check on them, you're a fool. That's all I can say. You're a fool if you're not aware of the money that's going in and out of your business. I don't mean you have to check every little thing every day. And I'm not saying you're a fool if, if it turns out the person is uh, stealing uh, very small amounts of money here and there. If they're embezzling $50 here, $100 there every so often, I can see where you're, that's going to get by you. But if, they, if there's large sums of money disappearing and you're not seeing it and you run a small business, then you're doing it wrong. You're definitely doing it wrong. I, I would think these owners would want to see. I would think that they would want to be totally on top of the finances of a company. I, if I, you know, I'd, I'd want to know everything. I wouldn't want to. Uh, I wouldn't want to just let someone. Yeah, else. I mean, especially with that comedy store. I mean, how much could they have been? How much could they have been making? Well, they were they they were doing well. As I said, they she got millions, like one point something million out of that. I think before they caught her or something. So. Let me see if I can find the article. It's, it, was, it was amazing when I saw this, that she got away with such a small operation for that long. I think this happened in the 90s. Let me see. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. It was it was 150000 so it was not as much as I thought. But still, it was a small place. And let me see. Um, let's see. Uh, it was a 
28-year-old bookkeeper. Her name was Margaret Michelle Wood. This happened in 97. And she embezzled uh, 175000 over a two-year period. And uh, But yeah, I think they were like... They, they were starting to struggle and then they, they, they finally had an independent accountant check out the books. And at that point, uh, when the independent accountant said something's wrong, she stepped forward and confessed she'd stolen 27000 and then they found out that she stole way more than that. Jesus. But I, I heard that they were like, they, they had that accountant check it out because they, they thought they were doing well and it seemed like they were struggling and barely getting by and they couldn't understand it. Yep. So... Uh, there, there's another incident that uh, this is someone I actually knew. This is kind of crazy, um, and what's amazing is what this guy's current job is. So, I went to school with a guy named Roger Chung. That's C H I N G. Okay, and uh, his brother is currently the controller for the state of California. His name is John Chung, and Rod, so Roger's his brother. Another Chung in the same family that's sort of known was Joyce Chung and she was murdered in Washington D.C. in a murder very similar to the Chandra Levy murder over there. She uh, went out walking and, and disappeared and it turned out she was murdered and they never they never really solved it. They, they came eventually with what they said they believed the, the killer you know who it was but they, they never really had any proof. So anyway so Roger uh, I, I didn't really like him in college. He's just kind of arrogant. He was even very... Uh, both arrogant and kind of like a stickler for rules type and someone who just thought saw himself as like an authority figure. Uh, but I, I you know, someone... I, I, I didn't hate him, but I just didn't really like him very much, and I don't think he liked me very much. But, uh, you know, we never had any real incidents. We just didn't care for each other that much. So anyway, Roger... Uh, you know, he went on his way, I went my way. And I didn't hear about him until many years later when he was arrested for embezzlement from the Democratic Party. Uh, he got very involved with the Democratic Party and, in fact, moved up the ranks there and, and became involved with the DNC, the Democratic National Committee. And uh, he was involved with fundraising. And uh, apparently what he did was uh, he started having, you know, he'd raise funds for the DNC and then would have those who wanted to contribute write checks to uh, something that sounded very similar, like some acronym that was similar to the DNC, but it was actually a, a company he set up with that name. So it was actually his company they were writing the check to, but it looked like they were writing it to the DNC. It was something like that. So he embezzled a lot of money that way, where the money never even went to the DNC because it was going to his company with a very similar name. And there's articles on uh, you can find by googling it. Back to here, I says uh, from WashingtonTimes.com. Democratic campaign ex aide admits theft. This is, so this is in the mid 2000s. This occurred, and he, and he pled guilty. He pled guilty. He went to prison for it, and uh, he stole uh, three hundred sixty thousand dollars that way. By uh, yeah, that's right. He so he had them, he had them uh, write a check to DSCC, supposedly uh, 
standing for Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, which is a real thing. But then he had his own DSCC, DSCC company that he would deposit the checks into. So kind of clever, but uh, I, I think he, I think his, uh, yeah, his his own business was called DS Camp. So people would write DSCC, and it was close enough to DSC, and the bank would honor it. So uh, they found it out. He was arrested. He was, you know, he pled guilty, went to prison. You would think after all that that uh, basically his future in any kind of high-profile position was nothing. Like the, he, he couldn't get a, any kind of decent job anywhere, at least not any kind of job where he has any kind of public visibility, but you're wrong. Believe it or not, he works for America's Most Wanted now, of all things. And uh, the way he got this job was by uh, exploiting the fact that his sister, uh, Joyce, had been murdered. And, uh, you know, the host of America's Most Most Wanted for a long time is John Walsh, whose son Adam was was murdered in 1981. And then John Walsh became uh, a very well-known figure who was always uh, looking to catch criminals and hosted America's Most Wanted and was... was, uh, yeah, he he became known because he was so vocal about his son's kidnapping and, and murder. His son was uh, kidnapped and murdered at the age of six. So John Walsh uh, took pity on Roger because Roger uh, Roger's sister had been murdered, and Roger claimed that the reason he stole from the DNC was because his mind wasn't right. He was depressed about his sister being murdered, which I don't believe. I mean, you never know, but I don't believe it. I think that's just a convenient excuse. Like, why, why would your sister being murdered make you steal $360,000 from your employee? Like, what does one have to do with the other? So, uh, but anyway, he got a much lighter sentence than you would have expected because of his, you know, he, he used the sister excuse and it worked to some degree as far as a lighter sentence. And then uh, he got the job with America's Most Wanted and he still works there. And I think he's like the number two in command over there behind John Walsh. So pretty surprising. Pretty surprising to see to see that, that he was able to come back like that. So I, I thought he was pretty much done after the arrest and conviction for the embezzlement from the DNC. And of all things, like why would a why would a television show meant to catch criminals hire him, even if they're going after violent criminals and he wasn't violent still. Like you'd think that wouldn't be someone they'd want to hire. But uh anyway, why, why did I even go on this why, why did I start discussing this? Do you remember? Hmm. Oh well you, oh it was because the game the game uh the guy that Wanted the money for the game. Oh, that's they right. Spent a million dollars on the game. That's right, right. So I was talking about different ways to embezzle. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I kind of just got away from all that. But yeah, so yeah, so I, I guess I knew a guy who ended up being an embezzler. And I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not speculating here. We're talking smack about somebody I didn't like in college. I mean, he he pled guilty. He served time in prison for this. There's no question he was an embezzler from the DNC. So. It's so funny too because the, the way this guy acted when he was in college, like he was, he was so arrogant and so like uh, um, pro authority figure type guy. He was so like looking down on everybody who, who wasn't as uh, 
as much of a follow the rules type as he was. It, it was so ironic to see that he'd be the one who would be spending time in prison for a major embezzlement case. Because he portrayed himself as the opposite of that. But I, I guess it's not too different from, from like the the guy who is like the major homophobe that just hates gays, constantly goes on about how evil gays are, and then it turns out he's a closet gay himself. Like I, I guess it could be like that. That uh, This guy may have been uh, so pro-follow-the-rules, pro-authority figure type, because uh, in reality he had a lot of uh, criminal tendencies of his own that he hated about himself. Who knows? Uh, Ken Scaler knew him, too, and Ken didn't like him either. Like Ken and I both agreed. Like We, we both had different experiences with him, but we both didn't like him. We both kind of had the same impression about him. And we both were uh, we both kind of chuckled when we we heard about what happened with the with the embezzlement. So I, I will say though that Rogers embezzlement of the DNC at least that was that was somewhat clever. That one I could see how it's harder to catch because that wasn't stealing money directly from the employer. That was intercepting money from going to the employer. That's a little tougher because if the employer never knows the money's coming. Like the donation situation, then that's very hard to tell. Like let's let's say I hired a middleman here or appointed a middleman to accept poker fraud alert uh, free roll donations. Well, I guess that's not a good example because uh, then people would wonder where their free roll donations went because I always announce them on here. But let's say I I had somebody as a middleman to collect donations for like the site's expenses, and then that middleman would send money to me saying, "Okay, well this person donated." Well. Like, if he only sent me half the money that he received, I probably wouldn't know until somebody came to me and said, hey, did you get my money? So, if you don't know money's coming to you, if it's coming, like, through donors that you don't know necessarily are going to donate, then it is easy for an unscrupulous person to steal that money and it never gets to you and you never knew it was coming, so you don't know what's missing. But if you if you have a business where someone's just stealing out of your account, then that's that's a very tough thing to uh, a very tough thing to explain how anyone can miss that. Alright, so that's about it for me. I've, I'm about done. Um, Trader Risky, you got anything else? Are you exhausted? Just happy Hanukkah and happy Christmas. That's right. You know, Hanukkah is tomorrow. Uh, Hanukkah is uh, on the same night as Christmas Eve. The, I know. You went on and on. It was Christmas Eve tomorrow night at the beginning, and then you didn't even mention it. I, did, I, I don't know how I forgot that. But yes, Hanukkah is tomorrow <laughs> at, uh, at sundown. And Lou Father's asking for his Christmas gift. I thought Lou Father was a Jew. Why would he even get a Christmas gift? Let's, let's let's take a call here. Uh, caller, you're on the air. <clears throat> I'm on the air. Yes, Larry, you're on, and then we have someone from the nine one five. Caller, you're on the air too. It's mumbles badly. It's mumbles badly. That's what I thought. So we, we did you guys? Mumbles? I'm just calling. In, I'm calling in to uh, do the uh, exiting shalom. If you guys are going to go off the air. Oh, we are. So so you guys called at like the identical time too. Okay, so Larry, what? what do, Larry, what do you want to say? Well, I just want to wish everyone, you know, happy festivities, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah. 
You're very big on the Festivus. You're very big on the Festivus thing for some reason. Festivus for the rest of us, man. You, you talked about that on the forum too. So yeah, yeah. so yeah, the, it's it's an unusual situation to where Hanukkah and Christmas are uh, basically on the same day. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, Hanukkah starting on uh, Christmas Eve after sundown, but a lot of people celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas Day, so it kind of fits. And uh, technically, the last day of Hanukkah is in 2017, but since everyone celebrates it at night. Uh, the last night of Hanukkah is December 31st because there's uh, there are eight nights of Hanukkah so 24 through 31st is eight nights but technically Hanukkah actually ends on January 1st and I was actually considering playing a Hanukkah song but I don't know I just I, I picked that weird owl song first and I said well I'm gonna play a second song I've got to play Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year because I, I play that every year <laughs> so I, I didn't want to play a third song and play Hanukkah, so I just decided to start the show. Well, the next show will be in the middle of Hanukkah, so you you can still do it for the next one. I could. It's kind of anticlimactic at that point. Like People are kind of done with Hanukkah by the time it's in the middle. In fact, I, I had it as a kid. I'd get the best presents up front on like day one and day two, and by day seven and eight, <laughs> the, pre- the presents weren't very good anymore. I agree. As a kid, I got eight and a presents. Now I just get one. Are you a Jew, Larry? Yes. I didn't know that. Oh, I thought we, I thought I'd mentioned that before. I didn't think so. I, I, I don't. I don't practice or anything anymore. I, I was raised Jewish. I didn't know that. Uh, hmm. Yeah. A lot, a lot of Jews here. But uh, looks like it. There are a lot of Jews in poker, though. I, I discovered that one time at Commerce in a, in a high stakes game, like a four hundred eight hundred game, seven of the nine people at the table were Jewish. Which is your LA? I mean that, that that's unusual though because there's a lot of Asians in these games and they're never Jewish so to have seven of nine people at the table even be white is amazing there so but there's a seven of the, seven of the nine at the table were Jewish and some of them I didn't realize either some like the, the discussion broke out and someone's like yeah I'm Jewish too yeah I am too I'm like oh you really I didn't know that so yeah there's a lot of Jews in poker and a lot I, mean, I, I wouldn't consider myself Jewish anymore I don't don't practice anything. Well, yeah, but you were born Jewish. It's close enough. So, I've I've I had wondered why there were there was a disproportionate number of Jews in poker. Because Jews are a, a small percentage of the population in the U.S., and I, I think part of the reason is that first of all, a lot of Jews are successful, so they have the money the money to play in the first place. But second, I, I think it's just it, it's the type of thing that just matches with a lot of Jews, you know, the, the, uh, it, it involves using their brain to make money, it involves... Uh, well, it, they say the Jews are the merchant class, and uh, you're right, exactly like that, like a lot of Jews that run their own businesses, and poker is like a business if you take it seriously enough. Yeah, so, so I, I, think, I think that's a lot of it there, that uh, it just kind of fits in well with the general the Jewish culture in the U.S. and uh, uh, a lot of Jews, especially a lot of the, the smart Jews are, are, are attracted to the game. So, I mean, I, I guess it happened with me, too. So, I, I, I'm an example of, of whatever stereotype I'm trying to establish here. So, let's see. Did you know that uh, Mike Mattisau is a Jew? I did know that. Well, I mean, how could you not notice his uh, Jewish necklace? Oh, I forgot about the necklace. I forgot about the necklace, yeah. I, I haven't read his book. I've been trying to pick it up. 
I just haven't gone into a, a store to buy it. Okay, here I'm going to I'm going to slap on another caller here. I like how we get all the calls at once. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Yeah, I just want to say that Larry Laffer is God and Father is God. Thank you. <laughs> That's okay, goodbye. That, goodbye. That was that was uh, Sisop. He wanted to at least he gave gave you yeah. uh, he gave you props here though, Larry. He didn't he didn't say anything bad. Well, you know, was, uh, I got some fans out there. I got some detractors out there. Okay. Well, I'll we're keep it, keep it in mix. You know, I I think we're going to be back in five days. I, I usually don't like doing a show so soon after we complete, but I think I'm going to do it in five days. It's possible we'll delay this next one to Thursday. I I don't know. I if there's enough to talk about, it'll do it in five days. I I can't say for sure we're going to be on on the 28th, but if not, we'll be on the 29th. And we will do a show that next week, though, for sure, as the final show of 2016. Poker Fraud Alert Radio will continue on in the year 2017. And, you know, I like the way it's going right now. We'll have Calwatt from whenever he can make it. He does a very good job as co-host, and there's a lot of good reviews for his contributions to the show. And even if he falls asleep in the middle, that's fine. And... You know, Brandon's starting his show on January 3rd, and if he really gets the three guests he said he's going to get, I believe he'll get at least two of the three. Then that should be a, an interesting listen with some good interviews. Especially, you know, we had Kasuf on before, but uh, Jason Somerville will be a very big guest, as would uh, Kate Hall, given all the controversy that she's had recently. So I, I'll, I'll be listening to that show for sure. Not sure if I'll be able to be part of it. And... You know, it's very possible. Maybe we'll have Brandon on Tuesdays and me on Wednesday. Who knows? Maybe you'll have too nice to listen to here. In fact, at some point, it's going to be just, like, too much to listen to. People won't have time. But I, I think the most dedicated fans of the show will find the time to listen to both shows. Two, two shows on the Fraud Network? Who wouldn't want that? Yeah, it, yeah, it might be. So... Let's get that Sisop guy back on here to host as well. Yeah, yeah, he, he can come back sometime. And so anyway, we have... Uh, one more show in 2016. The show will be pretty much the same in 2017. We're going to keep going. And I guess that's about it. Anything you guys want to say before you go? <clears throat> not really nice. I said everything. It's been a good year. Thank you, Mumbles. And I enjoyed meeting you. And... Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Chanukkah, whatever you want to call it. Good night, and... Good night. Shalom. 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 Have fun, guys.